greetings and welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Taran Rama's The True History, History of the Sarah and Our Galactic Origins. Cheryl isn't with us today, but is sending her love, and will be on her programs tomorrow for the Ascension Meditation call. So... I'm happy to save her voice and take care of business today. This is Rainbird. And, um, yeah, let's take a few minutes to go into that, that quiet heart space. And here comes the calling drum. So take a few gentle breaths. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. Slowly, gently. Go into that heart space. Gather with your guides and guardians, your spirit teams, your healing teams, your ancestors, whoever you like to journey with a kidney drum with. And there's a council fire, and it's in the center. So let's come towards that center and form a close circle so that we're together that way around this council fire, each in our own directions, <laughs> in that virtual way we know how to do. And I'm going to call in the seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. So let's do that. Welcome from the east, the house of light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see all things in clarity. And we welcome from the north, the house of night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. And we welcome from the south the house of eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruit of the planetary being. Welcome from above the house of paradise with the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now. And we greet from below 
have the earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with this harmony so that we might end war. We welcome from the central source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. Are you Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho? Are you Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho? Are you Hunaku, even Maya, Imaho? All hail harmony of mind and nature. Om Sakuyaka. In my guest, Alakin. So let's just stay wherever that heart beats with you and the kingy drum. Let's take a few moments to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's each of us that makes it happen. So with much gratitude, uh, we're in good shape right now. We just need for, um, for the radio $300 for this week. And um, here's how I make a contribution to our account at BBS Radio. You want to go to Radio Station 2, uh, bbsradio.com, and then go to Radio Station 2. And there on the uh, menu, you'll see the listing for the Thursday night show and the Saturday program. And so that's a night at the round table with the panel on Thursdays at the 6 o'clock hour. As you click on that icon there, I'll take you directly to our account where you can make a donation in any amount. And the same is true for the Saturday program, the true history history of Nisera and our galactic origins. Uh, so just click on that icon there and that'll take you to our account. The Friday show is now on the... Um, <laughs> on the station radio station one at BBS. I don't know if that's listed up, updated yet in the menu, but you'll find it there. should find it there at the 6 o'clock hour. And these are all Pacific times. Um, I think, yeah, I think the Saturday show is supposed to be at 1.30. So, <laughs> yeah, Friday night, the hard news with Tara and Rama uh, is that program. And so it's find that listing and click on that icon there and that takes you to our account. So that's how we get it done and so much gratitude for you taking a moment and taking that action and going there and uh, supporting this program in that way. That's how it happens so, such a good way. So much gratitude to you for all you do and all the ways you show up and thank you for assisting us in this way here as we gather each week and support ourselves that way. So lots of gratitude. And we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And this week they need the um, $300 for bills that are due and $300 for living expenses. 
also, uh, as we make a donation to Tar and Rama, you want to go to the website, and that is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, as you click on the menu grid, that list that drops down there near the bottom is the donate link. Click on that, and that will link you to Rama's PayPal account where you can make a donation in any amount. And that PayPal account is for Rainbow Roundtable. So thank you for taking that action. And then also, if you have your own PayPal account, don't click on that link, but just go into your own PayPal account and put in Rama's email with PayPal. And that email address, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at Hotmail. Dot com, and that way you went, you reach the friends option so that there's the commercial charges aren't there, and that makes your money go a little further. Either way is perfect. We're grateful for all your contributions, and again for all the ways you show up in your life. So thank you for taking that action as well. We're grateful for Tara and Rama. We're celebrating Tara's birthday, and. We're grateful for her and her life and grateful for expressing our generosity for her birthday at the same time in these gifts. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, 13 thank yous and honey in the hearts. And I also have two email, um, not email, but website addresses to give you for two programs that Rainbow Roundtable is involved in, and it's another way to support yourself and Rainbow Roundtable at the same time. Free, Shop Freemart is one, and that address to join, or to look at it and see if you want to join. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash www.shopfreemart.com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M. And the other site is the New Jane Coin site, and I have two addresses to give her that. The address to go to is HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash www.newgencoin and U-G-E-N-C-O-I-N. And I still need to check. It might be New Gen Universe at this point. I will check and make sure I get it right next time. But if not, you will be directed to newgenuniverse.com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M or forward slash M-A-R-N-O-R for Marshall Norris, um, the wonderful person who led us in this direction to start with. Much gratitude. And that's one way we can support. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you show up and I'm passing this talking stick and it's got dragon fire energy on it and it's got lots of shot energy on it and Excalibur is there and Quetzalcoatl and all the beautiful rays of the universe are there and all kinds of rainbows, lots of fairies and feathers and a, a couple of unicorns are coming along along with all those little people uh, the gnomes and manhoonies. So greetings, Tar and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. Greetings, everyone. All, all nine is present, and 
will just say everything is what it is and everything's okay. <laughs> Thank you, Rainbird. <coughs> she made it short and sweet. <coughs> and we continue to keep Cheryl in the circle to renew her, her health and her spirit and I'm just going to say that there are really hot spots going on. You know, the, there's this story that in Ukraine, uh, uh, the UK, Ukraine's alleged Friday shelling of a nuclear power plant. And Rama asked, Natasha, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that what happened? And, um, okay, so I'll just read this first. Telling NBC News, um, if shelling continues, there is a real risk of a nuclear catastrophe in Ukraine. Ukraine's president says, it was an act of terror. This is where Rama asked Natasha, uh, who did what? And Natasha said Zelensky bombed the nuclear plants. Yes. Not Russia. That's right. All of this is the story where Mr. Z is playing with NATO and the United States and they got a Putin look like out there yet Putin you know it is a He's fight between the of, oligarchs Putin's completely out of the picture and that's right and we're just still watching oligarchical stuff so the Russian state news agency um shared some footage and I could see it and the nuclear plant in Ukraine I forgot the name of it was smoldering everywhere it shows the nuclear site which is Europe's largest nuclear site uh, nuclear plant site in all of Europe uh, and I'm just going to say this is murderous what they're doing. And uh, then Senator Lindsey Graham, that's another story here, uh, in response to this, uh, what's the name of that bill that's going to be, it's being debated now up to 20, hour, uh, 20 hours. And it's called the nuclear, no, <laughs> Inflation Reduction Act, I think is what it's called. Is that right? Sound good to you, Mama? That sounds like the correct words, but <laughs> I could be wrong, and I don't trust Lindsey Gam as far as I can oh, tell. Oh, no, him. he lied through his teeth. Um, That's why I'm, he's a racist, pure and simple. That What does that have to do with nuclear holocaust? Rod, let's talk about what we're talking about, about <laughs> what he's doing now. Okay, there you go. Um, okay, so um, 
So what will vote a Rama be like? This is Lindsey Graham talking. In other words, they're going to be debating for 20 hours or up to. It'll be like hell, he says. They deserve this. He's talking about the Democrats. Democrats. As much as I admire Joe Manson and cinema, person cinema, for standing up to the radical left at times, they are empowering legislation that will make the average person's life more difficult at a time as they can't afford higher gas taxes. It's not going to make the gas taxes higher. They are going to get it at a time where you create jobs. It's going to be harder because the incentives to do so are gone. So I'm hoping that we can come up with proposals that will make sense to a few of them. And they will abandon this jihad. They are one. They are on. Uh, he called it the, the tax and spin, uh, jihad agenda. Now then, Simone gets on the air and she says, now about 95% of what Senator Graham just said is a lie. Not to mention Islamophobic, if you were going to be honest. Mm -hmm. What this uh, bill does, it's lowering the prescription drug rates. It's allowing Medicare uh, to negotiate the prices of the drugs with the pharmaceutical industry. That's never been allowed ever. Bernie Sanders said this is still not near enough. He just said it like it is. Yet also making billionaires, billion-dollar corporations, pay their fair share in taxes. We'll see what happens with that. That was a hard, that was a hard twisting of the arm for Kirsten Cinema because she's been getting money from the wealthy billionaire corporations not to go along with any of this and she's going along with it. That is solidarity. Mansion and cinnamon cinema, we have enough votes to get this very watered down build back better situation in line. Yet there's another thing, climate action is popular, although even as it weren't, I think it's necessary to do because in a planetary, we are in a planetary emergency. They're saying that in a year we'll be reducing uh, air pollution by 40% uh, with this bill getting passed. That's a darn big deal. It's just that Bernie said it's, it's not enough. 40% emission reductions in one year. Let's just keep on going, everyone. So what else? Um, so Rama's got a message, and I will read you the first part of it, and he'll finish it. And it goes like this. Tre um, 
I received a text message from Tom the Ringtail Cat and Sweet Angelique the Cat at 11.55 a.m. late this morning. They said to me, Lord Rama, there was a major solar flare today and a humongous coronal hole. Uh, It opened up in the sun, facing the earth. Opened up in solar solar flares, plural, came to earth. But there was one that was a major one that opened up this coronal hole. Right? Yeah, what it said. What they said is that in 72 hours or less, we're going to be feeling the solar flares and the ascension symptoms are off the charts. In a sense, too, you know, if you feel you have to rest, please rest. There is no other way to look at this on that note uh, because it's only going to get more intense. And people that are wanting what they want are going to push on us, in a sense, uh, to drain the energy from us that they don't have, but they want what they want when they want it now. That kind of thing. I mean, you got got spoiled rugrats running around. Okay, so um, leave the Legion of Doom alone is the next thing they said. That's right. And then Rama's going to explain this from here, but uh, the next thing that they said was Harley Quinn will turn them around. And I said, who the heck is Harley Quinn? And Rama said, Miss Quinn, Miss Quinn, female, is connected with the ancient Pleiadians. Uh, well, I mean, the ancient Pleiadians landed in China at least 20,000 years ago. Or longer. Or longer. So that's what who she is. In a sense, she's she's a Pleiadian. She's a Pleiadian. An ancient one. Yes. And I mean, this goes back to the Disclosure Project in uh, 2012. April 29th and 30th and May 1st, 2nd and 3rd. Dr. Greer and uh, the Defense Secretary of Canada was there. I don't remember his name again. He's off the planet now. Paul Hellyer. Paul Hellyer, yeah. And uh, they all said that ETs are real. Yes. And they've been landing and they've been showing up and our military people are looking at them right front face forward. And they're trying to take them out in their flying saucers and one second they're there and then they set their target and then the next second they're gone. That's and they're right. somewhere else. It's like hysterical. Uh, and, of course, uh, they were doing things on nuclear plants over there in the U.K., and the, the ships completely shut down their operations, and they didn't know And over do. here, and over here, many military bases uh, were shut down. The nuclear uh, materials were rendered inert, inoperable. They don't talk about that much. Harley Quinn, this lady, I just heard about her today. She's like this Jedi Master. 
that's what Tom and Sweet Angelique described. She's, um, they described her as Ashoka. And if you watch the story, Star Wars Rebels, she's like her. I didn't see it, so tell people what that means. Uh, in the storyline, uh, when Darth Vader went off to study on his own after he challenged Obi-Wan, he met Ashoka, and Ashoka taught him the ways of the Force, and he tried to double-cross her. So is Ashoka a galactic shaman? She's a galactic shaman. Okay. And let's say she knows how to deal with the Rugrats. She's been doing it longer than I know even how to describe. And it is right at this time, all the major power players are playing with this story called Nuclear Issues. I heard the head today of the Archdiocese in Santa Fe got on the radio and, you know, was uh, talking about today how we dropped the first nuke on... Hiroshima, and the guy on the radio was kind of challenging him and said, what about all the millions of people that the Vatican has killed? You know, uh, how do we rectify this? You know, and this guy didn't... And to make this first perfectly clear, if I haven't said it here really clearly, yeah, they made this spoof of a accusation that the Vatican murdered 4,000 little children in it's Canada. A lot it's more. Way over that, like at least 100,000. And when they uncover all the graves, it's probably going to be way more than that, too. And I just want to make that clear. This is not getting out of jail free card here no, it's for not. anything. So, uh, and the other thing is that China is really being a turd. Yeah. Um, and there's a really turdish thing going on in uh, Israel, uh, <coughs> uh, in the Gaza Strip, too. Uh, uh, the Chinese launched a live fire missile. Chinese? Yes. I'm going back to China first. They lost, oh, yes. launched a live fire missile. They lost lots of missiles, but one of them landed in the waters very close to the land of the southernmost island. Uh, it's called Hab. Habaruma, I think. I did Habaruma. Uh, anyway, it's something like that. It's it's just like, you know that Japan is an asset, you know, I mean an ally of the United States. If that had killed anybody, we would be in World War Three with China. Mm. That's not okay. And I'm sure Ashtuk got it in hand, but boy, oh boy. That happened yesterday. And then um, 
in uh, hmm. where was I? I was saying that uh, I was going to go to that story. Yes, um, over there in the Gaza Strip. I um, heard that they that I what I heard about that. Can I say what I was going to say? Okay. Then you didn't tell me that. But Israel assassinated uh, a militant, a military commander, a leader of the Islamic Jihad. Uh, and it's a militant group of the Islamic Jihad group in Gaza, and they assassinated their military commander on Friday. Yeah, they did. And Israel launched a series of airstrikes in an operation known as Breaking Dawn that killed this Islamic Jihad commander, Tazir Jabari. And he's a suspect. They didn't try him or give him a fair anything. Mm-mm. Suspected of several terror attacks against Israel. That's all he said. And they, oh, on BBC and, News, and, they said he was connected with Iran. Well, yeah, I'm going to get there, but not directly like that. Yeah. But the jihad responded by firing more than 100 missiles. And I heard 300 missiles. Okay, here we go. I guess over across the pond has got an edge on the news. At, uh, okay, 300 plus missiles at Israel. And then, um, they just made a comment that this could have major repercussions, including already efforts to negotiate a deal with Iran to get it to stop trying to make nukes. Mm-hmm. But they already have at least 12 nukes. Mm-hmm. And they've had them for a long time. Uh, and, of course, uh, Mr. Trump didn't help anything. He shut down the uh, United States' participation in that nuclear deal. Uh, well, it was five other European countries mm. and Iran. But uh, Islamic Jihad is a proxy fighting force for Iran. There you go. That's a pretty strong connection. Which has long considered influences in the Palestinian territories a major priority given their proximity to Israel, uh, which is Iran's number one enemy. And then in Indiana's other story, there is uh, the post-row, it's the first state post-row to pass a ban on abortions with a few exceptions. No ban on incest or rape or medical situations. It's like everything else, though, is banned. This is so evil. We're going back to the Middle Ages, is that right? Where women do what they're told unless they don't want to be alive anymore. And then... um, there's a new documentary that shows life for Ukrainians amid the war going on right now. I would take that with a grain of salt, you know. 
coming from a Western perspective. so CPAC, Donald Trump, this evening at CSPAC's closing is going to give a lovely little speech. And the way they described it on MSNBC is that CPAC has become a glorified, well-funded hate rally for the Republican Party, uh, in and behalf of the Republican Party uh, against the Democratic Party. Anyway, there's just... I, I told this to my sister was talking a friend of ours that we were talking to today and um Tom Hartman has this little one minute blurb and he gives this litany a mile long of accomplishments that the Democratic Party was able to accomplish over the last, you know, forty, fifty years. And uh then they said and then the Republican Party uh uh accomplished uh uh, and he comes up with nothing, and then he says, oh, they gave a trillions of dollar tax break to the already wealthy people in the United States. And that's about it. That is about it. So I guess that's enough for today. And so we're going to start with uh, Greg Braden. And uh, this is 13 minutes yes. and 27 seconds or something. Can we rewrite the simulation code to alter our experience? And I would say that how we do that is we talk to our DNA, we talk to the force, and it will talk to you. Yes, and this is really good, everybody. Listen, because it's jam-packed with information. First question, 
is what are the limits of our simulation? How long can it last? Are we limited in terms of the simulation size? And after all, if the universe continues to expand, how big can it really become? Question number two, if we are limited, how long can the simulation continue to run before we reach that limit? These are big questions. The implications are huge. And our Koch snowflake gives us the clues to both answers. And they may surprise you as much as they did the scientists that discovered them in 1975. So let me first summarize what this snowflake is showing us. The mathematics show us that there is, in fact, a limit when it comes to the area that the snowflake may occupy. However, there appears to be no limit as to how complex the edges of that area can become. All right, so let me repeat what I just said. There appears to be no limit when it comes to how complex... complex the edges of our pattern of our snowflake can become but there is a limit to how large it can grow and here's what i mean with the first iteration of the fractal code to create the snowflake the area increased by a specific amount it was by a factor of one third now with the second iteration the area still increases but it increases to a much lesser degree. It's actually only four twenty-sevenths. That is the fractional degree of the increase. The third iteration, when we're building those triangles along the, the flat edges, that third iteration increases by an even smaller amount of 16 over 243. And the fourth iteration by a factor of 64 over 2,187 and so on. So you can see what's happening here. You can see the trend. It's clear. The numbers that represent the area are getting smaller and smaller, and they seem to be moving towards zero. So intuitively, this is precisely where we'd expect those numbers to go. However, this is where things get really, really interesting. Because if we plot this information on a graph, if we plot on a graph the complexity and how the size is changing what we see is that the change does not continue indefinitely it actually levels out at a specific size and you're going to find this size very interesting the growth levels out at 1.6 times of the area of the original triangle 1.6 those of you watching this if you watch a lot of Gaia I know you've seen this number before it's a very significant number it's part of a series that we see commonly in nature. We also see it in our bodies, and we see it in living systems. It's part of a series that is known as the Fibonacci Mathematics Series, 1.6. So what we're saying here is that the area of our Koch snowflake does have a limit in terms of how large it can become and how much space it can occupy. So I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to pause and invite you now to think about this in terms of our simulation. What this snowflake is telling us is that our simulation has a limit in terms of how large it can become and how much space it can occupy. 
All right. Now, the perimeter of the snowflake, remember the perimeter is getting more and more and more complex. It tells us a different story. The number of times that the perimeter can change to become more complex, the number of those little triangles that we can put on that. Because the world rejected you, you created a facade. You created a personality persona. And put on that perimeter, as the edges become more and more and more complex, is infinite. Okay, and this is good news for us. This fact is a key to understanding our simulation. And here's the reason why. The rhythms of nature and the natural world and the universe all appear to be governed by cycles and the limits that follow this recursive code. This suggests that our simulated world does, in fact, have limits, both in terms of how much area the universe may occupy and how long our simulation lasts. However, it also suggests that the possibilities of our experience within these boundaries, in other words, how complex our perimeter may become, is infinite. So I'm sharing this with you as theory so that you can see the fundamental patterns, the mathematics, the recursive code, the fractal patterns in nature. And now we're taking the ideas that the fractal patterns are showing us on a small scale. We're applying them to the large scale of our simulation. What we're saying is that there are limits. And I want you to know that those limits now are recognized and some of the greatest minds in physics agree with everything that we're saying here. I want you to hear Stephen Hawking in a conversation that he was having with a number of other physicists. A portion of that conversation was recorded. I'm going to play that for you right now. In the case of the universe, there seems to be a limiting scale. It is called the Planck length, and it's about a million, billion, billion times smaller than an inch. This means that there is a limit to how complex the universe can be. It also means that the universe could be described by a theory that is fairly simple, at least on scales of the Planck length. I just hope that we are smart enough to find it. So we just used this Koch snowflake to illustrate these ideas of limits and complexity when it comes to our simulation. And I did this specifically so that we could illustrate the principles that Stephen Hawking has just talked about. You're probably familiar with these ideas from another pattern that is seen much more commonly. The image that you're seeing on your screen right now is called the Mandelbrot set. The Mandelbrot set is also the output from that fractal code, that fractal pattern that we just looked at. And it shows us something else that is very key when we talk about the limits of our experience and we talk about the limits of our simulation. When the numbers of the fractal code become very, very small and they are plotted as the Mandelbrot set, they are bound within what you see is the black pattern on your screen. So in this case, the fractal pattern is creating patterns of space. All right. 
And depending on the values that go into the pattern, the space can become very large or it can become very small. So when the numbers are very small, they're bound by the black pattern. When they become very large, they're represented by what you see as the color portion, which expands indefinitely. So once again, what we're saying is that our experience within this pattern appears to be the opportunity for our experience appears to be infinite. But the space that our simulation occupies appears to be finite. And this is why the Mandelbrot set is so powerful. When we zoom in to the Mandelbrot set, the deeper and deeper and deeper we go into the pattern, what we see is that the patterns continue to repeat the hallmark of a fractal. They repeat themselves again and again and again on infinitely smaller scales. Okay, so let's take this out of the realm of mathematics and images on the screen. Let's think about these patterns in terms of our lives. Fractal patterns repeat again and again on different scales. You and I already know that. You know that when you have a pattern in your life, when you have a pattern in your relationships, and you are with one person in one job, with one company in one city, and things aren't working well, how many times have you seen people that say, okay, I need to change? So they go to another city, you find another partner, another job, another company, but they find that the same patterns are showing up in their lives again and again and again. And they say, well, I didn't choose well. Let me make another change. Another city, another job, another company, another partner. How many times do we do this before we realize that no matter where we go, the same patterns are going to show up in our lives again and again and again? Now you know the reason. The reason is because... We are living fractal patterns in our biology. We're living fractal patterns in our emotions. We're living fractal patterns in our relationships because the energy of our simulation, the information of our simulation is governed by the fractal code, that fractal formula. And the beauty of knowing this is once we change that variable, once we shift the way we think, the way we solve our problems, the way we think of ourselves, once we change our self-esteem, once we change the way we value our lives or the way we value other people, that's the equivalent of changing the variable in the code. Now we're writing a new code and the new patterns are going to repeat again and again and again. If they're healthy patterns, it's a really good thing. So I'm illustrating how our experience is actually following the code that governs the energy and the information of our entire simulation. It's a very, very powerful way to think about our lives and our world and what we're experiencing in our virtual reality. Now that we understand the simple mechanism that allows our simulation to sustain itself, the fractal code, it makes perfect sense that we would have the inner tools to master our simulation in order to live the best lives and to create the best world possible. To awaken our tools, however, we now need to go one step further to understand the rules that are created by the fractal code. And fortunately for us, 300 years of science and 5,000 years of indigenous wisdom have already done that for us. In the next episode, we'll discover those rules, the three fundamental laws of physics and how they make it possible for us to master our simulated world. So I want to thank you for joining me for today's program 
and be sure to tune in for our next all-new episode of Missing Links. Okay, everybody. Um, I, I know that Greg said something before this that's very interesting. He said it's either 200,000 years ago or even 400,000 years ago when this uh, this new energy entered the human body which makes us different than everybody else on earth um, that's a specific code I gotta figure that out again it's a um, it's a chromosome 2. It's called chromosome 2. And it was added to our telomeres. And that is what has the key to us not dying. I mean, it's between 200,000 and 400,000 years ago. And it makes us different than all the other animals. Well, that was it's a good thing. And, of course, we've been mind-controlled that everybody's going to die and get over it. And I'm going to just say it again, Sam. And I think that we wouldn't have so many children as we were entertaining a higher conscious awareness because we would give more space. I'm going to give the example of the unicorns. They only reproduce once every 50, 50 years. One baby unicorn every 50 years. And the unicorns, um, in the book Unicorns I Have Known, there's a picture of 500-year-old unicorn, a 1,200-year-old unicorn. And they don't look like they're anywhere near going anywhere. Yeah. So we're in a period now where we're recognizing something that's uh, coming. And I think as we continue to live in harmony with these higher conscious awareness states, that everything will help us to do exactly what we can do. So this is called the New Human Template Homo Christos and this is with Celia Fenn and this is 48 minutes and 9 seconds and she's being interviewed by a shaman lady whose name is Vexella Sananda I'm just saying, there's one more accountability project that I didn't mention. It's on Breonna Taylor. Four police officers have been arrested. Even though, and it's got to do with at least two of them faking the, whatever it was. Search warrant. Search warrant, which wasn't supposed to be, it wasn't the right search warrant intent. So there was an intent to murder. Yeah. Yeah. Premeditated. And still, you know, the the bullet that killed her, that police officer didn't get arrested. It's still out there. No. Yeah. And, and I'm going to say, it's got the same thing to do as what happened in Ovalde. All white officers and people of color. Same thing. All white officers here with Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, the people yes. of color. And uh, Brianna's, yeah, uh, 26 years old, by the way. And the others, you know, 
fourth graders, 10-year-olds. So we keep that in the circle of support. And the account, may the accountability be peaceful. War is over. And we're going to study the feng shui story. You know, we're camping out, but we need to study the feng shui story because that really helps us to live in a way that is in alignment with war is over. Because if your house is at war with yourself, that's a problem. Okay, let's do this now. Celia Fence, she's going to have plenty to say about AA, Lionsgate. Here we go. Welcome to the Alchemy of Ascension Season 5, activating star seeds, walk-ins, and the new human of the golden age. I'm your host, Washayla Sananda, and today it's my pleasure to introduce you to Celia Fenn. Welcome, Celia. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, and I'm happy to have you back. This is your second appearance on the Alchemy of Ascension. So it's, I'm excited to really dive in and I know you've got some wonderful material for us today. Um, so before we begin that, I would love to have everyone just join us in a brief alignment process so that we can really get present and open for what you're about to hear and receive today. So for starters, just if you're in a place where you can close your eyes, go ahead and close your eyes and deepen the breath, taking some deep breaths, tune into the heart center and get in touch with the light in your heart, breathing into that light, allowing it to expand and then expand the light from your heart up above your head, making contact with the heart light of central sun, bringing that heart light down into the crown of your head, into every energy center, and then extending down into the heart light of this planet Earth, the core, the heart center of Mother Earth, and bring that light up now into the base of the spine, into the heart, into every energy center. And then these three energies from above, below, and within meet in your heart center, creating a holy trinity of light. And in this light, may we all be focused, harmonized, balanced, and open to receive whatever is for your highest good today in this conversation. Take another deep breath and then come on back. Thank you for doing that with me. And now I'll share a little bit about Celia. Celia Fenn is an international writer, channel, artist, spiritual creative, shaman, and group facilitator. She worked for 12 years as a university teacher of English literature before switching to a career in healing therapy. For 10 years, she helped many people to find their own spiritual healing path to wholeness and inner peace. She became a channel for Archangel Michael and developed the Star Child Global website. Her current focus is on the grounding of the new earth, quantum reality and timelines, the importance of the divine feminine energy, and rediscovering the power of shamanic practice and ceremony in a modality called galactic shamanism. 
All right. So I'm so excited to dive in with you today. And I know you have so much to share, Celia. So um, because it's your second time, we don't need to jump into your origin story. We're just going to hit the ground running. And um, I'd love to have you begin with, I know you've been receiving some information recently about the new earth and how humans can really activate ourselves to be able to enter into and help create and co-create the new earth. I am really, as you say, very excited about uh, what's happening right now. And when I say right now, we're in this uh, like window period uh, between the 22nd of January, 22nd of February, which includes the 2nd of February. Um, I know this is going to be broadcast a bit later, but uh, we're in this period of huge, tremendous shift. And I'm sure everyone can feel um, at the moment uh, so much cosmic, solar, galactic energy just pouring into the planet, especially starting on the 22nd. Um, everyone's been feeling it in their physical body. And this is what's so exciting is that uh, as we move into the new Earth, it's not just a spiritual process or uh, even a mental process. It's actually become a full body process. And, and this is what Archangel Michael is saying, that as we move into the new Earth and into this, this new human state, it has to be a combination of spirit, soul, and body, these three levels. So the spirit level is where we acknowledge our connection to divinity, to uh, the galactic heart, whatever you want to call it, the, the central sun, uh, prime creator, whatever whatever it is to you, and how you, you breathe that energy. You know, the, the energy in, in the cosmos pulsates, and when we breathe, and when we open our heart, we align with that energy, which, of course, is what you did at the beginning. And then as we move into connection with our soul-level energy, we connect with our angelic families and our galactic families, and those energies. We discover, we come to remember that we are, in fact, uh, infinite beings. Uh, we have angelic, galactic, starseed energies. But the third level, which is unfolding right now, is the fact that our human physical body is also, it's a sacred container, it's a divine creation, and it has within it um, energies and uh, the ability to integrate energies from light codes, from uh, source codes, from solar flares, from all those energy fields into the physical body through the DNA. And what I've been working with, with Archangel Michael, is the fact that our DNA is um, not just simply, uh, as medicine considers it to be, like it's a recording device for the human genome, and then there's all this junk stuff that they're not quite sure what it's for. But Archangel Michael says it, it, we do have our, our template for ourselves, our human genome for us. We also have our ancestral lines, which are recorded all the way back to the beginning. And we also have a holographic manifestation energy device that allows us to create and co-create our reality. And it's only when we can fully activate this combination of aspects of ourselves that we become the new human because we're functioning as we originally were intended to uh, when we were created. But we're also at the point where uh, we're going to evolve beyond that now. So we have the original template and now we have the new human template as we evolve into 
something different. So what I'm feeling right now is that, wow, this is a big one. You know, it, it, to me, it's one of the biggest moments that we've been through. Absolutely, everything is changing. And I feel that um, we're no longer, those of us who are making the ship, we're no longer homo sapiens, as it were. We've evolved to become homo something else, you know, crystal or Christos or whatever. We're, we're different. We're a different species now because of this expansion of consciousness. But what we learn, of course, is that everything is consciousness in our multiverses. And that as consciousness expands and grows, everything expands and grows, including our human self. Because as I mentioned earlier, we are, through our DNA, connected to all these other levels and evolving with all these other levels. So that's, as you asked, you know, where am I? What am I doing at the moment? And just riding with this incredible energy that is taking us into uh, another reality or another level of reality beyond uh, what we've known before. And it's all happening right now in, at this time. Mm. Yes, I love this conversation. And, you know, it's, it's true. So much information is coming through regarding the DNA and how as we activate the DNA, we activate our consciousness or, you know, whether it's activating our consciousness activates the DNA. And, um, and then we, we must be able to integrate that and ground that. And, and so this is my understanding of how we sort of activate ourselves into being the new human. Um, is that your take on it? And can you, can you take us into some more of how, you know, how do we do that? Well, you know, one of the things that always interested me and annoyed me and bothered me because I've been doing Ascension for a very long time. You know, some people are saying, oh, I woke up in 2016. I woke up in 2001 um, and I've been doing it for a long time. And one of the things I noticed was how intense the physical symptoms were in the physical body. And um, a lot of people, especially now, are saying they feel like currents moving through the physical body, um, which is the uh, the light codes, the photonic light, whatever you want to call it, that is coming into the body and into, uh, and it's not just received through uh, the pineal gland, although that it does go into the pineal gland, but it's being received through the connections into the DNA. So it's almost like a whole body experience. And that's why so many people feel uh, intense symptoms when the light code energy is high because what happens is the DNA lights up like a Christmas tree. Literally, you, you light up, and though you can't see it with your physical eyes um, because we have at the moment 3D, 5D vision, but everything lights up and, and your body becomes radiant and glowing. And if you could see the the web of light, you would see yourself like a star, just glowing. And of course, that puts a lot of pressure on the physicality. So of course, you're going to feel exhausted because, you know, you're used to being a candle and now you're a sun. And um, that high level energy is also cleansing and clearing out everything that isn't of that energy. Because this particular aspect of our DNA only works in the energy of love. Otherwise, it miscreates the lower level. So whenever we are zapped up into this higher level, uh, things happen in the physical body. 
And I think one of the most um, noticeable things that happen is in the nervous system. I know I used to have terrible sessions with my nervous system, feeling like it was being fried uh, because it was so much energy moving through. But I found that recently, since I've been working with the DNA aspect of it, I don't get that anymore. It seems to have just kind of, um, now that my body kind of realizes where this energy is supposed to go. So it's going into the DNA. And, and what it's doing is, is lighting us up, making us radiant, um, and connecting us to all these other aspects of ourselves so that we can uh, manifest and create at the level that we were designed to work at, not at this lower level where we stum- stumble along thinking that, oh, we're 3D and we've got to move things in time and space and we've got to um, do affirmations and attract things and work really hard. Because when this new DNA system is online and humming along, you don't have to work at all because it's it's almost like an automatic system that facilitates connection with your desires and feelings and what you need and what your higher self feels you need and, and what the divine feels is great best for you. And there's this whole system of energies working together to create an optimum experience for you on the earth. So, yes, indeed, you know, as we step into the new earth, we have to have all of these aspects of ourselves. Uh, we need to, what's a good way of saying it? We will have, um, they will come into alignment so that they can work together seamlessly and we can know ourselves as the powerful, radiant and creative beings that we in fact are on, on the earth. So it's very important. And uh, when we do that, I think we will understand that our physical being is as important as our soul uh, in this co-creation on the earth. But the, the physical body is a necessity. It's not a something that we just drag along and wish we could get rid of, you know, when we go home. We are home in the physical body. And as we begin to understand that, I think we'll we'll move into a very different relationship with our physical body, Um, understanding that it is actually a sacred vessel um, in in that it's it's part of this whole energetic framework that allows us to exist and to create and to manifest and to do amazing things while we have our time on the earth. Mm. So I bet... um, (laughs) That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I love everything you shared about that and um jotting down notes and like, yes, about the nervous system, and, you know, needing to kind of attune to the new levels. And and I do know people who are absolutely living in the mindset and the attitude of I don't need to work hard. I'm in the frequency of, you know, I'm already you know, in the abundance, no matter what's showing up in my life and holding, sort of holding that new human frequency. Of course, I know people who are also the opposite of that, like, well, that all sounds great, but I got to get my bills paid and, you know, like the daily grind. And I'd like to be there, but I'm not there. So for people who are maybe not quite aligned with that way of thinking and being even though they they like the idea of it and they think it's possible what are you like are there is there some advice or some um 
what can you what can you share about how do we align with that new human way of being and knowing that it's all as it's meant to be and everything's coming and I don't have to like work and you know and 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 produce and all of those things so hard well I think that to be perfectly honest I don't think any of us is fully in the new human um, all the time because we at this point of transformation and transition we kind of bounce between them you know so you have your days when you're just flowing going with the flow and humming along and then other days it's like oh what happened you know (laughs) because you end up back down and you're full of anxiety and stress and um there's two simple things I do when I realize I've, I've dropped out of my new human frequency, because it is a frequency, um, is to breathe deeply. I always say to myself, do I get triggered or I get angry? Breathe, because the moment you start breathing, you're opening your heart center. And, of course, because your lungs are there where your heart is, and as you breathe deeply, it lifts and expands the heart. So the moment you start breathing deeply, you're calming down, and you're opening your heart, and it allows you to energize other aspects of your body. And then the second thing you do is to make a conscious choice to go back to the higher frequency, which is love, uh, joy, peace, acceptance, creativity. It has to be a conscious choice. And I always say to people, you will feel it in your body. When you're tight and stressed and angry, uh, you know, and you're all like this, then you're in the lower frequencies. When you're feeling everything is flowing, everything is calm, everything's moving into the right place, then you're up in the higher frequency. And of course, the great thing is that, um, we can move between them because we are um, awakened enough, whatever you want, the term you want to use, to feel which frequency, frequency we're on. This is the important thing to feel in our body where we are in terms of frequency. And we can, when we go out, we go shopping to the mall, whatever, yes, we drop, but we're conscious that we've dropped. And then we go back to where we need to be because people who are at the lower frequencies cannot do that. They can't get up because they haven't yet got the the ability, the knowledge, whatever it is. Um, they're not connected enough to move between them like we can. So it's, it's a really a privilege for us at the beginning of this process to be able to say, look, I can see, uh, I can feel what frequency I'm on and I can move myself back to where I go, where I need to go. And, and I always say to people, it's a choice. It's an intention. Um, you get to choose what frequency you want to vibrate on. You're not a victim of circumstances. And, of course, the more you choose to vibrate on higher frequency, the more you choose to be loved, uh, because I always call uh, DNA is called the book of love, comes from Mary Magdalene's teachings, that as we write our lives and it's recorded in the DNA, it is meant to be the history of how we express love on the earth. So the moment we drop out of the frequency of love, we are not writing our story of love anymore. We're doing something else. So we have to keep reminding ourselves to come back to love and be at that frequency of love, whether it's love for others or love for ourselves, where we're nurturing ourselves and caring for ourselves and making choices that are good for ourselves. But we have to be on that frequency in order to start 
creating the story of love in our life because that's ultimately what the new earth human is about. It's about creating stories of love, adventures of love, uh, and doing away with the old low-level miscreations uh, that resulted from our, our drop of frequency from where we were originally because we were created as to be human angels in a, in a human container and then dropped into this belief that we were just humans. And now we're coming back into the understanding that we are in fact human angels and more that we are evolving into galactic cosmic beings who are in physical form for now, uh, but enjoying the possibilities of this physical form. Because I think I always say to myself, this is just the beginning, this understanding, because I believe that once we know how to drive the DNA, <laughs> the word, you know, uh, how we can connect with it, work with it, we can do the most amazing things. We can do miracles. And this was how Jesus and Mary Magdalene, I believe too, did miracles on the earth because they were fully uh, connected to their physical form and the DNA within it and were able to draw on that power from spirit, of course, from uh, the codes and the energies, but through the physical body to create uh, miracles on earth. And I think that we can do the same once we're fully connected and we understand and we feel into, because I don't think it's a, an understanding thing rather than a feeling of how this consciousness flow actually works and how we can start manifesting with it and co-creating with it in, in much more powerful ways than we've had access to in the past. Mm. So, you know, that, that is um, part of the, for me, the excitement of where we are now. Because although it's a difficult time, you know, wow, the energies are really coming through. And I've noticed that a lot of light workers are also leaving the planet at the moment. It's, it's amazing hearing about this one's gone and that one's gone. Uh, because there's this huge change and a lot of people have finished their mission and because the mission took them to New Earth and they, and they had decided that they would not stay for that next phase. They were going back into spirit once it had happened. So this is what's happening now. We've taken the step into New Earth. It's definitely here. And we have the, the privilege of discovering or rediscovering who we are in this physical form and that we are indeed tremendously powerful because I, you know, I know it's very popular to say today that, you know, everything you need is within you. You don't have to go outside of you. And that really is true because it's within you, in your cells and in your DNA. And it's, it's deep there within you. So everything you need to know is in either in your DNA records in, in the physical body or it's in your soul Akasha and the access that your soul has to the cosmos. So whatever you need to know, you have access to um, through this combination of aspects that is you, the body, soul, and spirit. Mm, wonderful. Um, so something I want to kind of unpack in that is the idea that, you know, some people are really living in new earth 
experience and consciousness while other people, and I alluded to this, you know, in my last question, other people are, are not feeling it there. Do you, you know, some people say there's a split. Some people say it's just different dimensions of reality that we're experiencing. And as we ascend our consciousness and our awareness and our bodies, we're able to live in this higher frequency. Do you see that as something that's side by side or is it a like an earth split? Is it a, is it a parallel timeline? How do you see that? Listen, I see it in a quantum way. I believe that uh, we can live in different frequencies and in different dimensions as it were but we're in the same space. So we're all living on planet Earth. <laughs> some of us are living in the lower frequency. Some of us are living in the higher frequencies. Some of us are living in new Earth. Some are living in an alternative Earth. Some are still struggling around in the old Earth. And all these things are happening in the same space uh, because it's a quantum space. And um, we're all activating. So that's why we have to, that's what's so exciting about it. You know, in this game, we get to be on different levels all at the same time. And we have to be aware of, of where we are and what level we're on because we don't want to get dragged down and get stuck in the bottom again, you know. So it's constantly being aware of the fact that there are these different uh, dimensional levels, whatever you want to call them, frequency levels, coexisting in the same space. And that's why it is difficult for people to fully enter the new earth consciousness because uh, we're so used to being in the old patterns and the old thought forms in the lower level. So we get pulled into them so easily because they're, they're all around us still. So we have to focus on, okay, no, I want to be at this, this other level. I want to be in this higher frequency. And as I said, the, the passageway to that is through gratitude, love, um, flow of, of divine energies to be with that rather than the lower energies of the ego and the aggression and the anxiety and the fear and all those stories that go on. Because at the lower levels, um, there's a real connection to drama, you know, dramas of all sorts, family dramas, national dramas, global dramas, whatever drama you can think of. It's, it's fueling life on the lower levels. But when you get to the higher levels, the new earth, you find it's calmer. Um, people are... Uh, more loving, more connected to each other, and are more focused on trying to create or actually creating or trying actually creating the new earth energy. I do think that though, as we progress further, we will continue to ascend, uh, which means move or access higher frequencies. Um, and maybe not everyone is coming on that journey. So it's possible that at some point there will be a separation of frequencies and that the new earth will move off and be the new earth and the old earth will, or the alternative earth will go off and be the alternative earth somewhere else. And um, because that's what it seems that people are seeing uh, when they do um, hypnosis therapies or whatever, um, they see a new earth where there are less people and uh, it's it's very beautiful and very calm and very tranquil. That's what they see. Mm -hmm. And if you think, now, how are we going to get from here to there uh, without trauma? Because Archangel Michael always says to me that the new earth is not about trauma. It's not about large amounts of people being killed and, and, and disasters and whatever. It's about a, a graceful transition 
So it's possible that at some point there will be this, this separation of dimensions that um, we notice already, uh, but we can move between them. But maybe in the future we won't be able to move between them so easily and they will separate out completely, mm. possibly. But, you know, I, I'm not predicting. What I'm saying is we have to see how it evolves. We don't know. It's an ongoing creation, evolution, and we're creating it together. So we have to see, you know, does everyone come with or do some go somewhere else or, or what happens in this ongoing creation? Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you're, you're describing this. And, um, so a question that, that I have around that is, you know, a lot of people, this has been coming up a lot in a lot of conversations lately with me, for me, um, is the collective that it takes a certain number of the collective of humanity to have the new earth experience and the moving up as a collective versus as an individual and not that we shouldn't do our individual work, but that there really is a almost like a tipping point or the hundredth monkey effect where when a certain body of humanity is ready, what's your perspective on that? Well, I feel that um, it's obvious that not everyone's going up at this point, Mm -hmm. but also that it's also obvious that when a person does reach this higher level, send whatever you want to call it, they become incredibly powerful. And as we know, the ascension process is not about individuals, it's about communities. So when you get a community of people working together at this powerful level, um, it becomes evident that powerful things are going to happen, you know. So I don't know how many monkeys you need, you know, whether it's 99 monkeys or 102, um, but when you get a, a quorum of people who are working at this level, but I still feel that we as um, light workers or whatever you want to call us, new earth humans, we haven't yet realized what we're working with. We're still thinking because we're thinking um, and we're not fully conscious of this powerful mechanism that we have, this bioorganic quantum computer that is our physical body. And once we start switching on what we can do with this thing and and the combination of soul and spirit and physicality will do the most amazing things. But at the moment, we're still in like a box and we haven't sort of seen what is possible um, because it's it's been so long since we were connected in this way. And also there's new energies coming in all the time. So my feeling is that very soon, we're going to start waking up to the miraculous within us in, in ways that we haven't felt before. And I don't, I'm not talking about, um, particularly about, um, what are the things that people consider to be like being psychic and, and astral traveling and whatever. I, I don't think it's going to be those, those are the old things. I think there's going to be something that we open to, um, about how incredible we are. And it may well be connecting fully with galactics um, and, and realizing how we can bring them into our reality without having to get in a spaceship and go there uh, because we can we can do this with consciousness and um, by connecting up uh, through these grids that we have access to because when we understand fully the DNA's function, 
with the, the light grids and the sacred geometries. We can actually travel anywhere we want to in consciousness on the grids um, simply by this process of um, entrainment, uh, focus, intention, whatever. There's so much that's available to us and to, to acquire information, uh, visit places, connect with beings and then bring that back into uh, our physical reality in ways that can be really um, beneficial for us in, in establishing the new earth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the past we've been so, what's the word I want, almost trapped by this belief system, uh, you know, that says some of these beings are evil and some of them want to do this and some of them are that. And, and we, so we're all anxious and frightened and we sort of have closed ourselves off from the magnificence of what we can do when we connect with our galactic reality and connect with our cosmic being. And the fact that, as I said earlier, everything we need to know is within us. We just need to take a deep dive in and then go out into the cosmos and experience um, who we are and what we can do. And I think that is going to be the moment when we suddenly realize, wait a minute, this is what we've been working towards for so long. Um, It's going to be... That's going to be the hundred monkeys light bulb moment. Because um, I'm not waiting for spaceships to land or, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be a consciousness connection of some in some way that makes us truly understand what it means to be galactic and how we can connect with uh, this galactic family that we work with. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that ties into this show so well, the summit of the, you know, the star seeds, the walk-ins, the new humans. And part of that is the, the hybrid consciousness and the, the ET. Well, you know, that's kind of maybe an old fashioned word, but the ultra terrestrials or how, whatever we wanted, the light beings, how, when we, they actually are us, right? At a, at a higher level or at, at, at a, maybe if it's a different timeline. All galactic levels, yeah. And how, when we open up that communication, that gives us the, what we need to evolve into the new human. And, you know, it's already in us. It's a matter of expanding to open up to and allow that communication and information to come through, which I understand is uniquely tied to the DNA. As we're activating yeah, okay. the DNA, we're able to receive that consciousness because we have to move beyond the mind and stop using our mind as a reference point we have to think with the the body with the whole body with the dna and only then when we can switch off the mind and use the computer the, the organic quantum computer that we can then start moving outwards i also you know you mentioned um different aspects of ourselves that i mentioned time uh, sorry, I mentioned space as being quantum, that we're in the same space at the same time. But we're also in multiple timelines and future, past, present. It's all quantum. It's all one. So not just only is the space thing a bit weird and flexible, but we're also weird and flexible in terms of time. You know, there, there is no time. We're in past, present, future, whatever, all at the same time. So there's so much going on that your mind can never, ever, begin to comprehend what's going on. So I think the mind was given to us to to deal with 
our life on earth, on, on the surface reality, you know, so that we can get up and eat and go to work or do whatever we do, um, sleep and, and do human life. This is what the mind was for. But unfortunately, the mind has taken over everything and now it wants to control everything. But before that, we had um, this DNA system. Now, we think about, we talk about the Stone Age as though it was something terribly primitive because they didn't have writing or civilization. But what they did have was this incredible connection with the earth itself and with the cosmos. They didn't need writing. They didn't need cities because they were connected in to everything, all that was, all that is, all that will be. So um, one of the things that I've been working with, too, is the rediscovery of how ancient humans are on the earth. We've been here hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions, in some form. All the Homo sapiens has only been here, I don't know how long, about 35, 40,000 years. But we go back uh, much longer than that. You know, we were taught we were created by God 4,000 years ago. I was taught that in school. So I'm thinking, okay, we've only been here 4,000 years, you know. And that goes back to the Egyptians and the Sumerians and writing and civilization. And that's it, you know, like what a mess. But when we discover that actually we go back, way, way back, and that our original ancestors were shamans and galactic travelers and did all sorts of magical things uh, with the earth and on the earth, and that that knowledge of what, what we were before is still inside of us. If we want to, we can find out what they did and how they traveled. But of course, we have to acknowledge that we have this ancestral line. It doesn't end 4,000 years ago, you know, that we actually go back way back. And that if you take it even further back, that that was the moment when we were angelic beings or galactic beings, beings of light. And that we came to the earth to start this adventure here. And we started off maybe as one-celled organisms or birds or fish or whatever. And so we evolved and there was a flow of energy and how we are today. I mean, what an adventure, you know. But uh, we have to be open to understanding or feeling, understanding not a good word, feeling it, feeling it in ourselves. And I think um, a lot of us are feeling it in ourselves at night when we're sleeping. We have these weird dreams. I used to have these I wouldn't call, I would call them weird, but they were so boring. I used to dream that I was traveling, I was traveling and I was meeting people, but it wasn't exciting. It was just ordinary people, you know, I'm thinking like, why every night am I just meeting people? And then I realized it was a, a kind of holographic metaphor for galactic traveling. It's going out of my body and into the galaxy and meeting with, um, because some of these people were people who were dead already. I knew that they weren't alive. So I was meeting with spirits and souls and, and beings and maybe plotting and planning for the new earth, who knows. But I think our dream states often tell us a lot about what's going on in our DNA. Mm -hmm. So we're having to learn to do what our ancestors did, uh, look at our dreams, um, meditate, astral travel, you know, in that way, get, go into consciousness. And you can travel down your DNA timelines. You can travel out into the galaxy. Uh, all of this can be done when you park your body in uh, park mode and go into uh, quantum computer mode where you're, you're running the DNA and, and going through all the records that are in you and that take you out into uh, 
other aspects of yourself, other aspects, because we are all the one. We all come from the divine. So everything we travel through, everything we experience, takes us back to that one original uh, impulse that is the divine heart, which is also our heart. You know, so we're in this incredibly complex, wonderful, simple, joyful experience that is, has reached the point where we're understanding and feeling and moving into a much closer connection with all of this. And we're calling it ascension and we're feeling it in our bodies because our bodies are, are just waking up and going like, what is this? I haven't felt this for a long time. So it's it's a, an amazing experience that we have. And yes, the DNA is central to that. We cannot, I would go so far as to say, we cannot ascend without the DNA coming with this world because everything that we need for the ascension process in order to connect and, 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 and feel, uh, comprehend, understand is in our DNA. Yeah, so... You know, there, as you're talking, I have a quandary that came up. I, I'd love to ask you about, um, you know, you're talking about how we used to, in our lineage or our ancestors, had these mystical gifts and they were more awakened and more more activated. Maybe their DNA was fully functioning. Do you have a perspective on what happened that we sort of devolved into not having all of our gifts activated anymore well yeah life on earth is an experiment it's, it's a an angelic creation so we arrived on earth and well, it's, this is something new it's, it's difficult it's different and of course there were uh, family squabbles about uh, how we were going to do this and some angels decided to do it this way and some angels said let's do it that way and the one bunch said let's drop frequency and when they dropped frequency, they started fighting with each other and fighting with humans. So we did, as a species, drop frequency. And I think this was when Homo sapiens was actually created. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go back to the story of the Anunnaki and all that, um, they weren't creating us. They created a form of us called Homo sapiens. And they were able to manipulate this. But, of course, only so far, because even though we're Homo sapiens, we have within our DNA the original template that was created by spirit for life on earth. And what we've been doing in the ascension process is reactivating that original template so that we can, again, reconnect with what we knew before. Because although we dropped frequency and we went into some dark corners and alleyways in our evolution, we never lost what was inside of us. And when we can accept that in the Stone Age, so-called, we weren't primitive savages. We were actually closer to our magical angelic forms than we are today. Yeah. We can start exploring that, that part of ourselves and connecting with that part of ourselves. That we've been manipulated to believe that that was, you know, something we need to move away from because it wasn't civilized and it was uh, animal, uh, you know, because it was just because of Darwin. We've come to believe that. We were just animals in that period, and that's why, you know, so, no, we were we were part of a creation uh, by angelic forces through divine plan, through divine um, plan, divine impulse, intention to create a form on the earth in material 
that would be able to embody the soul and the angelic aspect and the divine aspect and still be in material form. And that is what the new earth is about, to have a material being that is also a galactic cosmic divine being at the same time and that we can create and interact and co-create together without forgetting who we are and to do so in the frequency of love and to stay in that frequency of love, not to drop down because it might be more interesting, you know, down the bottom where we can do some dramatic things which are very dramatic but are not in the frequency of love. So we're, we're going back into that, that wonderful. So, you know, I always think of it like going back to the original template, but activating the new humans so that we're still evolving. We're not going backwards, as it were. We're actually going forward, but in this moment, integrating all that has been and all that will be into who we are right now mm-hmm. at this moment, which is a divine human angelic being, which is just so amazing and exciting um, mm. to realize. And, and as I said earlier, have to have the DNA with us because that is where we keep our holographic records and our, and our experiences of life on earth that we can connect with our soul energies and our soul records of life in the galaxy and our divine connection. Mm. So yes. That's why the time is so exciting for us. Yeah, I agree. It really is. And, you know, I'm really, I'm feeling it. I know many of the people that I've been speaking to and spending time with are also really feeling these energies. And it, you can't help but be excited about the possibility of, oh, you know, what we're, what we're stepping into and evolving into. So, um, this, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Um, Celia, I'd love for you to share. You have a free gift for the the audience. I'd love for you to share about that. It's a recording. Uh, what I'm going to be doing uh, tomorrow, I'll be making it. I'm going to do a, a, a visualization activation with Archangel Michael, but to help people to activate their original template, to activate the DNA, and then activate their new human template so that it will be easier for them to to work with these energies in the ascension process as we move into this new earth. So that will be available for people. Um, I'll put it on Vimeo, and people can connect into it from the, the free gift section. Wonderful. Yes, I'll have links to that in the, in the show notes and, the, and your speaker page. Um, wow, this whole, this whole conversation has been fascinating. Is there anything that you would like to leave the, the listeners with before we end? Um, final thoughts? I think that, uh, you know, as Archangel Michael always says to me, just remember it's an adventure. It's meant to be fun. You know, don't, it's difficult to say we, we see so much uh, suffering on the earth. Um, but that, that we're meant to be here to enjoy our creations. And so to, to try to relax and, and enjoy and create and to step into this new reality and knowing that when that happens, when we step into that new reality and we anchor into the frequency of love, then because it's a quantum story, the suffering drops away. It never has been mm-hmm. because it never was in the frequency of love. This is the most amazing paradox. 
that all the suffering and anguish and negativity that has been part of the past will no longer exist because it doesn't exist at that frequency yeah. that we're moving towards. Yeah. So, you know, why spend your time in a frequency that's going to disappear soon? <laughs> Rather move into frequency of love where you have the ability to create a future that is filled with the things that you want to experience and enjoy. So this is such a powerful, such a loving moment for us all. Mm. Yes, that was so beautiful. Thank you. And I love thinking of the DNA as the book of love. That's so perfect for this time. Thank you so much, Celia. It's been delightful. And this the time flies <laughs> talking to you. Your wealth of information. And I appreciate everything you've shared so much. So thank you so much for, for all that you've um, shared with us today and your and your free gift as well. Been wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much. Mm, Bye-bye. My pleasure. Yes. And to everyone watching and listening, thank you for tuning in. Um, go download Celia's free gift. That sounds amazing. And have a wonderful day or evening wherever you are. Namaste. Oh, good. We did it. We yeah. got through that. I just took a couple of notes. Yeah, Remember, it's an adventure. It was meant to be fun. That's right. Enter into the frequency of love. All the suffering, the anguish, and everything going with that stuff is going to be gone. So, it's gone already as we decide. And it all depends on how we look at it, so... Did you look up that Vimeo free gift? No, I did not do that. Well, we're not going to do that now, but take a look on Vimeo, everybody. There's a free gift. Yeah. A visualization activation with Archangel Michael. Okay. So now we're going to Mr. Billy Carson. This is 1 hour, 24 minutes, and 27 seconds. So if we get started right now, are you ready, Irma? Mm. Could the God of the Bible really be Satan? Let's reserve our thoughts on that till we listen. Oh. Very interesting. <coughs> are you ready? Yeah, I'll just say Anki and then Will are involved in that sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just... Uh, Listen to all the statements here. Right now, we might get finished on time. Maybe. We are live. What's happening? Billy Carson here, a.k.a. Forbidden Knowledge. Glad to see everyone in here. I see the chat room is already chomping and jumping. (laughs) People are in there kicking it, um, waiting to hear what I got to say tonight. So thank you for coming on tonight. I really appreciate you guys. I am live on multiple platforms, both Twitter accounts, uh, three Facebook pages, a personal Facebook account, LinkedIn, and, of course, YouTube. All right? So thank you for joining. We uh, I appreciate every single one of y'all for taking the time tonight to come on to this live podcast. It's going to be an interesting topic tonight. <clears throat> really interesting. <clears throat> going to be talking about uh, the God of the Bible. Okay? The God of the Bible, and it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm going to be talking about, could that be Satan? 
And I'm going to bring you some very compelling evidence directly from the Bible. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of the Sumerian tablets as well and who these potential people are that we're talking, that we're calling, that they are calling God, the creator of the universe and all things, all knowing, omnis- omniscient, omnipotent and all these things. Right. <clears throat> so it's going to be an interesting talk. Uh, see, Hey, what's up, Jackie Catlett in the, in the chat? The chat's filling up. Boss Hogs in there. Jonathan Harvey. All right. It's going to be a great, great talk tonight. <clears throat> Giving everybody just a couple of minutes to get in here. Meanwhile, I'm going to start my shameless plug before we get going <laughs> because I learned early on, get the shameless plugs out of the way in the very beginning. But, uh, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen and we're going to get this PowerPoint presentation started and, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting talk. Make sure you share this video. Please share this video with everyone um, that you know. If you can, start sharing it on Facebook uh, or wherever you can share it. Text it to people, whatever. we got to get people on this live. They need to be on here. They need to hear what i got to say tonight. Go get all the Christians. Round up all the Christians. They need to learn something tonight. I'm going to take them to school. I'm going to take them to the Bible school they never went to. That's going to be right now. We're getting ready to crank this thing up. All right. <clears throat> so let me get this PowerPoint up here. And uh, make sure we got it all set up. The sound's working good, which is phenomenal. And so now I can go ahead and share my screen again. <clears throat> Here we go. I see everybody filling up. Make sure you guys click the like button. Don't forget to click that like button, please. That's going to get the algorithm going properly so we can get seen out here. All right. Very important to click that like button. So please click the like button. Uh, very, very important. All right. So, of course, shameless plugs, my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. Some of the information I'm going to share with you tonight is also can can be also correlated in my book Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. It's available on Amazon. It's a, it's a bestseller in five countries right now. Okay, it's been translated into a lot of different uh, languages. It's also a bestseller in Japan, and that is the QR code right there. If you want to get the book, uh, you can go check that out. Woke doesn't mean broke. My other bestseller. It's a bestseller in four countries right now. Okay. Financial Literacy, 688 pages. If you want to find out more about this book and what's the contents, the contents of this book and what it can do to help you with your life and your financial literacy and help you build a legacy and help you understand how to combine spirituality with navigating the financial matrix, make sure you go to ForbiddenKnowledge.com or Amazon.com or use the QR code there as well. If you want to get free subscription to Forbidden Knowledge TV, get a free trial. Make sure you scan this QR code or go to 4BK.TV. We have over 6,000 shows up there and counting. Brand new, high-quality, uh, mainstream media-type level production on Forbidden Knowledge TV and growing every single day. And, of course, the brand-new documentary comes out next week, Black Knight Satellite, Beyond the Signal, coming exclusively to Forbidden Knowledge TV. You don't want to miss that. We have our social media app, Unite the 99. If you want to 
get on this app and start sharing content without algorithms, without suppression, uh, without oppression, <laughs> and you want to be able to meet people, you can get this app. Uh, it's Unite the 99 on your app store, or you can scan this QR code. We're posting great content in there daily. And, of course, a lot of people know you can invest in forbidden knowledge, but there's only 24 hours left, okay, 24 hours. This was five days ago when I made this, when I screenshot this, but there's only, if you go to the site now, you see there's only 24 hours left for you to get shares of forbidden knowledge. And because we're rolling, as we made our press release, we're going to roll everything into a NASDAQ, which is first quarter of the year. Uh, so this, this round two is ending in 24 hours. Here you can see Yahoo Finance forbidden knowledge is going public. This is a great opportunity. You don't want to miss out. You have 24 hours to get shares for only a dollar fifty. Uh, if you understand what that means, then you'll you'll do it. Okay, great opportunity. If you want to become a shareholder, use this QR code or go to ForbiddenKnowledge.com. Click on Invest and learn more. Uh, get the offering statement, download the prospectus, whatever you want to do. Research it, study it. But if you are smart, get some shares before it closes in 24 hours. If you want to attend all of my free workshops for the rest of the year, make sure you go to eventbrite.com and type my name in and go to all my free workshops and events. Okay. Totally free. Doesn't cost you any money. Uh, and, uh, they're all available to watch on Forbidden Knowledge TV. I stream them live on my TV network. You can get that QR code right here and go to uh, register for all the free workshops and events. A lot of great ones coming up. Let this salt mineral melt in your mouth to rebuild your gums and teeth and never need a dentist again. People are fixing their receding gum. And we just gave away the first giveaway in a while yesterday. We gave away a free Apple TV for people that text us. Text hashtag giveaway to 954-245-0086. That's hashtag giveaway to 954-245-0086. No purchase necessary. This month we're giving away a iMac, I'm uh, sorry, a MacBook Pro, not an iMac, a MacBook Pro this month at the end of the month. So just a random person will be selected and they'll get the MacBook Pro. We just ask that you allow us to get you on a live video, take a photo, tag us, allow us to put you, put you up on our Forbidden Giveaways Instagram account. All right. We're going to get right into it, guys. So thank you for allowing me to spend that time with that. Now let's talk a little bit about the uh this these this pantheon that came to earth there's a couple of really interesting gods lowercase g that came here the first one is anu now he wasn't the first one here but he was considered to be the fatherhead or the lord god he was over the main gods that came to this planet his name was anu a n u hence the name that was that humans gave them, the Anunnaki, okay, Anu. So they gave still credit to Anu as the fatherhead or the god figure. He mostly ruled from space or from the sky or from heaven, as the ancient text said. And Anu had sons, okay? His sons were Enki and Enlil. Enki and Enlil. 
Now, these two play a huge part in history and in a lot of the information that, uh, that I'm talking about today. Now, these people, these three, are considered gods. They were deified by the peoples of Earth. They uh, masqueraded as gods, except for en- uh, Enki, E.R. Enki. He kind of had a certain level of empathy and sympathy for human beings. Uh, he even married a human being. He used to have sex with human beings. Um, he had a baby by a human being. You know, he, he uh, one of his uh, relationships resulted in a baby named Zizudra, who's actually Noah in the modern-day Bible. And so that, that story is copied from the Epic of Gilgamesh. However, these people uh, were not gods. They were flesh and blood, blood people. They weren't multidimensional people. They weren't some from, from some other universe. These were people that walked around just like we do. They put on a pants, their pants one leg at a time, right? Uh, uh, you know, or they're killed, they pull it up over their hips, whatever. But they were knowledgeable. They had advanced technology. They had wisdom beyond what, what, we, what we had. Uh, they knew about genetics and, and how to modify genetics. They knew about chemistry. They knew about alchemy. They knew about quantum physics and quantum mechanics. They understood uh, planetary alignments. They understood navigation through stars as, as left behind by some of these Sumerian tablets that depict star maps and from one star to another. So this is information left behind that it's not coming from Billy Carson's brain. It's coming from what they left behind as records for us to learn from and to understand exactly what went on in the ancient past. Now, what's interesting is these two were at odds with each other. You have on the right-hand side, you have uh, Enlil. Now, this guy is uh, was given control of Earth, even though his brother, Enki, was the Earth was named after him. His name is E-A, capital E, capital A, space, Enki. Uh, now, Ki uh, is the name for Earth in ancient times, and Ea was the beginning of his name. So it became over time, Earth, E-A-R-T-H, E-A for the beginning honoring Enki, and Ki turning into E-A-R-T-H, so it became Earth. But Earth is uh, really named after Enki. Just so you can know, if you go back into the tablets, you discover this. Now, he was supposed to be ruling over Earth, but there is no real true information as to why he wasn't given the true full power as his brother Enlil. Enlil ended up ruling and running the planet, superseding him, and he actually had to operate underneath, as far as the totem pole go, of power. He was underneath Enlil, even though he wasn't supposed to be. There's no real understanding as to why. We could never find it. Nobody's ever found it yet as to why that happened. But that's the way it happened. Now, Enki was a scientist, an astrophysicist, a geneticist. And Lil was more of a battle king ruler uh, and also an engineer and uh, architect. Okay. And so, uh, and Lil uh, created this place called Eden in Mesopotamia. E-D-I-N. And in this Eden, it was an outdoor laboratory with this huge gate and guards, armed guards surrounding it, as evidenced in the Apocrypha text. So if you read the book of Adam, you discover that there were armed guards at the gates to Eden. 
and those armed, those armed guards would prevent you from leaving or prevent you from coming in. Uh, okay. And it was, uh, it wasn't like, uh, Hey, you can't come here. It was like, if you come over here, we're going to kill you. And you can read all of that in the, that's a whole nother podcast. Read the book of Adam in the, from the apocrypha. It was left out of the Bible on purpose because, uh, it's too brutal. Uh, Adam, Adam even tries to commit suicide a couple times. But anyway, because he's so distraught about as what he figured out what happened and who, who they really were. That's in the Apocrypha text. You can get the complete Apocrypha or you can get the PDF files online. I, t- I typically don't like downloading PDF files from the internet because you don't know what's been altered. I like to get the actual physical book in my hand. That's what I like to do. Okay. And so you have these two guys here. Eden's been, uh, Eden's been created. Uh, and you have uh, a lot of these beings coming through in and out that they've been working with creating. So they started with cloning the existing hominid on this planet and using this cloning technique, which would create a worker, but then it would fail because the worker would die early, would die die rapidly, uh, and also the worker could not reproduce. Right? It's like trying to make a you know trying to you know once you made a made a, a donkey or a mule with a horse, the offspring can't have any babies. So whatever splicing technique they used to do this, the failure point was that they couldn't re- they couldn't reproduce, and it was a lot of work to keep creating more and more of these offspring the manual way. So they came up with an idea. Uh, their sister did actually. Uh, she said, "You know what? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the baby to term myself." So that was the solution. So what she did was she took one of the hominids. Uh, from the, from the captured people that were in the Eden, right, in the, in the laboratory. She took an egg out of the woman and added the essence, uh, to it, which means they probably genetically modified it or added some DNA or whatever they did. She made a zygote in modern terms, what we would call a zygote, inserted it into her womb during her menses and then took the baby to full term 10 months, according to the tablets, 10 months. And then Adam was born, the first genetically modified what they called per- to perfection uh, human being, homo sapien. So homo sapien, people were already here. Millions of people were on this planet long before Adam even arrived. So forget that Adam was first and Eve was first and then they were, you know, they had, no. There were people here already and I covered that in a previous video, but to add credence to that, after Cain killed Abel, he actually told God that, uh, which was really in Lil, that, you know, the people out there are going to kill me. What people are out there? And he told them, no, they won't kill you. I'll put a mark on you so they know you're my boy. And by the way, you when you get out there, you'll find your wife. So there are people already here. Many, many, many people. Adam was just one of the very first uh, genetically modified to what they considered perfection because he can listen, he can obey, he can uh, take command, uh, he can handle the workload, and as well as he can reproduce. That was important to them, Okay. And so where we have the Garden of Eden situation is where Enlil comes back after some time. And uh, while he's gone, though, before he comes back, while he's gone, I'm sorry, he goes away before he comes back. Uh, Adam and Eve, but how do we get Eve? Well, they figured out that Adam was mating with these other uh, splices that they had created, and it wasn't working. So they, they put him to sleep, and they took some of his DNA out of his bone, and they created Eve as a clone of him. And then they made it the two together and she was able to get pregnant. However, they were in the garden, um, of Eden, which is an outdoor laboratory setting. 
They had time mating sessions. It was like you were cattle. It was timed. It was okay. Now it's time for you to go mate. Okay, go back into your your area. Things like that. And they started mating mating uh, him and other people that had created like bucks, right? Just like from the slavery times. Well, anyway, Adam and Eve are in the garden and they they're talking to the serpent. Now you have to remember in ancient times the serpent represented wisdom, understanding, knowledge. It had nothing to do with evil. Anywhere you see a serpent depicted in ancient texts, tablets, cylinder scrolls, papyruses, it's about wisdom and understanding. You see the two entwined snakes make the caduceus. That's for the medical industry, right? You still see those today. It had to do with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Uh, and so the snake that came into the garden was actually Enlil's brother, Enki. He felt bad for the humans, and he wanted to, wanted to talk to Adam and Eve and let them know that they were nothing more than nothing less than them. That they had the same consciousness, they had the same uh, possibility of ascending to higher levels of consciousness and understanding. That they weren't animals, uh, and that uh, and that they themselves, who ruled over them, weren't even gods. Hold on one second, guys. Okay, I'm back. I have to do that one more time. That they themselves weren't even gods. Okay? Pretty interesting. And what that did was that caused a firestorm in their brain. They were like, wait a minute. We are like you. We're not animals. We are conscious, sentient beings that have the capability to think, feel, and create our own decisions and and have free will, just like you guys do? Yeah. Oh, man. That's when the awakening happened. And that's when they started looking for clothes and everything else. That was the serpent. The serpent had nothing to do with a snake crawling on his belly and all this other crazy foolishness. When Enlil comes back, he obviously doesn't know this happened, which is is interesting, because I'm about to read some Bible quotes in a minute. He comes back, and he, he, uh, he realizes that something's changed with these two. They done woke up. Like they really woke up. They got on clothes. You know, they understand that they're who they are now. Um, and so he gets pissed off. He gets pissed off at his brother because he realizes his brother spoke too much. Right? He violated their little, their little rule. Right? You know, don't engage with them and give them the wisdom and knowledge of who they really are. Just masquerade as a god so we can keep them under control. So what he does is he kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. The reason why he kicks them out is because if he leaves them in the laboratory, their consciousness is going to infect the other people that they have in there that are prisoners for mating purposes and experimental purposes. They're going to affect the whole, they're going to destroy the whole experiment. We got to get them out of here. These people are, they're dangerous to the experiment. We're trying to make a a doggone working army of slaves here. And this guy's going to, He's going to send a conscious virus to every single one of these people, letting them know who they really are. And they're not going to want to work for us anymore. Plus, they outnumber us. So when they figure out that they have the power in, in them to do whatever they want, we're done. So that's why he kicked him out of the garden. right? And after he kicks him out, Adam tries to commit suicide a couple of times right there in the river. It's all in the apocryphal text. And so this is pretty incredible stuff that I'm telling you. And then you have their son. Of Enlil, uh, I'm sorry, the son of one of the sons of Enki, Amun Ra. Yeah, Amun Ra, one of the sons of Enki. 
who was ended up being very, very um, evil, okay, like his uncle and Lil. So you have Amon Ra, you have Enlil, you have Anu. These three people A fight for women's freedoms 50 years in the making. We didn't back down then, and we won't back down now. We will not go back. Democrats are not backing down. They are fighting for our reproductive rights. Those are three of the main characters that are being called God in the modern-day Bible. A lot of their quotes and things that they said in the ancient Sumerian tablets made it directly into the canonized Bible text, leaving a fingerprint behind, saying, hey, this is, that's 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 them. That's not the creator of the universe. So we're going to go into this a little bit tonight, all right? I'm going to stop sharing my screen for a second because I want to read something to you real quick. We're come, going to come back to this PowerPoint in a minute, all right? Okay, is everybody here with me? Y'all, how y'all? Can you hear me good? Everything going good so far? Let me know in the chat if you guys are paying attention. Yes. <laughs> Somebody say Christ is King. You're gonna find out. Uh, that's, that's you understand bad. what Christ is? Christ is you. We're all Christ. Yeah, and until bad. you understand that, you're going nowhere. That's true. We are all the Christ. Christ never said. Jesus never said he was coming back. He said the Christ would return. And by that, he meant the consciousness, the Christ consciousness, the understanding of wisdom and ascension knowledge comes back and returns in every single person's mind. And by that method, the return is us. We are the second coming. Until you understand that, you're going nowhere. All right, good. I'm glad you guys are getting, uh, you guys are getting all this, this text. You're getting all the knowledge. You're getting the voice. That's great. Now, I'm going to read something from you for you guys real quick. Let me break open this uh, this other window real quick. I'll read a couple of verses here. This is important stuff. Because I want to establish what Christians believe. They believe in these attributes of God. There's these God attributes, which I believe exist, but not for the people in the Bible, not for the people being referenced in the Bible. But I believe these attributes are real. Let me make it clear. I'm not an atheist. I believe in a creator because I think that the quantum physics and quantum mechanics proves we're living in a creation. Now, what I'm telling you, though, is these attributes have been given to the God of the Bible, which is actually God's plural. And I'm going to show it to you in a minute. However, let's look at some of these some of these attributes. OK, let me read for you a couple things here. <clears throat> God is infinite. This is an attribute. This is from BibleStudyTools.com. BibleStudyTools.com. This is what they're teaching in Bible study. And they're backing it up with biblical verses. Okay, I'm going to show you how the Bible contradicts itself. God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. Okay. Colossians 1.7. Well, I'm sorry. Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Okay. God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. God is immutable. He never changes. Remember this, what I'm telling you right now. God is, God is immutable. He never changes. This is an important statement. 
I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob's, are not destroyed. Malachi 3, 6. I, the Lord, do not change. God is specifically saying he doesn't change. And he's calling himself a he. And they're calling him a he. Anytime you attribute gender to a creator of a universe, there's a major problem. That should be the first red flag when you call them the creator of a universe by a gender. That's really not too good, in my opinion. Third thing, God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. Hmm, really? For as the father has life in himself, so he hath granted the son also have the life in himself. John 5, 26. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. He needs nothing. This is also important. Remember this. Remember what I just said here. These are all attributes being taught every single week in Bible study. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Really? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 33, 6. He's, uh, he's omnipotent. All-powerful. All-powerful. Another very important thing to remember. These are all important things to remember, what I'm telling you here. Make sure you, 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 you remember these. Because we're going to see some things that contradict every single one of these attributes. It doesn't make any sense to me. In the Bible, the same exact Bible where these verses came from. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and therefore is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. He's all-knowing and omniscient. He says, um, from, all, from ancient times, but it's still to come, I may. My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Isaiah 46, uh, 9 through 10. Okay, God is omniscient which means he knows everything. Okay, he knows everything. He didn't know that, he didn't know his brother was talking to Adam and Eve just a minute ago <laughs> in, in the book of Genesis. He didn't even know that until he arrived. But he, but he knows everything. God is omnipresent. He is also everywhere. Now you see, that's true. The real, the real God, but not the one in the Bible. You know why God is everywhere? Because Every atom in your body is it contains the spark of the creation. So every single person, every single atom, and everything, which means a table, this microphone, my computer, this the room I'm in, the house I'm in, the carpet I'm sitting on, everything here has atoms, which means it's all God. Everything is God. Yeah. And that and by that method, God is everywhere. Well, they're referencing it as this uh, omnipresent being called He with gender. That seems to just be everywhere. Interesting. Psalms 139, 7 through 10 will tell you that statement. God is wise. He's full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. Remember this. Unchanging. It never changes. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. Romans 11.33. Remember these now. Remember these attributes, guys. God is faithful. He is infinitely, unchangingly true. Know, therefore, that the Lord, your God, is God. He's the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 7.9. Well, we're going to be looking into Deuteronomy real soon here. You get the idea? You, you understand where I'm going with this? I hope you guys remember these great attributes. These are phenomenal attributes. God is good. 
He's infinitely unchanging, kind, and full of goodwill. Okay. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Now, we got some attributes that I've just given you. It's a pretty good attribute. I got to admit, these attributes will make me jump up and around, jump up and want to scream for joy. Right? Until we start getting into this Bible and start reading it. And then everything falls apart. Until we get into this thing and start reading it and it all crumbles. Is there good stuff in the Bible that you can use in your life? Yes. I do not deny that. There's good stuff you can use in, and from, from, from a lot of places. But you have to understand when you're, when you're going and, 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 and relying on your eternity based off of this information that you don't even understand or know about, that's a big question mark. So we're going to dig in a little bit to the Gnostics and what they believe and what they had to say. Pretty interesting stuff here. Let me go back into my screen. We're going to go back in one more time. So this is Amon Ra, one of the biggest culprits that's been quoted. His quotes have made it into the Bible so many times. We're going to go over him, some of his stuff. This guy here was pure evil, pure, unadulterated evil. Every time you say amen, you're giving thanks to this guy. This is the guy that ordered amen to be a statement. Of course, it used to be Amun, but over time it became amen. But he said, when you give thanks for anything, you, you say my name at the end. You're giving thanks to this guy, the most brutal ruler of all time. And then you call it on the name of Jesus, which has no power whatsoever. Jesus means hail, hail Zeus. Okay, that's what it actually means. The guy's name is really Yeshua which translates into Joseph. It's not even close to this Asus because the J was recently added within the last hundred years. The J was just added to the name. It was Asus, and that uh, Asus, and that means Hail Zeus. has nothing to do with calling on the creator of the universe. That's why when people call on the name of Jesus, nothing happens. Where were you on March 9th, 2022, when President Biden signed the death warrant on American freedom? On that day, in a hush ceremony at the White House, without the approval of Congress, the states, or the American people, Biden signed into law. What did now, he into law? Gnosticism. Interesting. That was a propaganda ad. Uh, well, no, you didn't hear what they, what Biden signed into law. I wouldn't trust I know, him as far as I can throw him. Okay, I'm just saying, the clever politicians... Rama, you don't know what the rest of that okay. sentence was. Here we go. Let's leave it alone. Yeah. Gnosticism is the belief that human beings contain a piece of God, the highest good or a divine spark within themselves, which has fallen from the immaterial world into the bodies of humans. All physical matter is subject to decay, rotting, and death. So Gnosticism believes, what I believe, is that every single thing that exists in the in this universe has the creative spark of God itself in it. And by that means, we are all God walking in the flesh. Period. That's what it means. Okay? And now what's interesting about that is, you look at this book, you get these ancient scriptures, the Nakamadi, okay? Right. The Nakamadi scripts. 
Now, this is an incredible text. I have the revised and updated translation of sacred Gnostic texts. It includes all the codices in it. All the codices are here. The non-Kamadi scriptures. Pretty interesting. The non-Kamadi codices, the non-Kamadi library, is a collection of 13 ancient books. This is actually 13 books in one right here. 13 ancient books called the codices, containing over 50 texts, was discovered in Upper Egypt in 1945. This immensely important discovery includes a large number of primary Gnostic Gospels, texts once thought to have been entirely destroyed during the early Christian struggle to define orthodoxy. They tried to wipe this out, guys. <laughs> they didn't want you to get your hands on this information. But guess what? The light always wins. Scripture says that's the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, and the Gospel of Truth. The discovery or translation of the Nakamadi Library, initially completed in the 1970s, has provided impetus to a major reevaluation of early Christian history and the nature of Gnosticism. This is powerful stuff right here because it goes deep. And when you analyze the Gnostics and what they came to believe, they come to understand that based on the ancient teachings, that we are all God walking in the flesh, that there's only one consciousness that exists. There's only one. And that consciousness has literally divided itself into trillions and trillions of entities throughout the entire universe. And we're just a small part of that. And that we are literally picking up a frequency from this one source. And we are God walking in the flesh to, to experience what is it like to be Billy Carson? What is it like to be Mary Jane? What is it like to be John Doe? What is it like to be a blade of grass? What is it like to be a rock? What is it like to be the atoms in a microphone? Because every atom is conscious. We know this now because of quantum physics and quantum mechanics. We know that the double slit experiment proves that everything exists as a wave and then is collapsed into a solid structure based on conscious observation. And that the electrons orbiting those atoms make a decision to collapse into a solid structure from a wave based off of that. So they make a decision. That's consciousness. All electrons are conscious. And the Gnosticism, the Gnostics, they knew this thousands of years ago. They also had an understanding of a lot of the sources where a lot of the biblical texts came from. And they knew that a lot of it was copied from ancient, further deeper ancient texts and was cultivated and put together in a way to dominate and control man, to control the masses, control mankind. Because of their belief of spirituality, over religion, they used to be hunted down and killed, so they have to hide in caves to even study and practice this incredible ascension wisdom and ascension knowledge. Let's take a look at why they believe this was this uh, this uh, religious uh, version was wrong. Let's take a look at this. This is something you're not going to get in, in uh, your Bible study. They're just not going to teach you this. They're just, they're just not going to give this to you. Because they know when you get home, you ain't going to look it up. Because you know why? You're lazy. You're lazy. You're going to go to the church. You're going to sing a couple of hymns. You're going to jump around, yada, 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 put the money in the plate, go home and lay down and watch the world burn. That's what you're going to do. You're not going to contribute anything to making this planet better. You're going to focus on making money. And you're going to focus on going to work. <clears throat> and, and, and that's it. That's your two things. Paying bills and going to work. That's nothing else for you to do. 
I went, I paid my dues. I went to the church. I dropped my money in the plate. I jumped up and down. I got sweaty. And now I'm good to go. I, I beg for my forgiveness, and now I'm good to go. <laughs> Murder and rape and pillaging. This is in the Bible. Judges 21.10 through 24. So they sent this. Now, keep in mind, remember those attributes I read in the beginning, all those great attributes of God. Remember those now as, as I read this, because God is now giving commands to people. And I'm going to go into some New Testament stuff as well. So they sent 12,000 warriors to Jabesh, Gilead, with orders to kill everyone there, including women and children. This is what you are to do, they said. Completely destroy all the males and every woman who is not a virgin. How they going to know that? Among the residents of Jabesh, Gilead, they found 400 young virgins who had never slept with a man. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. The Israelite assembly sent a peace delegation to the little remnant of Benjamin who were there living at the Rock of Remnants. Then the men of Benjamin returned to their homes and their 400 women of Jabesh Gilead who were spared were given to them as wives. So they took these women, they abducted them, found out they were virgins. Okay, now you're going to marry, you're going to be the wives of these dudes over here who you don't even know. But there were not enough women for all of them. The people felt sorry for Benjamin because the Lord had left his gap in the tribes of Israel. So the Israelite leaders asked, how can we find wives for a few who remain since all the women of the tribe of Benjamin are dead? Yeah, because he killed them. There must be heirs for the survivors so that an entire tribe of Israel will not be lost forever. But we cannot give them uh, our own daughters in marriage because we have sworn with Solomon an oath, I swore to Solomon oath, that anyone who does this will fall under God's curse. Then they thought of the annual festival of the Lord held in Shiloh between Lebanon and Bethel along along the east side of the road that goes down from Bethel to Shechem. They told the men of Benjamin who still needed wives, go and hide in the vineyards. Go and hide in the vineyards. When the women of Shiloh come up for, uh, out for their dances, rush out to the vineyards and each of you take one and take them to, and be your wife. That's Stalking and abduction. And then their fathers and brothers come to us in protest. When they, when their fathers and brothers come to us in protest, we will tell them, please be understanding. Let them have your daughters, for we didn't find enough wives for them when we went and destroyed Jabesh Gilead. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Here's more murder and rape and pillage of the Midianites. They attacked the Midian just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord commanded Moses. They killed all the men, all five of the Midnight Kings, Ebi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, died in the battle. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. Then the Israelite army captured the Midnight women and children and seized their cattle and flocks and all their wealth as plunder. They burned all the towns and villages where the Midnights had lived after they had gathered the plunder and captives, both people and animals. They brought them all to Moses and Eleazar, the priest, and the whole community of Israel, which was camped on the plains of Moab beside Jordan River across from Jericho. Moses, Eleazar, the priest, and all the leaders of the people who went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was furious with all the military commanders who had returned from the battle. Why have you let all the women live? He demanded. Why have you let all the women live? This is the guy who gave you the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou should not kill, right? 
They are very one. They are the very ones who followed Balaam's advice and caused the people of Israel to rebel against the Lord at Mount Peor. In other words, they didn't want to believe on the foolishness that they were given. They are the ones who caused the plague to strike the Lord's people. Oh, really? Okay. Sounds like uh, the sickness that we just had. Now kill all the boys, all the women who have slept with a man. Only the young girls who are virgins may live. You may keep them for yourselves. Oh, you can kill everybody, but if you find any virgins, make sure you keep them because they're good. Clearly, Moses had God's approval of rape of virgins. This is your Bible. How come you're not reading this on Bible study day? More rape in Deuteronomy. More murder and rape and pillage in Deuteronomy 20, 10 through 14. As you approach a town to attack, this is God telling these people, first offer its people terms for peace. Why are you even coming to attack? Good. These people are going to attack people who they don't even know. Now let me explain why they're attacking, by the way. When God is ordering these wars to happen, these are things to these people to attack these other other villages, you gotta understand it's God's plural. When you go to the original translation of the word God in the Bible, you find that it's God's with an S, not singular. It's plural. And the gods is Enki and Lil and Nu uh and uh and uh and Amun Ra, also known as Marduk in the in the Jewish Torah. Okay? And also in the Sumerian tablet says Marduk. Interesting. These people are fighting against each other and the other relatives that have been given land and, and rulership over people in different areas. And in some areas where there was no ruler, they were just going over and taking over the people's land and divvying up the land between themselves. But the order was to go through murder and killing. And so when they tell, when Enlil would tell, also known as Yahweh in the Bible, would tell these people to go do this, they're thinking God is telling them to go kill people. But this ain't the creator of the universe. This is a guy that puts on his pants one leg at a time and takes a piss the same way I do. <laughs> As you approach the town to attack, it first offers people terms for peace. If they accept your term and open the gates, then all the people inside will serve you in forced labor. In other words, oh, they're going to knock on your door, by the way. Then, oh, I'm here under the order of God. And he told me to come here and let you guys know if you don't want to be our slaves, we're going to have to kill you even, you, you, even though you don't even know who the hell we are, and we don't know, don't, don't know who the hell you are. But we're going to have to kill you anyway. I know we don't know each other, but if you don't become my slave, I'm going to have to kill you. So save the Lord. But if the terms, okay, so here you go. But if they refuse to make peace and prepare to fight, you must attack the town. When the Lord your God hands it over to you, kill every man in the town. But you may keep for yourselves... All the women, the children, the livestock, and all the plunder. You may enjoy the spoils of your enemies that the Lord God has given you. Does that sound like the attributes I read in the beginning of this video? Now remember, God is unchanging according to these Bible studies and according to the verses that I read. So God is the same all the time. <laughs> He's good all the time. It's the same God now that today that was that was at this time. There's no difference. There's no change. Look at the state of the planet right now. Look at all the wars going on right now. Do you think this is from the creator of the universe or from a him, he, gender-based mind energy? Yeah. I think you get the point. 
Laws of rape, Deuteronomy 22, 28 through 29. If a man is caught in the act of raping a young woman who is not engaged, he must pay 50 pieces of silver for her, to her father. Then he must marry the young woman. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you, God. You mean if I if I rape a woman and I can pay a couple shekels, then I can go ahead and have her as my wife if I decide to. Oh, man. Thank you. You, you know. I appreciate that. Ain't he good all the time? He's so good. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? If a man is caught in the act of raping a young woman who is not engaged, he must pay 50 pieces of silver to her father. Then he must marry the young woman because he has violated her. Oh, you got to marry her now. You know what I mean? Abducted and everything. And he will never be allowed to divorce her. Oh, man, you got to keep her forever. But you can, you can still cheat on her, though. Don't worry about that. We got you with your concubines and all that, you know. What kind of lunatic would make a rape victim marry the attacker? Hmm? But you remember the attributes that I that I read to you when we started this video. All of a sudden, these attributes just they are not in alignment. We're talking about people here. We're not talking about gods or the God. Sex slaves, Exodus 21, 7 through 11. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, let me read that again. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, this is in your Bible that you never read about. You know why? Because you're lazy. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she will not be freed at the end of six years as the men are. You can sell your son as a slave too, but in six years he can be freed. You need a couple dollars? Hey, have some kids. They worth a lot of money. If she does not please the man who bought her, he may allow her to be bought back again. But he is not allowed to sell her to foreigners. Don't sell her to foreigners now. You don't, don't be selling to foreigners. Don't do that. Okay? Mm -hmm. Since he is the only one who broke the contract with her. And if the slave girl's owner arranges for her to marry his son, he may no longer treat her as a slave girl, but he must treat her as his daughter. If he himself marries her, oh, you can marry the, you can marry the slave too. If he himself marries her and then takes another wife, well, they got a poly going on over here. He may not reduce her food or clothing or fail to sleep with her as his wife. If he fails in any of these ways, she may leave as a free woman without making any payment. Oh, so nice of you. Oh, Lord, so nice. God assists in rape and plunder. Zechariah 14, 1, through 12, 1 and 2. Lo, a day shall come for the Lord when the spoil shall be divided in your midst, and I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. Really, why would you do that? Because they don't want to believe in your foolishness. The city shall be taken, houses plundered, women ravished. That's the green light for rape. So God is saying the women are going to be ravished. We're going to, I'm going to allow you. I approve the rape of these women. Guys, when we go in for this mission, I want you to rape these women. But you remember the attributes that I read in the beginning. Do you remember those attributes I read to you? Yeah, yeah. He won't he do it. He's doing it all right. Seemed like he liked a lot of rape. Half the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be removed from the city. Slavery in the Bible. I got a big problem with this. Slavery is approved by everybody, even Jesus. The following passage shows that slaves are clearly property to be bought and sold like livestock. However, you may purchase a male or female slave from among the foreigners who live among you. You may also purchase the children of such resident foreigners including those who have been born in your land. 
You may treat them as your property, passing them on to your children. Oh, we're working on legacy now. <laughs> they they build a legacy back in the day. I see what they're up to. They're trying to build a legacy. You pass it on to your children as a permanent inheritance. Oh, how nice of you. You may treat your slaves like this, but the people of Israel, your relatives, must never be treated this way. Oh, now you see what's going on with the people in Israel killing the people that are on the Gaza Strip. The Palestinians, you see what's happening? They believe in this this book, what I'm reading you right now, word for word. They believe in this information I'm reading to you today, word for word, still to this very day. And they're out there with sniper guns, popping kids as they play soccer in the park. The Palestinian kids as they play soccer. They're going and robbing them and stealing their homes and taking their homes away. Right now, while we're, I'm sitting here reading to you, these people are living in turmoil by the big Christian land, the Christians. The greatest Christians on earth over there in Israel, right? That we got to give $200 million a day to and all this other foolishness. Well, these people believe in this stuff word for word. The following passage describes how Hebrew slaves are to be treated. If you buy a Hebrew slave, that's a black man, he's a servant for only six years. Set him free in the seventh year and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. But if he's a single, if he's single when he became your slave, and then married afterward, only he will go free in the seventh year. <clears throat> oh, oh, sorry, your, your wife, she got to stay. We need to keep her a little bit longer. You know what I'm saying? We need to keep her. She got some work to do around here. <clears throat> Interesting. But if he was married before he became a slave, then his wife would be free with him. If his master gave him a wife while he was a slave, and he had sons or daughters, then the man would be free in the seventh year, but his wife and children will still belong to the master. You can't go nowhere. You're free, but guess what? We're going to hold on to these this family just a little bit longer. But the slave may plainly declare, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I would rather not go free. Of course he wouldn't. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then his master must take him to the door and publicly pierce his ear with an owl. After that, the slave will belong to his master forever. You see where slavery came from? In America, you see how they, and all over the Europe, in Europe and all through the Caribbean, they believed this word for word. They took these verses and said, oh, we're allowed to have these slaves. This is normal. This is natural. They're not even human beings. We can do with them as we, as we please. We can rape them. Why do you think these slave masters to raise the, rape the women all the damn time? They, this is Ted Cruz's wet dream. Excuse my language. Keep going, Going from this book right here. This book gave them the green light to do all this foolishness. And your omniscient and your omnipotent God that you claim did nothing about it. Not one stinking thing. Jesus approved slaves. You would think that Jesus and the New Testament would have a different view of slavery because it's supposed to be a new day. It's a new dawn, a new day. But slavery is still approved in the New Testament. And the following passages will show. Slaves, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Ephesians 6, 5. Won't he do it? Christians who are slaves should give their masters full respect so that the name of God and his teaching will be, will not be shamed. If your master is a Christian, that is no excuse for being disrespectful. You should work all the harder because you are helping another believer by your efforts. 
teach these truths, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Timothy 6, 1 and 2. Yeah, that's your New Testament. Because people go, oh, well, in the New Testament, everything changed. No, it didn't. It's the same old crap, different day. Where do you think slavery came from? Worldwide slavery of people, enslaving other people. Human beings enslaving other human beings. It came from this text right here. The green light was given through this text. This is what you ain't learning in Bible study. The servant will be served severely punished for though he knew his duty, he refused to do it. But people who are not aware that they are doing wrong will be punished only lightly. Much is required from those whom much is given. You always use that, you always hear that term, but you don't hear the rest of it. And much is more required from those to whom is, is more is given. Luke 12, 47. Murder's been approved. Here's the murder approved. Capital punishment. Capital punishment. Kill you go. Kill people who don't listen to priests. Don't, no, don't talk to them and try to convince them. Don't work things out. If you think the guy, if you have the slightest thought that this guy might not want to get in line with us, just kill him. Anyone arrogant enough to reject the verdict of the judge or of the priest who represents the Lord your God must be put to death. Such evil must be purged from Israel. More Deuteronomy. Kill witches. How do you know they're a witch? Just guess. You should not let a sorceress live. Anybody who probably just doesn't believe in their foolishness has got to be a witch. Get rid of them. Kill homosexuals. If a man lies with a male as a woman, both of them shall be put to death for their abominable deed. They have forfeited their lives. All right? Doesn't sound like any of the stuff that I talked about in the beginning with all these great, phenomenal, beautiful attributes of the creator of the universe. It doesn't match. That's why I'm telling you there is a creator of the universe, but the people in the Bible, and I do mean people, that ain't them. It ain't it. Kill non-believers. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul, and everyone who not seek the Lord of, of the God of Israel was put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman, killing women, killing children, killing whoever. You don't fall in line, you're dead. Chronicles 15, 12. Kill false prophets. If a man prophesies, his parents, father, and mother shall say to him, you shall not live. Or your mother got to tell you, you're about to die. Because you have spoken a lie in the name of the Lord, and he prophesies, his parents, father, and mother shall trust, shall thrust him through. Hmm. Oh. Your own parents got to take you out. <laughs> or they're going to get killed too, right? And burn in the lake of fire and all this other crazy foolishness. Kill the entire town if one person worship another God. This doesn't match with the attributes that I've been telling you about. I'm telling you, this is not the Lord God. This is the devil himself. This is the, de the evil energy that's flowing through this book, which is why it's been used to commit so much egregious crimes. Look at all the wars on this planet. Look at all the slavery on this planet. Look at all the politic on this planet, which is a religion. It's all coming out of this book. They all call in this Bible as their saving grace as to why they're doing what they're doing. Suppose you hear in one of the towns the Lord your God is giving you that some worthless rabble among you have led, led their fellow citizens astray by encouraging them to worship a foreign god. 
In such cases, you must examine the facts carefully. If you find it is true and can prove that such a detestable act has occurred among you, you must attack that town and completely destroy all of its inhabitants, as well as all of the livestock. Kill the animals, too. Damn it. Then you must pile all the plunder in the middle of the street and burn it. Put the entire town to the torch. Kill everybody. Just burn everybody down. Just kill it all. And give it as a burnt offering to the Lord your God. You see the foolishness here, guys? That's Deuteronomy 13, 13 through 19. More rape and baby killing. Anyone who's captured will be run through with a sword. Their little children will be dashed to death right before their eyes. I thought the attributes was like love and kindness and faithful. This is never changing God. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm starting to believe the never changing as I look at all these people getting killed all around the world right now. Their homes will be sacked and their wives will be raped by the attacking hordes. For I will stir up the Medes against Babylon and no amount of silver or gold will buy them off. The attacking armies will shoot down the young people with arrows. They will have no mercy on helpless babies and will show no compassion for the children. Isaiah 13, 15 through 18. So what we've come to here, I'm going to stop sharing this and I'm going to come back to this. I discovered that eight immortal kings of Samaria lived a total of 241,200 years. I have discovered through my research that these type of stories have an element of truth to them. Immor what we've come to here is an understanding that you guys have been misled in a very severe way, in a way that has poisoned the minds of billions of people on this planet. There's 8.5 billion people on Earth, and 85% of these people are religious. Thank you for all the donations, by the way. <clears throat> and these people are taking this information. Well, they're not taking this information because they don't study it, because they ain't taught it. That's why when you used to go to church when you were in slavery times, the slave master would sit there and tell you exactly what verses you can read and what verses you can't read. And he would sit there with his gun or his whip waiting for you to mess up, only give them these certain verses. And those same exact teachings have been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Why? Because they don't want you to hear what I just read to you. That, that is not, those what I read were not attributes of the creator of the universe that I believe in at all. Not even close. Not even close. What I read to you were Anunnaki Atlantean people fighting each other, using human beings as cattle. Hey, man, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of them over there. They're taking it. They're infringing on, our, on my land now. I want y'all to go over there and kill them people. No, I, I know you want to. Don't worry about what they did. They did, they sinned against me. I want y'all to go kill them people. And when you get done killing them, if you find any virgins, you can make sure you take the virgins with you because we got to make more babies. I need more slaves over here, man. We run low on slaves. You see what's happening? That's not the creator of the universe. That is a human being called an, an, an Atlantean Anunnaki, a homo sapien, I should say, not a human being, but a homo sapien, masquerading as a god, telling you people what to do and run and go do this, and you run and go do that, thus say it I, and you people run out and go do this foolishness. And you're still doing the same garbage still to this very day. 
running around committing egregious acts against people based off of what's in this book that you know nothing about. Nothing about. Let me tell you what the Nakamadi said. Let me tell you what they said. And it's the same hypothesis I came to. And I'm going to tell you in a story that actually happened to me in real time, in real life. I was sitting at the beach and this guy walked up to me. And I knew right away when he walked up with a bottle of water to hand it, like pointed it towards me, he was going to be ready to preach to me. It's the technique they use at the beach <laughs> I go to. So sometimes you're just sitting there and somebody walks up and they come up to you and they try to hand you some water. He must have thought I was one of these homeless people out there or something, just, you know, sitting on the beach. Because I, I was fully dressed. I wasn't like in beach clothes. I even sit, I even had my sneakers on because I was going for a walk. I just decided to take a quick break and sit on the edge of the water for a few minutes, just enjoy the beauty, and then go back and finish my walk. So I'm sitting there in regular clothes. And I said, oh, boy, here we go. I'm going to go ahead and talk. He started trying to preach to me. Do you take Jesus Christ for you, Lord and Savior, and all this other stuff, yada, yada, yada. And I said, no. He goes, why not? Do you know the power of the Lord? I said, listen. The reason why is because I am God. The guy jumped back. Whoa. I said, yeah, I'm God, and you're, and you're God, too. We're all God. Every single one of us is God, walking in the flesh, trying to learn what it is to experience life in the third dimension. So the guy tries to go back in. He tries to start telling me more stuff. So I started asking him stuff about the Bible. I said, uh, make a long story short about this. I said, you know what? Tell me all about this Satan uh, entity that's in the Bible, this devil, Satan, the devil. Tell me all about him, Okay. He says, well, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's evil. He's, he was a second hand to God at one point. He was, he's, he's, you know, there's nobody smarter than him other than God. He was the right hand and he, and he, uh, he's not even an angel. He's a cherubim. And, uh, and everywhere he went, music followed him. He was a genius and, and blah, 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 blah. And he's got all these powers and so forth and so on. I said, oh, interesting. That's interesting. Pretty smart guy, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So wow. That's why you need salvation. You have to. Oh, okay, I get, I get it. Okay, so you're saying that this entity has a high IQ then, really, really high, higher than any human. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. This is this guy's a, a genius. Oh, oh, really? Okay, genius. Um, well, answer me this then. So, in the Bible that you got in your hand, what happens to this being? Oh, he's he commits these acts that are all prophesied in this book, and at the end, he's cast into a lake of fire for all eternity. I said, really? Okay. This is interesting stuff you're telling me. I said, so this being with this super high intelligence is almost on the same level of God and has all this power and everything else and it can can go around the planet and be in everybody's mind at all at once and has all these amazing powers and can do all this amazing stuff. He's going to follow the prophecies written by human flesh and blood human beings in a, on a piece of paper to his own demise. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Yes. Mm, I'm sorry, man. I don't, don't believe that. What more likely is happening is that entity that you're running from is the one that orchestrated the way this text and this book is put together so that he can, so that you can run to your own demise. In the end, what's happening is you're following and worshiping the same entity and demon that you're running from. The guy's eyes got wide. Oh, snap. I don't this guy, this guy's scaring me. Gotta walk away. That's what the, Gnostics talk about in the Nakamadi. They believe the same exact thing. Matter of fact, they're spot on. What Christians are doing is unwittingly being fooled and tricked into literally saying and praying to the same entities 
that have nothing to do with salvation. Zeus, Amun-Ra, Enlil, Anu, Enki, Marduk. These are all the beings that they're calling on their names. Great Yahweh Jehovah. You're calling on two different gods at once then. In the name of Jesus, you're calling on Zeus. It's pure ignorance that has led you to your own demise. And then you have the situation where you'll see one person, oh, I just got approved for my mortgage. I just got a brand new house. Won't he do it? God is good all the time. And then right around the corner, there's a kid sleeping on the street. But he's not worthy to have a house, right? Because God is only good to you. Mm-hmm. Do you see the logic in that? Do you see the ignorance in that? Mm-hmm. If you're in America, you hit the genetic lottery. You're sitting in a, in a, I'm sitting in a house in America where I can literally find many ways to earn myself a living, many ways to have a decent lifestyle. Even if I'm in a small apartment with a, with a tiny, with a, with no car and just taking a bicycle to work, I can still have a decent life. I've been around this planet. I've been to third world countries. The majority of the countries I go to are overlaid, heavy, heavy, uh, super, super duper Christians. I'm talking about, they live in it day and night, night and day. They breathe in it, eating it, sleeping it 24 hours a day. And they're living in mud and dirt. And they have a horrible life. They don't even live that long. They die young. And then you have the people over here. Won't he do it? I just got me a brand new car. That's because the power of God is on me. Really? The power of God's on you. God says, God stopped creating another planet and said, you know what? Let me, hey, this Sally Mae over there, she need a new car. Let me stop what I'm doing right here and go get this car for, for Sally Mae. But, but this kid over here that's been suffering his whole life over here in Abydos, uh, in Egypt, I'm just going to leave him alone. He, I saw this kid wandering through the streets of Abydos, three or four year old kid screaming and crying, walking through the streets for hours. Nobody even looked at him. Nobody even looked at him. He probably just came from a collapsed building because those buildings collapse every minute. Mothers probably just died. But he's he's not blessed because he didn't follow the the right God. He didn't say the right prayer. But you just magically knew the right one, right? Somebody gets into a car accident. They live. It was God. God saved him. They die. It was his time to go. Lord called him home. Foolishness. That's just fabricated foolishness, guys, is what you're doing. You're just fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself into believing fairy tales. You have no understanding of what this information contained in this Bible really is all about, who wrote it, and when it was written. The Bible wasn't written in real time. The people in the Bible didn't write the Bible. The disciples were illiterate men. If you went to seminary, you would know that. I've studied all the seminary texts. They were illiterate. They couldn't even read or write. So who wrote the text? Who wrote Timothy? Who wrote who wrote all these books? Who wrote John? Who wrote all these books? Who wrote them? Guess what, guys? They were written long after they were dead. Thousands of years, two thousand years after they died. The first book was discovered, well, the first text was discovered in caves around 100 A.D. It wasn't even a book; just some text in some jars. And then some more jars were found in some more caves and some more caves and some more caves and some more stuff was dug up over time. Between 100 A.D. to 900 A.D., all this text was laying around and started being pieced together. 100 A.D. to 900, that's modern times. And what was on the text? They had handwritten copies. 
from ancient Sumerian tablets, from the Mahabharata, from the Bhagavad Gita, from the Epic of Gilgamesh, from the Tibetan Book of the Dead, from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, from all these other texts that already have been in, from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. That's where all this information comes from. And plus, something from, of course, their own input. Because if I put 50 people in a circle, and I sit here, and we're all sitting in a circle, perfect circle, and I whisper into one person's ear one sentence, five or six words, and it's supposed to, they're supposed to then turn and whisper and whisper and whisper and whisper until it gets back to my opposite ear. Guess what? It ain't going to be the same sentence I said. No. The sentence is going to change. Nope. I guarantee you it won't be the same exact sentence. That's the nature of humanity. Everything is corrupted once a man touches it. Everything is corrupted once a man touches it. So you're telling me that this Satan the devil, this master wizard of all time, who can whisper in the ears of billions of people simultaneously and make them do evil things, is literally going to follow everything written in this book, written by a man, written by men, to his own demise. By the way, he has a gender too, because he's always called a he. He also has a gender. It's also another another male energy. To his own demise. And uh, that's going to be, I'm just going to follow the rule of this book, guys. I'm just here to follow the rule of this book and be as evil as I can until I'm at, until it's over. No life preservation for me. I don't want to preserve myself at all, guys. I'm just going to follow what you men wrote in this book. I'm going to listen to this. Come on, man. Use some logic. Did you read the attributes that I, did you listen to the attributes I gave you in the beginning of this whole thing? Omniscient, omnipotent, all knowing, never changing. So what changed between that teaching and those Bible verses and what I just read you? It's the same person. It's the same entity. What you're doing, guys, is you're following the evil energy the whole way through, convincing yourself that you're following positive energy when you're not. You're following ultimate evil. Get the non-Kamani scripts and do yourself a favor. Start studying. Get your Bible out and start studying. Start reading and researching the information in the Bible, but not just reading from the Bible. Break it down into ancient texts and find out where the sources of the material came from and then study and read that. If you're based entirely off of one book and you don't even understand what's in the book, then what are you really doing? You're just wasting time. And then you're passing that garbage on to your kids and they're passing it on to their kids and everybody's ignorant because they have no idea what they're doing. They think, oh, I'm just going to do it as a safe thing, just in case I want to go to heaven or I don't want to go to hell, just in case it's real. Just in case. There is no love in torture and threat and fear. So if you are a Christian and you are worrying about going to hell and you're trying to be good not to go to hell, what you have is not love, what you have is fear. And the reason why you're participating because you want to save your own ass. That's what you do. You want to save the skin of your ass. That's what you, you want to admit it. That's what it's all about. What if this fire is really real? What if this lake of fire really exists? I better do this garbage because if I don't, I might just burn anyway. That's what it comes down to. And if you operating from that, there's no love in that. It's only fear. Only fear. Period. Fear allows you to be controlled. What the Bible, majority of the Bible is, and some good parts in there, but the majority of it is just like watching CNN or Fox News. No. Nothing but fear 24-7 to bend you down and mold you over and get you in that low-frequency mindset so that nothing works out in your favor, period. And if you don't believe it, 
I want you to get together 10,000, get together me a million Christians in one place and have them start praying. And let me see if the world will change the next day. It's going to be the same planet we on. The same people going to run out and start shooting their guns and killing people. Ain't nothing going to change. You know why? Because they're praying deaf ears. They don't know how to pray. Prayer works, but not the way that you're praying. If I take you and connect a cap to your head with electrodes on it and connect that cap to a computer to read your, your way, your brain waves, an EEG. I can do an EEG on your brain and see how your waves are functioning. I can tell you if you're in a low frequency state or a high frequency state based off of your brain waves. If I, if you're in a, if you're in a, um, an emotion of fear, doubt, anguish, begging, which is praying, the typical person begs when they pray. That's low frequency. Now, if I take you with that same exact technology connected to a computer and to read your, read your brain waves, and I have you in a position of upright power, understanding, commanding, unconditional love, happiness. Now it's going to be high frequency waves going to the computer. The, the universe reads waves, low frequency and high frequency. It knows low and high. And guess what? It's going to give you back whatever you give it. You're running around here begging and pleading and hoping and wishing and, and scrapping around. You're going to get the same kind of garbage back in your life. Until you stand up and draw a line in the sand and command your existence, command your potential, command who you are, command your outcomes to happen, you're going to be suffering. The reason why I command my realities is because I know the power is inside of me. So I command myself. I don't get on an airplane and pray to arrive at my destination safely. I command I arrive at my destination safely. I command it. Why? Because the same power of the creator is inside of my body. I don't. Please help me make sure I get there right on time and I arrive safely. No, that's a slave's mentality. I'm not a slave. I got the power of the creator flowing through every atom in my body. So that I have a fractal of that power in me. I'm going to command things into me with confidence. My prayer is, I command it. That's it. I'm done. That's the whole prayer. That's the whole prayer. There's nothing else for me to say. There's nothing else to say. Command it. Walk in your true power. Stop giving your power away to these entities that hoodwinked humanity and fooled you and gave you a book to send you down to your own demise. You're praying to Enki and Lil Anu, uh, Amun-Rod, Marduk, Isis, what do you think Genesis is? Isis was the one who gave birth to Adam in the cuneiform tablets in the incredible uh, cylinder scroll that exists at the British Museum, which I'm going to see in a few weeks. Right? It's the generations of Isis. That's Genesis, Genesis, the generations of Isis. That's why I was given that name. You got to study all this stuff. You got to become smarter because Why? It's leading humanity down the path of destruction continuously. More people have died over religious beliefs than any other reason on the planet. If it's supposed to be all-knowing and all-loving and all-peaceful and all this and that, why the rape, the pillaging, the killing, the murder? Still going on today in the name of God. Still going on today in the name of God. You guys got to understand. You got to get knowledge. You got to be willing to read non-commodity scripts. You got to be willing to read the complete Apocrypha, the lost books of the Bible that were kept out. Did you guys know that there's a book in the Bible of the Bible that's at Harvard Seminary called The Gospel of Jesus's Wife? Mm. 
Oh, yeah. Did you know that in the Sinai Bible, which predates the King James Bible, Jesus was never even crucified, guys. He lived on, got married, <laughs> never got crucified. That was fabricated by the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. Just like hell was added to the Bible in the 1600s. Yes. The, uh, the rapture was added to the Bible by William James Darby in 1835. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave you with a couple things tonight. This, this, uh, a couple things for you to understand where you are spiritually and what has locked you down mentally into this religious system that has completely dogmatically destroyed an entire civilization of people on this planet. Christianity was spread around the planet by hate, by murder, by killing, and by rape. It wasn't spread by love. That's how they did it. They went to all these indigenous tribes, and then they said, okay, you guys are going to follow this, or I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your, your chief out here, your, your bush man. I'm going I'm to torture him in front of the whole crew, in front of the whole family. And if you guys don't want to be like this, then you better fall in line, learn my language, and pray to my God. And that's what happened. Doing that now. Mama. Take a beat. I'm going to read you some top ten signs that you're a fundamentalist Christian and that you've been hoodwinked and that you've really fallen into the deception. You vigorously deny the existence of thousands of gods claimed by other religions, but feel outraged when someone denies the existence of yours. You feel insulted, dehumanized, when scientists say that people evolved from other life forms, but you have no problem with the biblical claim that we're, we were created to, uh, from dirt. When I tell people that they're Anunnaki, genetically modified the existing hominid on this planet, and they're Christian, they go crazy. Mm. No, no. <laughs> you laugh at poly, polytheists, but you have no problem believing in a triune God. Okay? You, you don't have any, any problem believing in Trinity. Your face turns people when you hear the when your face turns when you hear people uh, when you hear the atrocities attributed by Allah, but you don't flinch when you're hearing how about how God Jehovah slaughtered all the babies in Egypt. You laugh at Hindu beliefs that deify humans and Greek claims about God sleeping with women, but you have no problem believing that the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. You're willing to spend your life looking for little loopholes. In the scientifically established age of Earth, which is a few billion years, but you find nothing wrong with believing dates recorded by Bronze Age tribesmen sitting in their tents, guessing that Earth is a, is a few generations old, just guessing at the age of the planet. Just guess. We'll just guess. Uh, 6,000 years. You know why they believe that the Earth is 6,000 years old, most Christians, is because the Sumerian tablets are 6,000 years old, and that's when the story started. It was recopied most recently. It's not based on any science or geology. You believe that the entire population of this planet, with the exception of those who share your beliefs, though excluding those in all rival sects, will spend eternity in infinite hell as suffering. Yet consider your religion the most tolerant and loving. It's so loving. But you're going to burn in a lake of fire. If I had a dollar for every person that told me I was going to burn in a lake of fire, I'd be a trillionaire right now. <laughs> While modern science, history, geology, biology, and physics have failed to convince you otherwise, you some... Uh, convince you otherwise, some idiot rolling around on the floor speaking in tongues may be all the evidence you need to prove Christianity. You don't need anything else. That's it. That, that's your evidence right there. Science out the window. Evidence out the window. <clears throat> you define 0.1% as a high success rate when it comes to answered prayers. 
Literally. It's, it's luck of the draw. Your prayers don't work. 85% of the people on the planet are religious. There are millions and maybe even trillions of prayers going up daily because people paying multiple times a day times 8 billion. And it's not working, guys. Sorry. Not working. Meditation has a better success rate than prayers. And you actually know a lot less than many atheists and agnostics do about the Bible, Christianity and church history. But you still call yourself a Christian, but you know nothing about the book whatsoever. 99.9% of Christians have never even read the entire Bible. I've read the entire Bible over 100 times, back and forth, inside and out, upside and down. I know all the information in the Bible. I've calculated and clocked and tagged and tipped all the information in there that's pertinent to my research and information that I need to learn about and know. Because it's important for you to understand and know about all the topics and information and historical context in there as I dig into deeper and more ancient texts. How in the world can I know more about the Bible than you? And I'm not even a Christian. And I do believe in a creator. But not the one in that book. You're you're praying to multiple people. All right, guys. That's my time coming to an end today. (laughs) Every now and then, you know, I got to pull out the little... My little spanking uh, stick and hit you. And like, hey, uh, well, wait a minute. What's Billy talking about? <laughs> I better, I better do some work over here. I got some work to do. If you, if you, if you left this video feeling like, you know what? I may not like the way he put it, but David, I need to go do some research. If you left, if you left this rant today with that in your mind, then you, 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 you got some good days ahead. But if you left this feeling like, how dare he? He's gonna burn in the lake of fire. Then you're still you're still in a coma. You'll be you'll be reincarnated though. You'll be back, and then you'll get another chance again. All right, you get another chance again. Anyway, guys, thank you for so many so many of the uh, the chat donations. I was on a um, what do you call that a uh, a PowerPoint. So during the PowerPoint, I can't see. I normally would like to put those up on the screen. I couldn't see them, but I appreciate every single one of you for participating tonight. Recognize every single one of you. I love every single one of you. It's all about unconditional love. Sometimes you got it. It's called tough love. It's called tough love. And you got to be real. All this dancing around the bushes. You know, guys, I'm forbidden knowledge. I don't dance around the bushes. That's not who I am. You already know that. That's why y'all come to my rants. Because I don't dance around. I'm going to give it to you like it is. Whether you like it or not. I'm going to give it to you like it is. Period. And I'm telling you right now, the Christians on this planet are responsible for half the problems we got. And then the CEOs of the Fortune 500 companies that are poisoning the planet with all the chemicals and all the, all, all the, all the funding, all the wars on both sides of the war, supplying war materials and guns and everything else. Those are the ones that are the rest of the problem, the other 50% of the problem. We got a big problem on this planet. We got people calling on the name of God that are selling guns. I'm not talking about guns in the street. I'm talking about arms to militaries. Mm-hmm. The United States is the largest arms dealer in the world, and they are here complaining about what's going on with these people running around. Now, that's a problem, don't get me wrong, but we're the biggest problem. We're around here giving everybody the damn guns. We're supplying tanks. We're supplying SAMs, surface-to-air missiles. We're supplying all the jets. We're supplying fighter jets, taking orders like it's, uh, you know, it's coming in like it's Walmart. And we're putting this stuff out there in the world, and then we're... Oh, it would, the reason why they do it is because they're fueling the wars. They want the wars to happen so we can get involved. First, we can make the money off of the, where you take the tax dollars to buy the equipment and create it. Then we go ahead and sell it and we take the profit. That's a hundred percent profit. It didn't cost us a penny 
to make the stuff in the first place. We stole that money from the people. Now we got a profit from it that we didn't have to even worry about because there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no overhead. We took that from the tax dollars. Then we create, now we create turmoil in the world. And guess what? Somebody got to call us. We got, y'all need our help? We got to come help you guys. Now we fire up our engines and we go over there and we start blowing up stuff. So we make money from that because we take the tax dollars to pay for the war effort. And then what we do is after we destroy the whole place, we get more money out of the situation from the world governments so that we can clean it up. That's Halliburton company, right? $38 billion. That's a straight pimp game going on out here. And all of this is in the name of the Lord. But we're going to bring democracy to your country. God bless America. Come on, man. Whew. This planet, boy, we got a lot of work to do. I'm optimistic. Don't get me wrong. But damn it, we got a lot of work to do down here. I, I can't, I can't even go to sleep tonight. I got to stay up all night and work. I got to burn the, I got to burn the midnight oil again. There's so much work to do on this planet. It ain't even funny. It's nonstop. But you got to keep waking people up. Got to keep waking people up. All right. Anyway, guys, thank you. I love you guys. I appreciate y'all. Thanks for hopping on tonight. If you found anything in this video was, uh, educational or whatever or, or helps you in any kind of way, just make sure you share the video, click the like button. Uh, and, uh, I'll be back on again tomorrow. I'll be back on again manana. Don't forget to get shares of forbidden knowledge. There's only, there's less than 24 hours left now. Less than 24 hours left to get shares. I'll drop the link in here real quick for you. If you want to become a shareholder, because after we wrap this up, we are moving into a NASDAQ offering, which will be the first quarter. All right. 24 hours, guys, to get shares. Drop the link in the chat right now. And, uh, I'm going to sign off, guys. I got to, I got to stand up, walk around, get my lymph moving, get, get everything moving again, my, my fluids flowing, and I got to get right back to work again. All right? I love you guys. Appreciate y'all. And I'll catch y'all later. Peace. Peace down, everybody. It's time to take a quick break, and we'll be back in about 10 or so minutes with a look at the stars with our brother Richard and Kay Pacha and Tanya Gabrielle. And, of course, music. So, Satnam for now, thank you. Much to contemplate. Namaste.
pass the talking stick to you, Richard. All right, all right. Okay, Richard, it's uh, 28 minutes for Kepacha and 21 minutes for Tanya, 49 minutes. So you've got about 12 Thank minutes. You. All right. Welcome and good evening, everybody. <coughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. All right, let's run through the spectrum here. We got, uh, as I mentioned last week, what we're going to be looking at this week is now this weekend happening this week. So we got sun on Saturn. Sun's at uh, 15, right smack in the middle of Leo. We're halfway between the summer solstice and the fall equinox. Yep. Yep. It's one of those uh, powerpoints in the in the in the, in the annual astrological calendar. And those two guys, where Uranus and Mars and Taurus. And we also get Venus opposite Pluto. Venus is at 25. And Pluto is still at 29. Capricorn. And what else? Mercury square the moon tonight. And the moon is in five. Sagittarius. So we'll have a Sagittarius moon until Monday morning. Start the week with the moon in Capricorn. And uh, moon is kind of Neptune, but it, it was the square yesterday. Square, uh, not trying any. And it's uh, going to be, moon is going to be in Jupiter tomorrow. In fire, in fire. And Jupiter is also trying the sun. So that was happening this week. So we had a little, on the, on the earth plane, we had a lot of stuff going on. Lots of action, fiery action. And Mercury is in fire. Virgo, kind of out by itself, leading the way. Everything behind Mercury. So the layout goes: Mercury, Sun, Venus. Venus is in uh, 25 Cancer, and then you got the Mars north, and you got Chiron and Jupiter, then you got Neptune, Saturn. Pluto, and that's about it for now. There's an inconjunct between Venus and Saturn. So, no, it's like, you know, I don't know where Saturn is in, in your chart. <laughs> in my chart, it's not in a place that causes any trouble. That's what I got for right now here. And I think, uh, oh, Venus trying to tune. I was going to say, I 
Yeah, Venus trying Neptune. Okay, so Richard, in my chart, I've got Sun, Saturn, Pluto, and Venus all in Leo, Leo in the tenth house. Yeah, so, hold on, hold on a sec. Okay. Hold on a sec. I'll just pop your chart up here, right here. I got you right here. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, you got uh, Venus, Sun, Saturn, and Pluto all right there together. You just had a birthday. I did. Starting a new season. Let's see here. Mm. Pluto's not bothering you. Saturn in the fourth house. Uh, Don't make any changes in your thing. you got Moon conjunct Neptune. Mm-hmm, I do. You've been working with Moon conjunct Neptune. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How's it going out there on an astral plane? <laughs> as long as I keep a high conscious level, everything works out. <laughs> right. But uh, that's, a, that's a condition that, um, you know, we all have brothers and sisters with the same condition that we have somewhere, right? You know, a twelfth of the population's got moon in seas. Wow. Yeah. But uh, you know, you you know, you got it. But, uh, you 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 just you know, and you got that Leo that. House workhouse, so you just keep you just gonna keep on working, working, working. That's true. <laughs> yeah, make sure you get the best. Thank you. All right, let's go see what Kapacha's got going on. Here we go. Here we go. He's on a beach somewhere, which looks pretty wild. Pele Report for August 3rd, 2022. And if you're listening to this report, it means that you've made it. You are still alive. (laughs) Man, oh man, Mars, Uranus, North, no last week. But I'll tell you what, the fun never stops here on this planet. Everything is moving on, and I got to say, the intensity is not necessarily dropping. Uh, we've got Mercury moving into Virgo. We have the moon also. Okay, I mean, she's in Libra now, going into Scorpio, and she is going to be squaring the sun. 13 degrees, 02 minutes of Scorpio to, of course, Leo. This is such a, a powerful freaking week and month 
I have to say, this uh, you know, this square is on the moon's nodes, and uh, and then uh, a you know a week from then, okay. I mean, that square is on Friday. You know, like a week from Friday, we're going to have the full moon conjunct Saturn, squaring the nodes and Uranus. This is just like wow. I'm going to be talking about it, and not only that now. Mars comes into an exact square with Saturn on Sunday. We can say it's going on all week, if not two weeks. And the beautiful part, I would say, is that Venus is moving on through uh, Cancer. She's going to come into a perfect trine with Neptune on Sunday before she opposes Pluto on Monday. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just like, I mean, that's enough for me to talk for a couple of hours, right? I mean, uh, but yeah, I think uh, I just want to give you a shot of the rest of these clips here. Uh, this is, I mean, if you go back here, you know, it was a challenge walking around that point. It is just uh, rocks. It's actually not rocks. Uh, this is clay, and you get it wet, and you cover your entire body with it, and it is a skin treatment that beats all. Anyway, let's just stick to the freaking astrology here and uh, give you a little shot of that. Oh, yeah. So much to say today, so much going on. Uh, let's just dive right in and understand that things are waxing uh, now. Yes, the moon is waxing to a 90-degree first quarter square. Mars is waxing away from Saturn to a first quarter 90-degree square with Saturn. We know that these 90-degree squares have to do with breaking free from the past and really overcoming doubt. We know that, you know, this whole, well, I don't want to get into the oppositions yet, but, you know, really, even the, the sun is moving into an opposition with Saturn also, but Venus in opposition to Pluto. We can understand that, and I think I said this before, Sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars are all moving through now these personal signs, and they are breaking out. They are breaking free from the grip of Pluto, Saturn, Neptune, all up there in, in the transpersonal, social, external world of conform, follow orders, follow dictates, follow rules. So especially this Mars square Saturn. Last, you know, we, we just came through Mars Uranus North Node. And that has to do with a major breakthrough, a major breakup, major break open. Okay, you know, vision of a future me, a new me. It's in the mantra for this week. Yes? And now there's the follow-through. 
And we're coming into obstacles, blocks, all the forces from the past. Call it karma, call it parents, call it government, you know, uh, you know, but all of this energy now is, and it's in, again, it's in the mantra, the sculptor needs to chisel away at the stone, right? Needs to like really break away from the past, let go like the snake shedding its skin of our old identity. Now, Mars is moving through Taurus. Values. A new set of values. Uranus North Node, Taurus. A new set of values. What is important? What are my priorities? Where do I really want to go? And where am I going to find that? In my physical body. In my physical body, my body knows. My body is a temple of my soul. And now we've got this moon coming around through Libra into Scorpio. And it's the death, it's the taking away. It is the removal of the past, emotional conditioning from childhood, from past lives, south node of the moon. This is about, it's the big, great, let go. And it's almost like, it's almost like you're going through a barbed wire fence and the, and the barbed wire catches your shirt and it rips your shirt right off. But you've got to get through that fence. <laughs> Something that you thought was yours, that you thought you needed, a relationship, a business, uh, money, your reputation. So there's, there's lots of things that we have used in the past to identify ourselves. This is me. This is who I am. I'm, you know, I'm an astrologer or I'm a man or I'm a this or I'm a that, right? I mean, I'm a son, daughter, spouse, whatever. Yeah, we have all kinds of labels that we use to define ourselves. And now we are needing to redefine ourselves more in alignment, more to the pure essence of who we ultimately are. This is the proper use of Mercury going into Virgo. Virgo is really about the sculptor, right? It's effort, it's work, it's subtraction, it's taking away things that are not no longer pure, necessary, or are polluting. So this is just like so beautiful. That's why that's in the mantra. Yes, the thoughts. The thoughts are the tools. What are we thinking? And here's the other aspect that needs to be brought up. We are not our thoughts. You are not your thoughts. If anything, our feelings bring us into a closer connection with our soul nature. And particularly now, I want to get into this Venus-Pluto a little bit. But first, there is just this idea of witnessing your thoughts. And I am not my thoughts. I have thoughts. And I control my thoughts from my soul. 
from my deeper, higher, wider consciousness. And I guide my thinking according to paths that are going to produce, right, the right chemicals. <laughs> the oxytocin, the serotonin, the melatonin, you know, it's just like, I'm going to think positive, relaxing, beautiful thoughts about the waves, about the cliffs, <laughs> about the beautiful sunrise and the beautiful sunset. And, and my thoughts are going to nourish my my future. They're, they're actually going to create it. They're going to, you know, open me. So we want to use our thoughts consciously. <laughs> yeah, baby. And now Venus. Okay, so we've got this Mars and Taurus, my physical body. Now we've got Venus coming through Cancer. Lilith is visiting Leo a little bit there, but she's going to go retrograde and come back to Cancer again. But you may want to think back six months when Venus was conjunct Pluto. Because the whole Venus-Pluto cycle is that I seek transformation through love, through relationship, through intimacy. And you may have broken up. You may have made up. You may have redefined your relationship to another person. Pluto is in Capricorn, your career, who you are, how other people see you, the mask that you wear. And now there's been this whole waxing of Venus to Pluto. This is a six-month kind of a, a completion, a fulfillment, like a full moon experience. And Venus came down out of Capricorn, down out of what other people say and other people's needs and demands and expectations. And she's really coming in, okay, to how do I love myself? How do I embrace? How do I nurture myself as being, you know, the foundation of who I am out in the world? It's a very beautiful time. This is like so empowering. Mars in Taurus, Venus in Cancer, the Sun in Leo. So let's look at this Leo. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is breaking, you know, breaking out, drawing back the curtain. Let the show begin. I'm going to be my authentic, awesome self. And yeah, I'm scared. I don't want to be rejected, laughed at, have tomatoes in my face, you know? But at the same time, there is this inner soul urge that says, I've got to be true to myself. I've got, I've got to let life flow through me. I'm an expression, a unique, special expression of the divine. So it is this power of self-acceptance, of self-love, that is really going to help us through these next couple of weeks when we face the opposition, when we face the obstacles, and we want to understand we are the dreamers dreaming the dream. We're, we, you know, we've made these obstacles. We've made these laws, mandates, external authorities, you know, to, you know, to just like really bump up against. 
Yeah. Mars likes to, you know, Mars likes a little competition. Mars likes a good debate. Mars likes, you know, say, come on, you know. I want to see how strong I am. I want I want to confront my own limitations. I want to confront my own fears. I want to confront, you know, my own past. And oh and overcome it. It's it's gonna require effort. Tenacious, persevering endurance. This isn't just like, oh yeah, you know, uh, I, I, this is the thing. We create our destiny. I mean, yeah, it's like our destiny is like a blank canvas for a painter. And we paint our destiny. It's an active creation. Destiny doesn't find us, okay? You know, it's like, you know, we have multiple destinies. They're all different tangents. Yeah, Uranus shows us this. Our destiny could be over here, over there, over there, over there. We are, with our thoughts, creating that destiny. And that brings me around to the Sabian symbol. And what blows my mind... Ow! <laughs> I came up with this freaking mantra this morning, right? Before I looked at the Sabian symbol. And it was like, oh my God. This is like really tripped out. It was a little bit of a confirmation, you know? Because, you know, I mean, I never know. So the mantra is, like a sculptor gazing upon a new stone, I see the future me. The thoughts I am thinking are the tools that I use to free my true identity. Have you ever seen a face in a rock, a picture in a rock, a, a beautiful body, you know, laid out in stone. I'm sure you have. Or that stone looks like a heart. Or that stone, da 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 and, and what the sculptor does, and we are the sculptors, we take our destiny, we take that stone, we take our life. And not only with our thoughts, but our thoughts get transmuted, translated, you know, into actions, decisions, choices that are either in alignment and liberating our awesome self or caving, failing, fearing, following, yeah, doing what we've been told. <laughs> I mean, this is time to revolt and rebel, right? And so I, I look at the Sabian symbol for the sun. And during this square, it's the 14th degree of Leo. Yeah? And what does it say? A human soul seeking opportunities for outward manifestation. <laughs> the keynote is a yearning for self-actualization. Behind the many rhythms and drives of individual existence, beyond the child, the adult, and the old man, stands the soul seeking always to manifest itself 
through the personality, which is like our, it's, it's our thoughts, right? Our personality is our thoughts and our ego and our thinking and our presentation, right? But our soul seeks to come through that, not be limited by that, yeah? This is the transpersonal urge of the spirit expressing itself in many ways during the whole lifespan. But most avenues are blocked. Mars squares Saturn, right? <laughs> Pluto, opposite Venus. And the soul waits until it can wait no longer. Then comes the dramatic release Mars, Uranus, North Node, cut it out, which may mean a joyous carnival or madness. <laughs> One way or the other, you could get pissed off, man. I mean, it's no, it's no cakewalk. It's no picnic. It's, you know, this isn't like I say. Your destiny's not coming to you all cooked up on a silver platter. Ah, 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 man. You gotta carve it. No. You need your chisel and your hammer. And you gotta chip away at that stone. <laughs> Here's a transcendental, transcendental clue to the technique of living. Let the soul speak out. Allow the power of the true tone of your being to manifest itself smoothly, easily, unobstructed, or expect a variety of consequences. Let soul manifest. <laughs> Freaking Dane had it down, baby. Amazing. This is the energy of the times. These are revolutionary times. These are not easy times. We did not come here to kick back this lifetime. We, we, we came in here to kick ass. <laughs> to kick in, to kick butt. We got to do this. Not just imagine it. Not just, you know, breathe into it. We, we want to inhale and exhale. We want to take it all in and we want to let it all out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, this is the kind of energy that I'm feeling uh, around this week, and you gotta, you know, you gotta face these blocks, you gotta face face these fears. You have to understand there are going to be, you know, relationships. There are going to be people. There are going to be, you know, blame or you know, jealousy or envy or guilt trips or, you know, oh, you can't be you. 
you know, don't be you. We want you to be this. We want you to be that. We want you to be something other than that. And, and it's like, you've got to just chip away. And if your relationships are not feeding your excitement, are not liberating you, but rather constricting you, I'm sorry, but those relationships have to go. And you want to create space. You know, it's just like, give me some, give me some room to be myself. I am growing. And again, our body is our tool for this. I was thinking on the way over here as I'm like picking my way through the stones, you know, knee deep in water praying to God that I don't fall over and submerge my phone. <laughs> Just imagine a baby bird taking its first flight out of the nest. Can you fathom what that is like? Never having flown before, you know, maybe flapped its wings a little bit. Watched mom and dad. But like, it's got, it's got to look down out of that nest at that ground far away. And it's got to crawl up onto the edge of that nest. And it's just got to go, woo! <laughs> woo! You know what I'm talking about. And what happens? Its body knows how to fly. It was created to fly. It was made to fly. Everything about it says fly. <laughs> so you may look at that ground far down below. You may wonder what the heck this is all about. But I'm telling you, Venus trine Neptune all week long absolute beautiful you know channeling of love truth connection Mars and Taurus you will know your body will tell you your heart will tell you your feelings will tell you you will know when you are on the path. You will know when you are in truth. You will feel when you are in truth. Especially if you observe yourself. And, 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 and listen to the words coming out of your mouth. Is that your truth, really? <laughs> or is that somebody, something somebody told you <laughs> so long ago? Are you coming from your heart space? You will know, especially if you ask and you have the intention. Set the intention. True self-expression. And that intention will create ripples, waves, effects. So, boom. One more time for the mantra. 
Yeah. Ow! Like a sculpture gazing upon a new stone. I see the future me. The thoughts I am thinking are the tools I will use to free my true identity. So chisel away, chisel away, and you will find that you are a gift. You are a special gift to the world, and the world needs you. Not your bullshit, not your programming. They need you. And you find yourself gradually. Take it easy on yourself. Forgive yourself for screwing up and this and that and the other and all the, you know, all the things you've done bad and wrong and this and that. You're going to get this much better every day. And it's just going to get better and better. You're going to chip tiny little bits away. Maybe you're finishing your sculpture. Maybe some of us are just starting our sculpture. Some of us are like halfway through. <laughs> Some of us are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Almost got it. Just a tiny little bit of... <laughs> yeah, baby. Ow! Namaste. Aloha. So much love. That'll do it. Okay. There you are. Did you get to hear the rest of the? Did you get to hear everything? So anyway, now next Saturday, not going to be any easier than it was this week. Maybe even worse. Uh, sun's going to be opposite Saturn. Exactly. Venus is going to be still opposite Pluto. The sun is still going to be squaring Mars. Saturn still squaring Mars. Uh, moon, will, moon will be conjunct Neptune. Trying Venus. Venus will be in 3 Leo, so it will be approaching trine to Jupiter. Mars will be trying Pluto. Yeah, Mars trying Pluto. Pluto opposite Venus. Venus trying Neptune. Neptune opposite Mercury. Mercury trying Uranus. 
Tyrannus, oh boy, it's going to be messy. We got a lot of, we got a, um, let's see, what is that? Um, there's a, there's some lines on here. I think they're, let's see, that's a, that's a 30 degree separation. That's a, let's see, 30, 39, that's a 45 degree angle. Right, I don't see it. That's a 135-degree angle. Oh. Yeah, that's a 45-degree angle. There's, it's a, like a, it's like a geometrical spider web. Uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a messy, a messy week of, of shifting energies all over the place. So that's that's that, and I guess now we should go to our next astrologer, Tanya. Okay. Okay. This is twenty-one minutes, so you might want to see what you want to share because you're going to have some time at the end, Richard. Okay. Right. Maybe I can. Hey, maybe I can pick out another Sabian symbol here. Yeah, that sounds great. There we go. Venus is moving into Leo this week. Yippee-ki-yay, 8-8 eight, eight Lionsgate on Monday, too. Uh, this Monday? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Talk to you in a bit. Okay. Hello there, it's Tanya Gabrielle, Well Astrologist, and welcome to Star Codes. This is the forecast where we look at an important event coming up so we can navigate it with more insights about self-growth and uplifting the energy so that we use it for our highest good. And in this case, it's going to be the very powerful Aquarius full supermoon on August 11th and 12th. It's actually August 12th universal time in Greenwich, England, but August 11th in the Americas. The time of this supermoon is 2.36 a.m. Universal Time, and that would be 9.36 p.m. Eastern Time, New York, and 6.36 p.m. Pacific Time, L.A. Now, why is this such an important full moon? It's because it brings together Aquarius, the ruler of Aquarius, Uranus, and Saturn, which is currently in Aquarius. So the big square of the year, which is activated one more time in early October, is being triggered by virtue of Uranus ruling this full moon and Saturn being in Aquarius. So this big square of 2022, which comes together in early October, between like end of September until around October 5th, it's exact around the 1st of October. This big square involves Uranus, the ruler of Aquarius, and Saturn, which is in Aquarius. So it's being triggered 
in this full moon. And not only that, this full moon has a T-square between Uranus, which is merged with Mars in Taurus. And if you know, we have this stellium in late July, early August, that is between Uranus, Mars, and the North Node. So Uranus and Mars are conjunct. They're forming a square to the Moon and Saturn in Aquarius, and another square on the other side to the Sun in Leo. So they form this triangle called a T-square, and you can see it right here. The red lines, you see the opposition between the Sun and Moon, and then next to the Moon is Saturn, and then they both create a square to Uranus and Mars. So it's a really big deal, and basically what we're dealing with in the overall scheme of things is leaving the past behind. So basically, Saturn represents the past, and Aquarius and Uranus the future. And since we just had that big stellium with the North Node, Uranus, and Mars on July 31st, August 1st, this is all about moving forward now. We're really, the momentum into the shift that has been ongoing is really picking up now until the end of the year and even into 2023. So hold on to your seats because we are accelerating now. And what is helping that newfound energy, that forward momentum energy, is that this new moon is happening at 19 degrees Aquarius for the moon, 19 degrees Leo for the sun. And 19 is a number made up of one and nine, beginnings and endings, really showing that there is a shift in play. Not only that, one plus nine equals 10, one plus zero for 10 equals one. So 19 is a one in terms of the root number and one is new beginnings. One is shifting into a new period. So we've got that. We've got the Prince of Heaven number 19 and the Prince of Heaven number 19 is the sun. That's what the ancients called the sun. And then we also have six planets in fixed signs. So the fixed signs are Aquarius, Taurus, Scorpio, and Leo. And the moon and Saturn are in Aquarius, Uranus and Mars are in Taurus, Venus and the sun are in Leo. So that really puts a heavy emphasis on fixed signs. And the fixed signs are definitely about holding on to things. There's a lot of unwillingness to change in general, but at the same time, the plus side is a lot of determination and a fantastic focus to accomplish things, to getting things done. So the energy is fixed and not flexible. And then here come Uranus and Aquarius, which are really the purveyors of change and sudden shifts and the unexpected coming in and rattling the cage, basically, saying that, okay, well, we know you like things to not, you know, change and stay the same, but we are now creating rapid transformation. And it's all about building something of value, building something new of value. Saturn is the builder. Taurus is a sign that likes to create something that is of great value. And that's where Uranus is. Saturn is an Aquarius. And so Aquarius governs communities. So creating new breakthroughs, practical breakthroughs that result in 
building those new communities. And then there's also the fact that we have Saturn representing the past, Uranus representing the future, Saturn representing efficiency and restriction and work and leadership, and then Uranus, the unexpected genius, freedom, breakthroughs. So a lot of things that we took for granted will be up in the air. And so we have to just keep staying comfortable with change. And I know that may sound like a paradox because change isn't always comfortable. But if you can get comfortable with all the transformation and the need to be incredibly flexible now and very open and very tuned in to the divine, to source, to your guides, because that's how that's really your only way to navigate all these shifts your navigation system will always be there for you and you can trust it implicitly. And that's really one of the major gifts of these times of change is that we have only that to rely on. So basically this is shake-up energy. There is really very little that you can depend on except for that inner navigation system, your inner voice. And also that Saturn is part of this equation being in Aquarius, being conjunct the moon, merged with the moon for this full moon, being square to Uranus, the ruler of Aquarius, and Saturn rules Capricorn. And Pluto is still in Capricorn. It's the last couple of years Pluto is is moving through Capricorn and Pluto is the planet of life, death, rebirth, empowerment through change planet. Pluto also governs power, and Saturn governs career. Saturn governs the old structures, right, the the structures that we come to rely upon. So you can see how there's just so much being impacted here. And so Saturn is one of those planets that also governs leaders because leaders of empires or leaders of countries, leaders of corporations or any leaders in any capacity come from a historical perspective that uh, gives them that power and that it, that history is the past. So leaders will be very much impacted by these rapid changes and any past ways of accomplishing their goals or their agendas that do not support this shift, those will not gain any more momentum. In fact, momentum will stagnate. Uh, there just won't be the implicit trust in the same old, same old ways. And that is a good thing because change cannot take root when we are still holding on tightly to ways that seem familiar and actually have no place at this time of the major shift. And if there's any sign that represents a shift, it is Aquarius, because Aquarius is designed to find inventive solutions. Aquarius is the sign that looks to the future for inspiration, that creates inventions, and that looks at long-range goals. So it's a good time for you to look at the vision you have for your life. Not, And it's, it's really just to focus on the frequency in your vision. It's not to focus on the exact endpoint of how you want that to look, but more the big picture of the outcomes that have, that elicit 
a sense of abundance and joy and peace and acceptance and pleasure and inner peace in you. So there is really this sense of the inspiration that comes from Aquarius, the higher mind aspect, the innovation, the eccentricity and brilliance, meaning you're going out on a limb because it hasn't been experienced before. So you really have to have a a large level of trust at this point. There's excitement, there's surprise with Aquarius. And the reason it's there is it yields those unexpected results that wouldn't have otherwise even been contemplated or let alone accepted and allowed. So the element of surprise um, shifts things up and creates a an interruption in a sense to what the norm is so the norm isn't just you know going as usual so again this is all happening this t-square this full moon is all happening in fixed signs so some of the changes may feel uncomfortable if you're not open to the rapidness of this time right now so the shadow side then is that you are inflexible, that you have a fear of engaging with the present moment because it means that you're ch- you're changing. And that, of course, is life, right? Engaging with the present moment means you're not caught in the past. So another shadow side of the Aquarian theme is not getting involved, hands off, right? Um, being aloof. So just watch those tendencies during this time. Now, the moon conjunct Saturn, the moon in Aquarius, conjunct Saturn in Aquarius, means that you're going to take your intuition, your feelings more seriously. You're going to take responsibility for your well-being. You have more self-control and you have a sense of duty that you just, it just comes more naturally to just go and accomplish and be there for whatever it is that you signed up for. Uh, Emotional commitment is also magnified and your feelings are understood at a level that brings a lot of clarity. Now, the sun is opposite Saturn when the moon is conjunct Saturn in a full moon because the sun is opposite the moon, sun and Leo. So when the sun is opposite Saturn, there's a sense of feeling more restricted and you want to dissipate any tendency to procrastinate and not get up and get things done to and do that by just focusing on getting active, like getting physical exercise. Remember that Mars is part of this T-square, Mars conjunct Uranus and Taurus. Mars really wants you to move and not wait for others to inspire you or praise you, but really get active and sow those seeds. And then you can see they will return to you exponentially. So the moon is square to Uranus and that definitely can create excitability in terms of your emotions. So you want to guard against impulsive actions or reactions, you know, those instant reactions that are sort of knee jerk and just know that yes, you are yearning for freedom is, is one of the key words here with Aquarius in general. And just understand that things are moving quickly, so the air is cleared rapidly, and you don't necessarily have to contribute to the drama by reacting, and just allow it to evolve. 
so if you feel any kind of disruption that comes from Uranus, it is it is there to elevate your inspiration. It's there to really allow you to go deeper in terms of your profound abilities as an intuitive to connect with source and your guides, not not feel like you're being somehow, you know, attacked in some way. Taurus also governs what you value. So Uranus is really, in a sense, changing that up a little bit for us in general. While Uranus is moving through Taurus for many years, 2018 till around 2026 or so, and so that's that's been in play for a while, but now it's really being triggered by this square with Saturn last year and this year, and it's coming to a head again now. So we want to look at what it is we value and are there things we can let go of? Are there beliefs we can release? So it's really to be flexible in general to, and adjust to change in a big way and just uh, not to make those aggressive reactions in a sense. Now, one more thing, the moon is sextile to Chiron and that is so beautiful during this full moon because it means that love, the great healer, is coming through with great compassion and allowing your heart to be very tender, very sensitive. And the more you love, the more you are healed and you will really feel that during this full moon. So the healing is really enhanced at this time with the increased tenderness that allows you to feel the energy of others, feel the vibration of people around you very deeply and allow it to move you in a very positive healing way. So wonderful in terms of the activation of deep compassion. And remember that Aquarius is a sign that governs the collective in general. So the collective meaning we are all moving through this shift together And then, of course, we also have our individual way of adjusting that is unique to us. And Aquarius governs both of those. Uh, The water bearer is a water bearer of wisdom and the water bearer of the future and pouring new creative ways of living our future and, and creating a flow as well. The water bearer is very much seeding the potentials and the ideas that then go into the river and start flowing. And that river is a wonderful theme in general because you don't want to fight the flow of the river now. If you feel this quickening, which is part of this time we're in, remember that you are discovering a new path and that everything will feel a little bit more destined now because it is almost like you can't resist it. It's irresistible. It's just the river, you're in it, you're flowing, and you can't swim upstream, right? So this is a very important vision to have in your mind is is that ease of flow that you have even when you're born and you come through the birth canal and that flow of being born is water-based. So again, this is a time to... Just understand if you're going through a challenge, you know, being born obviously is a major challenge and shift and we all go through challenges, but we don't have to linger in the suffering of that moment. It's the lingering that results in the pain. So if we keep turning back, we are regurgitating past experiences and that means we can't be inspired because we're not in the present. We're not in the flow. 
We're not looking at where we are right now and where we're heading and seeing beyond the past, literally allowing us to release the path past with every breath, every out breath, it's gone. So everything shows you how you are expressing or suppressing energy. And that energy is your divine light. So pay attention to that because you're either expressing that divine light or you're suppressing it. And once you see how any challenge that is happening in your life is actually serving you, supporting you, elevating you, you move out of that suffering and into living fully. So that is really part of the empowerment of this T-square with Mars involved as well. Mars in Taurus conjunct Uranus is setting you free to feel only inner confidence and no inner fear. Both Mars and Uranus are fearless planets and they're the apex of this triangle, as you can see, with the North Node, which which basically means the North Node points north, that's our future. The future is to feel empowered and fearless. So leaving behind fear, not being the victim. That's really the key. So going into your heart center will allow you to do that because everything that you experience then will see be seen as, as being of service to you. And that lifts you then out of any heaviness you feel, any suffering you feel, any pain that you feel as we move through this birth canal into this new life, you know, being born now. So just have that, that feeling of connecting to that inner confidence within you 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 have it naturally it's basically your attunement to the divine right that gives you the trust and the confidence to move through anything so have a beautiful aquarius full moon and speaking of confidence what will help you a lot with your confidence is to know your actual star code and i have a free masterclass for you where All you need to know is your birthday, your birth certificate name, and if you have it, your birth time and birthplace for the astrology part of the masterclass. And you can discover your divine blueprint in that free masterclass. And it will tell you so much about who you are at soul level and help you understand others as well, which is always a big plus. So we're not in judgment of others. So have fun with that. Free masterclass at starcodeclass.com. Discover your own star code, your destiny, your life purpose. There's so much to see and to be excited about and confidence building as well. So enjoy that and have a beautiful Aquarius full moon. I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast.
So 20 degrees of Leo says Zuni Indians perform a ritual to the sun. Wow. And the keynote is a return to the glorification of natural energies. Oh, wonderful. Yes. While the first symbol of this sequence pictured the magnificence of the returning sun after a storm, in this last symbol we see, by implication, man returning to nature and glorifying the sun after the long crisis of civilized, in quotes, living in artificial cities. For many years now, the American Pueblo Indian has been for the weary city dweller and the dried-up intellectual a symbol of the return to nature. After having ruthlessly destroyed him, we come to him as an exemplar of peaceful and harmonious group living. This sequence brings us the image of a reversal of our socialized activity and opens for us the way to the deepest release of our long-denied root energies. Natural man links himself consciously to the source of all life on earth. And this means identification through worship and the sanctification of the creative power of the sun. I add that of the sun, okay? Yeah. So that's 20 Leo where the sun will be on Thursday and the moon will therefore be in 20 Aquarius. Yeah, so 20 Aquarius is also interesting. It reads, a large white dove bearing a message. The answer of spiritual agencies through sustained and victorious individual efforts. Yep. And that that immediately reminds me of the great invocation. Mm. On the point of light. Yes. Uh, the individual who has gone courageously and with indomitable spirit through his crucial crisis receives, as it were, a deep spiritual blessing from the soul realm. Mission accomplished. Peace be with you. And this mm-hmm. blessing, a, and in this blessing, a secret prophecy of what is yet to come may be seen by the perspicacious and spiritually sensitive man, mind of the recipient. Every real spiritual step a man takes in his development is the result of a victory over forces of inertia or destruction. 
the divine is totally present in the heart of all true victories. 20 degrees Aquarius. Well, that is well. Yes. What the message is depends on the particular situation, but the white dove always signifies peace. At the very heart of this peace is the certification of individual worth and victory. So that's a good omen. It certainly is. I'll take that. You'll we'll take that it. squared. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll keep us yeah. busy working at the mission until we meet again, huh, Richard? Yes, I I wish you all a, a, a safe and prosperous week. And Taurus, Taurus is going to be at 19, and it's a new continent rising out of the ocean. The mm. surge of new potentiality, the surge of new potentiality after the crisis. So that's where Uranus is sitting this week. If we can work our way through all these crises, plural. God bless and good night. Thank you, Richard. Good night. And Rama, we have our conference call number, sir. Um, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code. 353-863-POUND. We will see you there, everyone, and we'll be right back here at the top of the following hour at BBS Radio Station 2, best radio in the universe, bar none. Sat down for now, everybody. See you on the conference.
Welcome back, everyone. Bowers for the uh, Lions game. Hang on here. Rama's going to play that shamanic music for Melissa again. And for everyone. Yeah. Just a second. Here we go. Earn up to $120 in alley points on Jupiter. Learn more at Jupiter.com.
фестиваля. Номинации за самобытность вручаются Ольге Поклушной Улукай, Республика Сахар, Якутия. Okay. What a talent. That's amazing. Oh, it is. Uh, Padme, if you're listening, and somebody can tell Padme otherwise, but uh, Obama's birthday adds up to a nine path for the whole year, which is completion. And the way you figure the numbers out is eight plus four, eight, four, and then 2022, 6. 8 plus 4 is 12. Plus 2022 is a 6. So 12 plus 6 equals 18. 8 and 1 is 9. For Padme's birthday, which is 8, 13, 2022, it adds up the same way, but it age and the birth year, and that would be 
so literally threatening. That's just insane. And uh, and we're egging them on. That was insane. But uh, anyway, it is what it is, and the universe knows what to do. And there's only one of us here, so we are the universe. Let's get it together. Okay, so we'll learn something here. Dr. Gilbert exposes where science meets the sacred. This is 38 minutes, and let's do it, Ron. Okay. host, Dr. Robert J. Gilbert. In this episode, we will explore the hidden powers of the most famous forms in sacred geometry. The five platonic solids, which are the forms for the four elements of nature and the mysterious fifth element. You'll then learn a little-known Rosicrucian practice, using these powerful forms to expand your consciousness and help you to open up perception of higher worlds. In our previous episodes, we showed the power of the sphere as the perfect sacred geometric container for new life and for all of creation. We saw the sacred geometry transformation of the sphere from a containing form to become a dynamic energy activation form, the torus. The platonic solids are also derived from the primal sacred geometry form of the sphere, but they have undergone a different transformation than the Taurus. The divine pact thought form behind the platonic solids is that they are the only five perfect ways to divide a sphere. Each way of dividing it creates a different form which releases a different power. Every face on a particular solid has the same shape, either a triangle, square, or pentagon. The same number of faces meet at every corner or vertex of the form, and every line on every face is the exact same length. The original forms of the platonic solids are spherical. Then each face is flattened to make the platonic solids as they were taught to the Greeks and as they are popularly known today. Our oldest historical artifacts of the platonic solids are from Scotland, where many ancient stone forms have been found which are well over 3,500 years old. Interestingly, in these oldest artifacts, the platonic solids always appear in their primordial spherical form. The familiar flattened faces that we know today were popularized by the Greek school of Pythagoras, with information likely gathered from ancient Egypt and Babylonia. We know from the writings of Plato that the Greeks knew that the platonic solids were connected to the hidden energy grids of the Earth. In our first episode, we showed the net of the Earth grids, the energy patterns of the Earth based on the platonic solids. Each of the five ways of dividing the sphere creates a form connected to one of the four elements of nature, Earth, water, air, 
and fire. The fifth form is connected to the mystery of the fifth element, which the Greeks called the ether. This is the dynamic energy of life itself. The tetrahedron is the form behind the power of fire. It has four triangular faces. The octahedron is the form behind the power of air. It has eight triangular faces. The cube is the form behind the power of earth. It has six square faces. The icosahedron is the form behind the power of water. It has 20 triangular faces. The fifth and final form, the form kept hidden in the writings of Plato and the Pythagorean school in Greece, because of its tremendous potential power, is the fifth element, the ether, the dynamic life force itself, which is the source of the four earthly elements. This is the dodecahedron with 12 pentagonal faces. Each of these platonic solids is a deep world within itself, full of embedded knowledge and power. Each one is a packed thought form from the mind of God. The best known of these forms, the cube of Earth with six square faces. We will explore in greater detail in a future episode, where we will see that it is the form for creating the physical plane itself. The cube is a sealed chamber, an alchemical retort, we are placed in as young spiritual beings in order to go through deep spiritual transformation processes during our earthly life. Let's dive deeper now into the mysteries of the other four platonic solids. The first and simplest of the platonic solids is the tetrahedron of fire with four triangular faces. The tetrahedron is the minimal, most fundamental three-dimensional form which can be created with straight lines. One of the key thought forms from the mind of God behind the tetrahedron is that it holds the pattern of the original one point of the divine unity, which is being solidly supported by the three points of a trinity for manifestation purposes. In the Christian tradition, this packed thought form of the tetrahedron is the principle of the divine unity, the true Godhead, resting on the trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the structure of the human energy field, this trinity of support becomes the human divine spirit being supported by three anchor points for the human soul, also known in the Western esoteric tradition as the astral body. In an upcoming episode, we will explore these three anchor points of the soul and we'll see how they support the spirit in the human body just as the three points of the triangle at the base of the tetrahedron support the one point directly above the triangle. As the fundamental three-dimensional form, the tetrahedron holds the principle of fire, which is classically always connected to spirit. The tetrahedron creates fundamental stability and a strong structure for physical manifestation, just as the spirit is the foundation behind the crystallization of physical matter. Buckminster Fuller demonstrated that the triangle and the tetrahedron are the most important structural support forms which exist, applying it to his creation of geodesic domes. If you make all of the photonic solids with flexible corners, they all collapse except for the tetrahedron, which even with flexible rubber corners still stands erect and strong. 
The tetrahedron has to be completely turned inside out in order for any corner to buckle inwards, giving it more resilience than any other platonic solid form. When the tetrahedron is combined with the form for air, the octahedron, together they create tremendously strong trusses to support physical weight and withstand high-pressure loads. Bucky Fuller called this the tet-octa-truss. Hidden inside of the structural strength of the tetrahedron is another key packed thought form in the mind of God, which is to stabilize the center, with the center being the gateway to the divine plane. Again, it was Buckminster Fuller who publicized that the tetrahedron was the minimal form to anchor and hold fixed a point in the center of a structure. To explain what this means, if you put a small ball on the end of a string and have just one point of restraint, which is where you would hold the string, then the ball can move in any direction. If you add a second point of restraint, the ball can still move along a full 360 degrees along a two-dimensional plane. If you add a third point of restraint, then the ball can only move back and forth on a one-dimensional line. When you add the fourth point of restraint, which means the four points of the tetrahedron, each corner point holding a line connected to the central ball or center point, then the sphere is anchored and immobilized in the center of the tetrahedron. And so the principle of stabilizing the divine center is another hidden divine thought form within the tetrahedron. Buckminster Fuller also taught that the most fundamental physical entity, the photon of light, is itself a tetrahedron. When light creates the world, it is the tetrahedron creating the world. The next platonic solid is the octahedron of air, with eight triangular faces. The octahedron is a form which manifests from the creation of physical space, which is filled with air. It is created by connecting the ends of the three axes of the cubical cross, which defines the three 90-degree angles that create three-dimensional physical space. When the ends of the three-dimensional cross are all connected together, this creates the octahedron form. The octahedron can also be seen as essentially two pyramids, one pointing upwards and one pointing downwards, connected at their base. This is the true hidden origin of the pyramid, the form used by traditions all over the world as a place of spiritual initiation. The pyramid is in reality an octahedron cut in half. Just as the octahedron is based on the cubical cross, which is the thought form in the mind of God which creates the three dimensions of physical space, so the octahedron itself is the basis for the form for human soul travel which has been popularized in modern times as the Merkaba, or star tetrahedron, and which technically is known as the stellated octahedron. Stellation is the technical term for turning a flat-sided form into a star form. The octahedron is stellated, or turned into a star form, by lifting up the center point of each face and then connecting that raised center point to the three corners of that triangular face of the octahedron. This can also be seen from another perspective, that this stellation essentially adds onto every one of the eight faces of the octahedron, the form for air, a tetrahedron, 
the form for fire. Amazingly, this also then converts the entire octahedron into a form looking like two interpenetrating tetrahedra. Fire, with the octahedron form for air, which fuels fire, hidden inside. This stellated octahedron, better known to the public today as a star tetrahedron, is a form which is part of the subtle body system of the human being, related to higher initiation and soul travel. We will explore the star form and the hidden secrets of the Merkaba vehicle of soul travel in detail in a later episode of this series. The octahedron holds many secrets for how spirit creates the physical world. For example, the sacred geometry secret of the Tibetan tradition was only made public recently in the book titled Sacred Dimensions of Time and Space by Tarthang Tolku, published in 1997. In this book, a Tibetan master describes how time has a structure with past, present, and future, creating the three points of a triangle. These triangles are connected in a linear flow of what we conceive of as time. These triangles emerge from two dimensions to three dimensions as octahedral diamonds, which are the units of the flow of time itself. The next platonic solid form is the icosahedron of water with 20 triangular faces. Just as the octahedron is created on a framework of the three axes of physical space, so the icosahedron is created using a different framework on top of the same three 90-degree axes that create physical space. Instead of using simple one-dimensional lines that create the octahedron, the icosahedron is manifested from three golden mean rectangles which are each two-dimensional. The golden mean, also known as the phi ratio, is a major sacred geometry pattern intimately linked to life energy, which we will explore in a later episode of this series. The icosahedron is the platonic solid related to water, which is the element that is understood today as the basic prerequisite for life as we know it. Simple biological life which live in liquid such as protozoa in the ocean, often take on a pure icosahedral form. One of the simplest and smallest biological life forms are viruses. It is perhaps no surprise then that the platonic solid form for water, the icosahedron, has been found in modern scientific research to be the actual form of many viruses. This is the case, for example, with herpes virus, adenovirus, and many others. The final and ultimate platonic solid is the dodecahedron with 12 pentagonal faces. This is the form that is in resonance with the ether. The ancient Greek concept of the ether has always been understood as the dynamic life force which fills all of space and is connected to the heavens surrounding the earth. This concept was virtually universal among all classical traditions with a variety of names given to the ether in different cultures. For example, it is called prana in India. It was the basis for the Ka energy body in ancient Egypt. And in China, it was referred to as the universal chi field. Although the existence of the ether is denied by modern Western materialistic science, 
It has in reality simply been brought in through the back door and given a different name to fit modern materialism. For example, now being referred to as the quantum vacuum field or the quantum energy field. In February 2003, NASA released their new mapping of cosmic background radiation data from the Wilkinson Microwave Anisotropy Probe, or the WMAP, which reveals the actual physical structures of space. Then in October 2003, a group of cosmologists with mathematician Jeffrey Weeks analyzed this data to create a new accurate model for the shape of the universe. According to Jeffrey Weeks, the solution which fits the mathematical data indicated that the universe is finite and shaped like a dodecahedron, which also contains within it geometric manifolds of other platonic solids. And so once again, modern science confirms the sacred geometry knowledge of ancient spiritual traditions. The dodecahedron is deeply connected to the number five. It is the only platonic solid with five-sided pentagonal faces. As we will see in a later episode, five-sided geometries like the pentagram are directly connected to etheric life force, the human etheric body, and the phi ratio. The dodecahedron can perfectly hold inside of it five cubes so that one of the 12 lines on each cube creates one line connecting two non-adjacent points on each face of the dodecahedron. When all five cubes are in place, they create a pentagram, a five-pointed star, on every face of the dodecahedron. The pentagram is a pure phi ratio form with golden mean proportioning throughout the pentagram. The human etheric life body is itself a pentagram, connecting the heart to the five extremities, the head, two hands, and two feet. The dodecahedron occurs naturally in chemical structures and features prominently in many modern scientific theories on the atomic structure behind all matter. Now, interestingly, the noble gas xenon's structure, as found in chemistry textbooks, is based on a dodecahedra around a cube. Xenon is in reality an extremely psychotropic gas used for inducing spiritual experiences in clinics in the Czech Republic. Now we see that this power may be linked to its geometric form, the cube of the materialized physical world being surrounded by the dodecahedron, the opening to the etheric life force, the gateway to higher spirit. The dodecahedron opens up a gateway to the etheric life force itself. For that purpose, it is used by esotericists and energy researchers in many different forms, ranging from making dodecahedron-shaped chambers to do healing practices inside of, to cutting crystals into dodecahedron forms to use on the body and energy field. Before we can reveal the deeper hidden powers of the dodecahedron, we must first know that each of the platonic solids has a complementary opposite form known as its platonic dual. Every platonic solid has a specific number of faces and a specific number of corner points, each one of which is known technically as a vertex or in the plural are called vertices. These numbers of vertices perfectly match the number of faces on a different platonic solid. 
referred to as its dual form. And in return, the number of faces on this platonic solid matches the number of vertices on its dual. The thought form in the mind of God behind the platonic duals is that when the duals are placed inside one another, each vertex or corner of both forms appear in the exact center of a face of its dual. This principle is connected to the divine thought form of the point in the center of the circle. The corner of the platonic solid is a point, and the face shape of its dual form is the surrounding boundary. So just as air and earth are two complementary opposite polarities, so the octahedron of the air and the cube of the earth are platonic duals. There are six square faces on the cube, in the center of which perfectly fit the six corners or vertices of the octahedron. There are eight triangular faces on the octahedron, in the center of which fit the eight vertices of the cube. The physical element essential for life is water. Water is the basis of living beings animated by the ether. For the ether to operate in a living body, water must be present. And so we find that the icosahedron of water and the dodecahedron of the etheric life force are platonic duals, complementary matched polarities. There are 20 triangular faces on the icosahedron, in the center of which the 20 vertices of the dodecahedron fit, and 12 pentagonal faces on the dodecahedron, in the center of which the 12 vertices of the icosahedron fit. This, of course, leaves one platonic solid left over, the tetrahedron of fire. The tetrahedron is paired with itself. It is self-dual. The tetrahedron has four faces in which fit the four corners of an inverted tetrahedron. This platonic dual with its upright and inverted pair of nested tetrahedra is connected to movements of energy upwards and downwards based on the direction the point of each tetrahedra is oriented. This is connected to the form of the human Merkaba soul vehicle as the star tetrahedron, which we mentioned earlier and which we will explore in a later episode. These platonic solid forms and their duals can be applied to the human energy field for powerful energetic and spiritual purposes. Returning now to our discussion of the dodecahedron, in addition to the dodecahedron being paired with the icosahedron as its platonic dual, there is also a very deep esoteric tradition regarding the double dodecahedra. In other words, two dodecahedrons connected face to face. In the work of the great European Rosicrucian teacher, Rudolf Steiner, the double dodecahedra was used as the foundation stone for creating a new temple of the grail, which was the building known today as the first Gertiana, which was built in Dornach, Switzerland during World War I. Tragically, this amazing Rosicrucian temple of the grail was destroyed, burned to the ground by a Nazi saboteur shortly after it was completed. A copper double dodecahedron was placed in the earth as the foundation stone for this new temple of the grail. It represented the union of the macrocosm of the spiritual world, which was the larger dodecahedron, with the microcosm of our physical world, the smaller dodecahedron. The double dodecahedra was echoed in the construction of the building by the twin domes over the temple. 
An important aspect of the dodecahedron is that this form was obscured or kept hidden in some ancient traditions, including the ancient Greek tradition. As the form related to the dynamic life force itself, which stands above all the other platonic solids, all the other elements of nature, there was the concern that the misuse of this form could lead to unleashing catastrophic forces of destruction. This concern proved to be prophetic. During my time as a nuclear biological chemical warfare defense instructor for the U.S. Marine Corps, I discovered declassified photos from the Manhattan Project related to one of the first forms of the atomic bomb. During the creation of the atomic bomb in the Manhattan Project of World War II, it was discovered that to create the critical mass leading to the explosion of the bomb called Fat Man, a plutonium implosion device, the bomb required being shaped as a dodecahedron so that when the outer spherical shell of the bomb was removed, there were inside 12 pentagonal sections which acted as lenses to make the atomic explosion possible. The dodecahedron was the form of the atomic bomb. With the atomic explosion... I'm just saying it's very interesting because on this day, August 6, 1945 or 6, 45, 45, Hiroshima was dropped. Mm-hmm. That happened. Yep. There's all kinds of figures from one end to the other and up and down the kazoo. But between the two of them, it's hundreds of thousands of people died. Yeah. Okay. And they've been still dying and suffering. Okay. Place of violent fire. Place of violent fire. Explosion. The ancient warning of the destructive power if the dodecahedron of the etheric life force were ever to be misused, was shown to be true and prophetic. Nuclear weapons literally disintegrate matter out of physical existence entirely. One of the major scientists in the Manhattan Project, Robert Oppenheimer, famously said a quote from the Hindu holy text, the Bhagavad Gita, when he saw the destructive power of the atomic blast. Now I am become death the destroyer of worlds. One of the scientists in the Manhattan Project, Professor Robert Moon from the University of Chicago, later published his insights into how the entire periodic table of elements, which is the identification of literally every element which creates physical matter, is in fact based on the platonic solids. The Robert Moon model of the periodic table suggests that the atomic number for each element, in other words, the number of protons, is linked to a hidden geometry. Each proton is positioned exactly at a vertex, in other words, one of the corners, of multiple platonic solids nested inside one another. In the Robert Moon model, element number eight on the periodic table, oxygen, is created from each of its eight protons being at one of the eight corners of the cube. Just as the ancients said that the cube is the form for creating the earth element, so element number eight, oxygen, which makes the cube, comprises 62.55% of all the atoms in the earth's crust. 
Adding in the six vertices to create the octahedron brings us up to element number 14, which is silicon, which makes up the next largest number of atoms in the Earth's crust, 21.22%. So the combined cube and octahedron, which materialize oxygen and silicon on the periodic table, then together make up 84% of the Earth's crust. Adding in the icosahedron's 12 vertices brings us up to element 26, iron. Then adding in the dodecahedron's 20 vertices brings us up to element number 46, palladium. Now note that the tetrahedron is not part of the nested forms in the moon model of the periodic table. It was described by Professor Moon as being used for positions of the neutrons. Also remember what we said before, that the tetrahedron is the only one of the platonic solids which does not have a different platonic solid as a dual. It is self-dual. Robert Moon then realized that creating a second set of these nested platonic solids creates two full dodecahedra with internal platonic solids. These two dodecahedra connect on a pentagonal face at element number 86, the radioactive gas radon. From a spiritual perspective of the platonic solids, this double dodecahedra can be seen as the first dodecahedron being the etheric life force of the heavens, the first 46 lighter elements on the periodic table, joined with the etheric life force of the earth, the final 46 denser elements, which creates the total number of naturally occurring elements on Earth, 92. We discussed earlier the Rosicrucian understanding from before the time of the Manhattan Project and the Robert Moon Elements Model. Of the double dodecahedron as the union of heaven and Earth, the macrocosm and the microcosm. As there are 92 naturally occurring elements on the periodic table to create elements beyond radon, more corners on the twin dodecahedra must become available for protons to manifest there. In the Robert Moon model, this happens through the face connection between the dodecahedra, breaking apart like a hinge to make more proton nesting sites available for later elements. To create element number 91, protactinium, the line of connection must break to then have only one point of connection. This means to create the final naturally occurring element on the periodic table, radioactive uranium. The two dodecahedra must break apart completely. From a spiritual perspective of the dodecahedron as the form of the ether, the vital life force, this breaking apart the connection between the life force of the earth and the life force of the heavens leads to the destruction we see with nuclear weapons. From an engineering perspective, breaking apart the connection between the two nuclear proton dodecahedra creates instability. This results in element number 92, uranium, releasing toxic radiation and makes possible the fission of uranium. Fission was a critical breakthrough in which Robert Moon himself participated during the Manhattan Project at the University of Chicago, leading to the use of uranium and later man-made elements like plutonium to create devastating nuclear weapons, which literally vaporize physical matter out of existence in the blink of an eye.
the use of the dodecahedron for the first nuclear weapon, and the deeper geometric structures behind that, explained in Professor Robert Moon's model, show the true power and the fundamental nature of the platonic solid for the creation of our world. It is also a warning of the destructive power of the misuse of sacred geometry knowledge. However, just as the misuse of the dodecahedron form of the etheric life force gave rise to nuclear weapons annihilating life, so the wise use of this form is fundamentally linked to the giving of life and even transmuting deadly materials into safe forms. We saw that element number 46, palladium, was the form of the first completed dodecahedron in the Robert Moon model of the periodic table of elements. With the dodecahedron being known as the gateway to the ether, the vital life force itself in ancient teachings, this indicates that palladium, the completed dodecahedron, may have unusual alchemical, energetic, and life-protecting effects. And indeed, this has recently been scientifically proven. Researchers at Pennsylvania State University found that lethal chemicals, such as military-grade nerve agents, could be rendered completely harmless through interaction with, you guessed it, palladium. Palladium causes the toxic chemicals to oxidize, breaking down the lethal nerve... They just showed Novichok on here. Yeah, that's poisonous stuff. Yeah. But they lied about that with Russia, too. Never mind. Yes, they did. Go on, Commander. ...agent or other toxic substances to water and carbon dioxide, along with other harmless ions. The palladium converts water and oxygen into hydrogen peroxide, a powerful oxidizing agent. This is an incredible fact that the element palladium indicated in the Robert Moon model as the completed dodecahedron, the etheric life force itself, has now been proven to transform the deadliest chemical substances into basic elements which do not harm living beings. In fact, palladium and its closely related element platinum have been found to have a wide range of unusual energetic and detoxifying properties. They are used in catalytic converters to break down the harmful exhaust from cars. Palladium and platinum have been used as the cathode and anode, simply meaning the negative and positive poles, for cold fusion experiments, which created much more energy than put into the system, essentially gating energy to enter in from outside the system. We described in our first episode the net of geometric energy, which stands behind all physical matter. And this net appears to be connected to the excess energy generated in cold fusion experiments. This connection to the net concept is also demonstrated by one of the alternative names for cold fusion, which is lattice-assisted nuclear reactions, with the lattice meaning what we have called the net. The containing of the other platonic solids within the dodecahedron has also been used in a variety of esoteric healing systems. One example is the work of Theo Gimbel of Britain, who used combinations of color and platonic geometry to target and heal different functional systems of the body. In Gimbel's system, the red tetrahedron of fire is used to activate the nerve sense system 
rooted in our head. The yellow octahedron of air is used to activate and balance the respiratory system in the throat and upper chest. The blue icosahedron of water is used to activate and balance the metabolic system in the abdomen. And the green cube of earth is used to ground and balance at the base of the abdomen. Note that in Gimbel's system, which was partially based on the Rosicrucian work of Rudolf Steiner, the double dodecahedron is used over the top and bottom halves of the body. Now we have surveyed the photonic solids, the five perfect divisions of the sphere. We can now see the larger context of the information presented in our first episode, where we showed how the Earth grid itself is related to these platonic solids, particularly to the platonic duals of the dodecahedron with the icosahedron. We can now experience the power of these forms directly through an extremely important but little-known Rosicrucian practice, which uses these forms to activate new circuits in the human mind. In episode two, we explored how the human mind is a microcosm of the divine mind, which means that we can both access packed thought forms from higher beings and also generate these ourselves. One method which helps to activate this power is visualizing the platonic solids and moving them through specific transformations. Some people say they're unable to visualize. However, unless they were born blind, this is not actually true. Rather, the truth is that they simply have not fully activated that internal energy pathway, which allows them to visualize. That pathway exists, but it's not strong or stable yet. Just as physical muscles atrophy, if not used and exercised, so these inner spiritual activation pathways are weak until we flex them regularly through internal exercises. By visualizing these key thought forms in the mind of God within our own mind and exploring their transformations, we can greatly strengthen our own capacity to perceive the sacred geometry thought forms from other beings and our ability to create packed thought forms ourselves. This opens up higher states of consciousness and more conscious communication with other people. This shift of consciousness can also transform and optimize our spiritual destiny. If you'd like to do the practice now, please see the companion video for this episode. Otherwise, please set an intention to come back and do the practice at a later time. Join us for our next episode when we will discover the sacred geometric form which holds the secret of balancing and blending powerful opposite energies. This form even holds the key to understanding the different types of non-physical beings that every person will encounter on the path of spiritual development and how to discern between those whose influences are harmful and those who are highly beneficial. You will also learn how to activate the next level of the grid of life design in your energy body. Activating this core pattern can help transform your life and your spiritual destiny. See you then. That was good. I gotta listen to that again. Yeah, it's another played against Sam one. Yeah. Okay, well...
Tim the Tactical Advisor's got ET influence on language. And then we also have George Nuri mm. with Jay Widener. Widener, who are the Archons. And then another George Nuri with James Keenan, Time Portals from Atlantis to Aztecs. Yeah. Which one do you want to do next? Uh, that one. That one. All right, everybody. We're going from <laughs> from portals and when we get there, dodecahedrons and time portals. Yeah, to yeah to time portals from Atlantis to as at to the Aztecs. Did the Aztecs travel through portals to the deserts of Utah? Mm-hmm. Paranormal investigator and researcher James Keenan. Oh, that's a good one. Shares evidence he found of strange phenomena and archaeological anomalies. In the Uinta Desert of northeastern Utah. Using technology like 3D ground imaging and advanced radar. Keenan explains that that he may have found proof of portals or vortexes. These space-time fluctuations may have allowed ancient humans to move from one place and time to another, connecting civilizations from Atlantis to our present day. Keenan proposes... We may understand more about humanity's vast history on our planet through these findings. Ready? Mm. Okay, this is 41 minutes, so everybody, I guess we'll fasten our seatbelts for this one. Here Mm. we go. Mm. try to tackle this from a scientific perspective, but you can't deny what you come across that just is unexplainable. Strange things happen, strange things. I've had a manual magnetometer get fried, and nobody wants to admit that we're wrong. History is wrong, and it needs to be corrected. Like, what are we looking at here? This was underground into the cavern systems, and what it looks like is there was a location that was origin. It looks like a spaceship. Does. The zoomorphic figures, which are the animals, seem to be mesmerized by it. You know, when it comes to portals, that's one of my goals in research is to try to locate these. Make sure you come back, would you? (laughs) I will. And and what's really interesting is high amounts of iridium. That's very sought after. And it's very sought after, exactly. But what's amazing about this one is look what's behind me. Welcome to Beyond Belief. Mystery investigator James Keenan's work has led him into unexplainable events in ancient and lost history, and he loves doing what he's doing. How'd you get involved in this, James? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So, uh, originally I was in law enforcement, private investigation. Uh Aha! And after that, I decided that uh, my background from college was in anthropology and archaeology. 
So I wanted to merge the two things that I enjoy and go thank you and delve into um, ancient lost history, uh, things that, you know, we're told isn't supposed to have existed or doesn't exist or that were incorrect. Um, And when you look at uh, what was being taught, there were just portions of it that were didn't seem right. Uh, that seemed out of place or, and then it's always constantly being regurgitated, the, the same information. And nobody wants to break away from that or admit that there is other possibilities or the potential that we're wrong and that the history is wrong and it needs to be corrected. How far back do you go? So I go as far back as necessary, meaning I, I my credentials were in Mesoamerican um, history and Mesoamerican anthropology, but I saw that there was a connection between North America, specifically the desert Southwest area okay. and Mesoamerica. And you're talking, you know, some, some of this going past the last ice age uh, and other portions wow. of it right after we came out of the ice age that have been hidden, whether it be purposely or from just the loss of information. You've looked at the, the special basin. It's called the Uinta. Yes, the Uinta Basin in northeastern Utah. Tell me about this place. Sure. So there are strange phenomena that exists on the Uinta Basin and in the Uinta Mountains. As a matter of fact, you have two locations there that have high paranormal or unexplainable activity. One of them being Skinwalker Ranch. Oh yeah, yeah. we know all about Skinwalker Ranch. Ranch. All yeah. about that. And then just north of Skinwalker Ranch, you have Blind Frog Ranch as well, which has... Blind Frog? Blind Frog Ranch. How'd they come up with that name, right? Yeah, so uh, the owner, when he was originally uh, drilling, he was uh, looking for hidden treasure, uh, some of this being the Aztec treasure. He brought the drill bit back up, and there were a ton of blind frogs that came up out of the hole. And Literally blind frogs. Blind frogs, and meaning that there was an ecosystem underground where these frogs were capable of living that didn't require their need to uh, have visual capabilities, but that showed that there's these underground uh, cavity systems below. Now, when you look at these images of the basin, for example, what made you go there in the first place? Sure. So... Originally, uh, it was the petroglyphs and the uh, pictographs that were in the area because we have these desert archaic cultures uh, that we don't really know who they were. We named them Barrier Canyon style and Fremont culture just based upon locations where we found artifacts. We tie that into the petroglyphs and the pictographs. But uh, I had like, what are we looking at here, Jim? So here, this was just last year, we actually went underground into the cavern systems that are below the Uinta Mountains and the basin. And we're talking about major connectivity that goes 20 to 25 miles east-west and then north-south that has tons of underwater sumps, which would be an underground lake. Underground rivers Could you and fit under that literally? Could you slide under there? I, too close. No, I could fit under there, and then that water just continues uh, for an unknown amount of time or length. It looks like a portal. You just slide right through. You better have your goggles and your 
A, oxygen. Oxygen. Wow. And now this one here that we're going to look at. So, what is this? So, yeah, this is new technology that I've been adding recently to my, you know, boots on the ground investigation. This is uh, 3D ground imaging. Okay. What it is is uh, it's a gradiometer, two magnetometers that uh, take magnetic information at specific locations on the planet, and it converts that uh, that vector and that flux to uh, software, and the software then brings out the information that's below ground. So Why is there a different color scheme? Yeah, so it's non-invasive. You don't have to go into the ground. The red shows that there are some type of metal objects below ground. That one at 3.87 meters is a little bit past 12 feet. And the blue show that there are voids or other type of cavities below ground. And it allows me to, you know, see before having to dig or even to see if there was a necessity to dig. And here there was obviously a lot of things that need to have, be additionally looked at and researched at a later date. That bottom image looks like an alien gray with a hoodie on. <laughs> Possible. So when you do these investigations, what are you looking for? Sure. So I've always noticed that uh, we have all this historical data and information and people look into it, uh, but they seem to be looking at the same information in history that's been there. So I over and over, over and over, it's just regurgitated. Absolutely. So I wanted to figure out a way to go past that. And what I did was I've incorporated more recent technology into the investigation. And so if I bring not just ground penetrating radar, but 3D ground imaging, um, different types of radar, yeah. uh, it allows us to collect these new data points and show that maybe some of this unexplainable phenomena is really due to certain types of energy, uh, be it magnetic okay. energy or electromagnetic uh, field energy. And my sense of understanding is maybe instead of looking at uh, the phenomena as, you know, we're never going to find out what it is or how it functions, maybe if we're able to see the science part of it, that might explain that, you know, the phenomena is either creating what we're seeing, this unexplainable phenomena, or is the unexplainable phenomena attracted to that energy that's there? So if we collect enough data points, we'll be able to zero in more on what's happening because it's obviously transient, which is very unique and sure. different that it's moving. Uh, but I feel that it's underground and whether it be natural or man-made or other-made is something that we'll be able to eventually locate and then determine. And then once we do that, we're able to determine uh, whether it's creating the other phenomena above ground or how it's affecting you know, certain types of people. Talk about mysteries. Ancient civilizations on Gaia looked at the discoveries regarding that Utah area you're talking about to see if there was a connection between Atlantis, the Aztecs, and other strange mysteries. The Mexica or Aztecs have various traditions about their point of origin and about the timing of this event. Some 
of them have no dates at all and probably go back many, many thousands of years, arguably even to the time of Atlantis, uh, 11,500 years ago. If we go back about 11,000 years ago, we're talking about a time of um, an enormous flood suddenly overwhelmed the Earth, huge catastrophe. There was um, fire came out from the sky, uh, parts of a meteorite crashed upon the Earth, and this changed the whole structure of the Earth as we know it today. We're talking about a huge story of multiple nations who survived in small numbers this huge catastrophe 11,000 years ago and then populated the tribes that we know today. So the Anasazi, the Hopi, the Navajo, the Aztec, who then became the Mexica. Uh, all of these peoples are little sort of crumbs of original of people that survived a very ancient catastrophe. Could a cataclysm 11,000 years ago have spurred a migration of mass proportions that separated these tribes into different areas. The legend of the Aztecs suggests that their people began their journey from a red canyon with four rivers. Dr. Cecilio Orozco of California State University, Fresno, set out to confirm the actual location of Aztlan. On March 24, 1990, Dr. Orozco published an astonishing conclusion. By cross-referencing the description of the land where the Mahika came from, Orozco was able to pinpoint the location of their homeland, Utah. More specifically, the Four Corners region, where the borders of Utah, Arizona, Colorado, and New Mexico all converge. What is so unique, James, about that area, that region? So... In Utah, and I, I tend to push it up a little further into northeastern Utah, we have this location that ties in not just to Mesoamerica, but to the archaic desert cultures that were here. Um, and what it looks like is there was a location that was origin for a lot of these cultures and civilizations, meaning there was some type of catastrophic event that occurred. And they took refuge or a certain group and amount of people took refuge there in Utah. And there's different names for this. Uh, some of the local uh, Utah territory uh, Indians would call it Kershinab. But Kershinab is really uh, ancient Gaelic and ancient Hebrew, and it's Kershinab. And it's interesting how that occurs. And then you have... In Mesoamerica, they called it Tamwan Khan, or Aztlan. How did you find all this out? So there's multiple things that I looked at. Uh, one of those was oral traditions. I went through the Nahua, uh, which are in Mexico, and a lot of their oral traditions were similar to the Shoshone, which were the Utah Territory okay. Indians and the Paiute. And what people fail to realize is the Ute, Indians weren't really from Utah. They were more from Colorado and from New Mexico. That's quite a spot. It is. But their their oral traditions are all very similar. They just call this origin point something different. Uh, and then you look at the fact that they all speak a similar language, whether it be Numic or Nahuatl. It's all Udo-Aztecan. So how is it that there's all this similarity from such different geographic areas and their stories all point to what seems to be uh, Utah as a place where they escaped this catastrophic event 
And in that area in northeastern Utah, it tends to point towards a meteor or, or large asteroid. Uh, smacked right down. Smacked there. right down there. And that's why we have all this uh, magnetic, electromagnetic anomalies occurring underground. Right there. Yeah. You talked about Skinwalker Ranch and Blind Frog Ranch. What are the parallels between those? Sure. So they both have this unexplained phenomena. Uh, probably in the number one is UAP, this unidentified aerial phenomena that's occurring. Uh, they've seen a lot of objects in the air above Skinwalker Ranch. The owner of Blind Frog Ranch has stated that he has seen nine UFOs appear in some type of cloud cloaking devices above Blind Frog Ranch. You also have this energy, whether it be a directed uh, energy weapon or just directed energy uh affecting certain people and for some it's a negative uh, aspect that it's occurring to them it's never positive it's it's it seems to rarely be positive it's almost always negative and then you have like these discarnate voices or some type of intelligence uh, that seems to be a little bit greater than what we are at or where we're at uh, interacting with uh, individuals on both ranches so it just seems to be, and then you also have the cattle mutilations too. Oh my God. That look yeah. to be occurring at both locations and even on other areas of the Utah base. Many people think they're ET related cattle mutilations. I, I've heard that there, there could be a possible relationship between the two and they do look at that. Let's look at some slides and you can tell us what these are. What is this? So this is a unnatural marker on Blind Frog Ranch. It's been... That was carved out. It was obviously. carved out, absolutely. You see, it's too symmetrical to have been natural. And what's interesting is it points directly towards a hidden cave that we located. And... Like a marker? Like a marker. So it's pointing directly to a cave that we're going to research further here in the coming summer. Let's look at our next image. Somebody's on his phone. <laughs> so uh, what you got here is I am at Blind Frog Ranch. We know that there's approximately two miles of underground cavern system where I'm at. I'm using 3D ground imaging right now to detect uh, what locations those are and what direction that they're traveling. What are you standing in front of, James? Um, so that was a initially before they had dug straight down, they dug horizontally into that hillside. So they've covered up a the, the mine shaft area cavern that they created. But uh, they realized that you couldn't get in there by going um, horizontal, we had to go vertical yeah, to get to it, and it's completely inundated with water. It's fantastic. Wow. Did you, do you feel any kind of special energy when you're out there or anything like that? So absolutely. There's certain energy zones that are located on Blind Frog Ranch, and there's an energy that you can feel almost anywhere when you're on Skinwalker Ranch. Um, sometimes it seems, or, or I guess what you would say feels Benevolent, other times malevolent, and really? absolutely. Um, on skin, uh, excuse me, on Blind Frog Ranch, actually they have a location they call the pond. So something's looming over that place. There's a good possibility or, or that there's something there. We've got uh, some caves and portals at Blind Frog Ranch. Take a look. We believe, and there's a lot of evidence about that, 
bombs from recent humans that caves were conceived as portals, as gates to the to the to the underworld. They conceived the underworld as a world of of prosperity, of, as the as the place of origin of all things. We believe, in their opinion, the end of the cave was was the connection to the netherworld. And they wanted to get this connection in order to in order to communicate and maintain and and maintain their relationships with the entities which are at the other side of the world. Animals and geometric signs are the primary subjects of most of these paintings, which were executed with an amazing level of artistic ability, especially considering the time and conditions. While going through Alton State of Consciousness, they saw the animals within their vision, and then they painted them on the wall. They didn't want them in order to see animals. They went there in order to get attached to the cosmos. And then they saw things within their vision, and they put them on the wall. Andrew Collins, an ancient history researcher and writer on the significance of this study. The greatest takeaway, in my opinion, relating to this study is not so much the fact that they come up with this idea, which is, um, you know, revolutionary in itself, but it's the fact that academics are seriously considering the idea that we are communicating with non-human intelligences and that these entities, these beings, may well have been real. Now... We have to try and understand exactly what those entities are. What it shows you is that there are people out there trying to get those answers you're looking for. Absolutely. Um, you know, when it comes to portals, that's one of my goals in research is to try to locate these. Make sure you come back, would you? <laughs> I will. But what a lot of people don't realize is the magnetic energy that we have available in certain locations uh, many times are high. And there's a possibility that we have these electron diffusion regions here in the planet, not just out in space. So we have this magnetic energy that's capable of being converted into charged particle energy by heat and kinetic energy being forced through a smaller location, which would be considered a portal. So when we charge this energy and it opens up, it would be something that we would be considering as a vortex or a portal. And I firmly believe that the science is there uh, to show that this can occur. It's just there's certain locations around our planet. Northeastern Utah seems to be one of the prime examples where this energy exists. And it just happens? It just happens. So, And I think we discussed it slightly earlier that I believe there was some type of meteor or asteroid impact that brought certain types of material to the location that helps create more of this energy. Um, and you see, you see a lot higher uh, mineralization that's taken place uh, in the Uintah Mountains and the basin, including high amounts of gold. And, and what's really interesting is high amounts of iridium, which is rare unless there was a meteor. Or and that's very sought after. And it's very sought after, exactly. Who did the petroglyphs? So the Petroglyphs and the pictographs in that area were the desert archaic people, the Barrier Canyon style and the Fremont. And it's very interesting and unique. Those Are those carved? Those are petroglyphs. They've been carved into the rock art or the rock wall. What's really interesting is 
what's missing in them. When do you, how old do you think that is, James? I think this is probably anywhere between 2,000 to 1,000 years old. This and, specific and what is that object on the left? Absolutely. So remember that when you're talking it's about like spaceship, does everything subjective. But when you look at it and you think about it in our current viewpoints that we're aware of, it looks like some type of uh, technology that looks to have landed. It looks to be beaming out something. There looks to be some type of anthropomorphic figure that is coming down from it, meeting up with another anthropomorphic figure. And the zoomorphic figures, which are the animals, seem to be mesmerized by it, not quite understanding what's occurring. Does that look like somebody named Steve? <laughs> and you get the vandalism, unfortunately, all all throughout, no matter where. Well, you how do we know the vandalism place. didn't do everything? It, based upon, well, there's a lot of ways to look at the, you can look at the patina. Uh, you can look at the other rock art. You want to look at it all, what you see in the area, not just small sure. amounts of it. And where, where are you here? Here we're at Dry Fork Canyon, uh, just outside of Vernal, Utah. And this is one of the most uh, amazing sets of petroglyphs that were done by the Fremont culture, probably anywhere between 0 and 1200 A.D. But what's amazing about this one is look what's behind me. It's representing, oh, it's it's representing what I believe to be one of the giants. Uh, it has six digits on its hands. And super large feet. The one right behind you. The one, well, they're, they're all giants, but that one specific one looks like giant. And it seems to match what the Naragic culture in Sardinia okay. showed for their giants. And what's that he got? He's got a sword in his hand or something? He has a specific type of weapon and a spear. The helmet and his tunic seem to match what you see that was put out by the neuragic culture in Sardinia. What's that coming out of the side of his head? Uh, so, so that looks to be some type of helmet that they wore up on top. Um, also, you see that there seems to be that they were headhunting. So they have uh, oh, other indigenous people's heads that they're carrying, which may have been why some of the local tribes... Uh, considered like the Cite Ka, which were the redhead cannibal giants. Right. Maybe that's where cannibal came from, was due to the fact that they were headhunters. Were they particularly enlightened people? They looked to have been. Uh, they looked to have been maybe pre-human or humankind uh, where we're currently at, current mankind. Maybe they were a little bit ahead of us. And then we had this bleed over where we were with them. And what's interesting is you have certain groups of the giants like the Starnake, which were told were mining giants in that area that used tools that made sound. Well, that tells me that they had pneumatic or hydraulic or electric power that they were using for that. You also have the Cite Ka which were the redhead cannibal giants you have in Mesoamerica, you have the Uemas and the Kinemetzen. But what you see is you see a reduction in height taking place as it gets closer to our current time because the Native Americans say, and even the Spaniards came across these redheaded giants all the way until the middle 1800s in Nevada and Utah. So what that's telling me is at some point it looks like in order to survive, they had to mate with Homo sapien. 
Um, and that was where that reduction in height started to occur. Sounds like a biblical story, doesn't it? It, it absolutely does. It sure matches. Now, what other phenomena is in this basin area? Yeah, so again, you're getting this interaction with technology. It seems to be able to do weird things with technology, whether that right. be drainage of batteries or destroying the technology. I've had a manual. Strange things happen. Strange things. I've had a manual magnetometer get fried on Blind Frog Ranch, and that shouldn't occur because it isn't using computers or software. It's just and a, it just happened. It just happened. Exactly. And then you have drones that there's never been any issues anywhere else where they've been used uh, fly right into the wall because it's lost all power uh, it, with the Wi-Fi connection. And it just doesn't know what to do but crash. That is amazing. You talked about portals on Gaia's program, Deep Space. They discussed this region. I think there's an ancient presence in that area, just like at Mount Shasta, and that the sacred mountain of the east was a gathering place where all the native peoples, they did not fight. And the bloodless valley was the San Luis Valley for the native peoples. And it was because there was an ancient connection between these interstellar civilizations and early Native American people of that area. And it's still that energy, that presence is still there. As a result of the location, it's the only area in, in North America where three regional groups of Indians overlapped. Fascinating. It's very interesting. It's everywhere. How do you pick your spots to go to? So what I do is I'll run a deep historical background on the before location. Before you go out there? Before I go out there. I want to see exactly um, from an anthropological and archaeological standpoint what the data shows then I want to look at it from just a layman's terms. And, and sometimes you're like, it, it just doesn't make sense. So I want to run a deep history into the distant past and gather all that information, not just from artifacts, not just from petroglyphs and pictographs, but from probably one of the most important ways of receiving that, which is oral tradition of the indigenous people that were here. When you're out there, James, do you have that oh wow factor? All the time. I figured that. It, it, you, you just, you, you know, sometimes I, I try to tackle this from a scientific perspective as much as I possibly can, but there is just no sometimes way. Sometimes you can't do you that. You can't do that. You can't deny what you come across that just is unexplainable. Um, and I, I don't like to use the word paranormal. I prefer to use unexplainable because that's what it I is. I love supernatural. That too. Supernatural. Absolutely. But, yeah, you, you come across this energy that it, you feel like it's interacting with you and you don't know what to do about it. And those are what I'm looking for. If I can put the data points and the technology to what I'm feeling or what other people have, right. have experienced and show that, hey, this is the possibility that the two are merging, that science and the unknown can really just be something that – Soon in the future, we'll find out, you know, what that is. It's not a puzzle that's unsolvable. It can be solved with the technology we have today. Have you heard of David Politis? Absolutely. Okay. 411 books, missing people in regions like this, where people are walking with somebody, they turn around, the person's gone. How do you explain that? You might be able to explain that. Sure. 
So again, these are those electron diffusion regions. I believe that there are certain areas in this planet where the energy can be converted and other intelligences know how to do that. They may not, they may be here just at a different uh, dimension or a different reality and they understand that uh, connectivity between where they are and where we are. And, you know, the Native Americans, believe it or not, they are on it. Yeah, through their dance, through their use of uh, altering vibration and frequency with drums and with certain reed instruments. Sound, Sound resonance. Sound resonance. They knew how to create the technology that we're just, now discovering through science. How did we lose this information, this knowledge? Yeah, that's a great question, and it had to be through some type of catastrophic event. Something severed us. Severed it, and then people that are in control of certain information don't want to share that, and it's understandable when you see what they're trying to accomplish through that. I mean, because I can see things from my grandfather, my grandmother told my mother something, she told me, I told my kids, it passes down over the years, tens and tens of years. But if something were to happen to one of us and that knowledge were to stop right there, you wouldn't pick up on it until somebody stumbled into it. And I think that's what's happening here. I agree 100%. And think about if we've written something down, whether it be on old codices uh, or parchment or books, and there was a catastrophic event, what would happen to that? It would be destroyed. Exactly. What would be the gone forever? Gone forever. But what would be the only thing that would survive? Would be the rock art. The petroglyphs and the pictographs have a better chance of survival based upon, you know, what what it's the medium that's being used along with oral tradition. But even oral tradition gets watered down or things are incorrectly told over time. When you've been out there in these regions, have you felt anything strange? Many times, um, probably when I'm on Skinwalker Ranch, there's, you know, you, you cannot say that you're, you don't feel something occurring there's something there. very strange. Something there. is very strange there. And I, I 100% believe my hypothesis is that it's below ground. Whatever this is, that energy is below ground. Would you be able to see it or record it with instruments? I, I believe so. I think with uh, the magnetometers, I, I'm recording the the uh, magnetic differences and if i can follow that magnetic trail and then convert that to 3d ground imaging i'll be able to give locations where we can dig or match up known entrances and then we would just have to go underground and hopefully there's connectivity because you know there's earthquakes and other things that could have severed that um, in the past but at some point i believe that we'll be able to get to what the causes are um, that are affecting us. Let's assume you stumbled into a portal, James. What do you see? It's a good question. It's all speculation. Yeah. But I mean, do you see the other side of the mountain? Do you see a different area? Are you in a different city? What do you see? Yeah. You know, I wouldn't know Who how knows? to answer that. The are one you thing, on another planet? Are you on another planet? You know, the one thing, too, that we need to take into consideration is people talk about all these different dimensions. Well, if me being a three-dimension character were to walk into a fourth dimension, would I really exist there? You know, or what would my abilities uh, using our five senses be 
Uh, would I be able to actually use them wherever that is? So maybe that's a limitation that, you know, at some point, hopefully we'll be able to uh, further look into. That map we saw of those four corners of that region, th- these areas of Utah and New Mexico and all these places, is there something special about this location? Oh, yeah, you're on the reservations. You have this ancient history. You have these sites like Dulce, New Mexico, where they state there is UFO phenomena all the time. All the time. And Sedona. Sedona, absolutely. And, and you, you know, you're, you're talking about tons of different cultures and civilizations coming together in one area, but there's so many similarities. Why is that unless the same phenomenon is occurring? Are you convinced these portals exist? I, I 100% believe portals exist. Yes. Can't see them. And I haven't seen them yet. But, but you could stumble into it. That guy has deep space discuss these portals in this four corners region. Let's look at that. I want to get your reaction to this. Portals are actually different areas. They're also described as vortexes. Most of the portals that we, we've gone to examine, um, are all in places that the indigenous people hold sacred. There's always an oral history in those indigenous tribes of strange happenings going on. We believe that what's causing the portals, which are a tear in the electric membrane that separates dimensions, are vast quartz crystal deposits underneath the topography. That these deposits actually generate electromagnetic fields so strong that they can cause a momentary rip or tear in that membrane. When you get that tear occurring, you have momentary interaction between dimensions, and we describe that as being paranormal. And so what you have is a scenario by which there are areas like this where the fields being generated are so powerful that they're causing this nonstop interaction with another dimension. And the only thing that can explain the wide array of paranormal activity taking place is the fact that these fields exist because they exist in a very small geographic area to one another. Now, today, it's almost like the military slowly buying up these areas where these portals exist, and they're placing a guard at the door of each one. Is that true? I believe so. Um, what are they doing? It's interesting, you know, and they said it too. If you're changing magnetic energy into charged particle energy that creates right. these portals, it has to happen through an electromagnetic field. Um, and we know that this is occurring. NASA is right now looking at that above the Earth at these X points. They have four satellites that are doing that. So if this can occur between the sun and the Earth, we know there's a 93 million mile long portal. Why could it not occur here? And the Native Americans could be everywhere. It could be everywhere. And the Native Americans have been around and have kept their history for so much longer than we have that they know where these exist, where this energy is available to do this. And it's on those lands. And sure enough, it seems like the government is taking more and more away from us, making it more difficult for me to be able to go out there and And investigate boots on the ground. I can't do it when it's. Several hundred thousand people disappear on this planet every year. They're just gone. They vanish. Nobody knows where they are. I mean, some of them maybe were murdered or something like that, but not all of them. Is it conceivable these poor people are stumbling into these portals and they can't get back? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. 
Um, you know, we've seen the Skinwalker Ranch phenomena is what people say at other areas. They, they always say it's the Skinwalker Ranch phenomena that's occurring. Right. Well, we've seen at other locations, uh, them actually capture this occurring on different imaging, whether it be thermal or infrared, meaning it has to be in a different uh, radiation spectrum. The light spectrum is different and we're catching this occurring. So if I don't have that equipment or that ability and I'm just use, using our regular, regular vision, I wouldn't know it's there in front of me and walk in and how would I get out once I'm on the other side? Are there UFO reports around these locations? Oh, yeah, the Uintah Basin is considered part of UFO Alley. Absolutely. Yeah, something's going on. Yeah. And there's got to be a connection. There are no coincidences, James. There's no coincidences. And you, you run this area at 335.00 degrees. And, you know, you have, um, you have areas like Los Alamos, Dulce, right. um, Sedona. Sedona. And what's interesting is, we detonated a nuclear bomb underground at this exact spot in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Maybe we created a portal. Maybe we created a portal or the energy that brought in the initial group or something. Because after that 1945 date, what started occurring all the time were all these UFO sightings. And it's up and down the same UFO alley, which goes right through the UN top. Do you get many abduction cases at the same time? So I, I hear about those, but it's not something that I'm tracking currently right okay. now and looking into. You might want to look into that in the future. Maybe. There could be some correlation between There some may of that. very well be. What, of, what about time travel? Yeah, so that's another thing. When we're talking about these vortexes or these portals, maybe we're not going to a different space. Maybe we're going to a different time. You know, if we're affecting space-time, uh, we see, and here's my greatest example when I'm telling people, on Skinwalker Ranch, there have been creatures that they have seen that look like they were from the past. And I'm talking about dire wolves or things that would remind us of dinosaurs. Be, should be extinct. Should be extinct. What other way could that possibly be unless time collapsed on itself through a portal? Good point. Meaning the past and the present came together. And we see, we follow these creatures, we interact, they've shot these creatures before, and it doesn't seem to harm them. They seem to notice it because we're in the same space, but not the same time. And as it starts moving back out into its space time, it just suddenly disappears. So we're occupying the same space, but not the same time. So time travel point. could absolutely be taking effect, and we've seen that. Firsthand, multiple people, whether it had been BASS, you know, Bigelow uh, Aerospace Advanced Space Studies, or NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Sciences. Which Bigelow put together as well. He put together as well, and they recorded that. Different groups have recorded that. And I've got firsthand knowledge from some of those BASS team members of what they saw. And where they saw it matches up where my... Uh, data points have been collected. So I'm a 100% firm believer that we may be looking at not just space portals or vortexes, but also time portals and vortexes. James, what's your next project? I will be back up on the Uintah Basin uh, starting in June. We're going to go back to those markers. We're going to go underground because I think the answers are, are deep down there. Deep down there underground. Well, you'll be safe, huh? 
Thank you. Thanks for being on Beyond Belief. I appreciate being here. Thanks, George. Maybe we'll do a follow-up show with James Keenan unless he stumbles into a portal and he doesn't come back. You never know. But fascinating. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Okay, so we're going to stumble on to this one. Who are the Archons? And this is with Jay Widener. For over 6,000 years, humanity has not been alone, inserting themselves into positions of power and using subtle means of manipulation. Off-planet rulers, the Archons, have been guiding our history for their own gain. Their greatest fear is that we wake up and wrest control away from them. By taking responsibility for ourselves, Jay Widener reveals who these, who these archons are, how they retain power, and what we can do to escape the archon trap in this interview with George Norrie. Jay Widener is a renowned author, filmmaker, and hermetic scholar who is considered to be a modern-day Indiana Jones for his ongoing worldwide quests to find clues to mankind's spiritual destiny via ancient societies and artifacts. His body of work offers great insight into the circumstances that have led to the current global crisis. Jay is the director of the powerful and insightful documentaries Kubrick's Odyssey, Infinity, The Ultimate Trip, and the forthcoming feature film Shasta. Are you there, Rama? I'm getting there. Okay. Okay. Um. All right, so this is 30 minutes. Okay. And so we're just about there. And here we go. Motorcycles, trucks. Who are the Archons? Yeah, I'm getting there. It's a George Nury. 
Yeah, I know. Mm. Heavenly days. I think that was the wrong one. Just a second. Huh. Thought that was the one that said that same thing. Yeah. And I thought that said George Nury. We're taking a little saunter off to investigate. Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. I had the wrong one. All right. I oh, Jay Widener. Yeah. And George Murray. Yeah. I'm George Norrie, and what you just saw was just a clip of the new film called Shasta by filmmaker Jay Widener. Jay, that's an exciting program. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it took a long time, three years to make it. That's super. Yeah, yeah. Normally you do documentaries. Yeah. This is a drama yeah. based on Shasta, which we're going to get into. Right. Tell me about the difference. How did you decide to, to do a film? Well, actually, when I first got into filmmaking, I actually made a, a feature film Back in the 80s, I wrote and directed one, and it wasn't a very good film. And uh, I wrote a whole bunch of horror films also yeah. in the 80s and 70s. But uh, uh, this is then I went into documentaries, and now I'm back making features. And uh, I think features are actually easier than documentaries because documentaries, you have to be right. You have to have all your facts straight. That's right. Here, you're just kind of 
Right. It's Hollywood. It's right? Hollywood. Yeah. So actually, I really enjoyed uh, making it. It was a relief from having to do documentaries. And where'd you find the talent for it? the actors? The actors. Well, I was living in uh, Ashland, Oregon, which was a, th- a Shakespeare uh, theater, mm-hmm. uh, very famous Shakespeare theater uh, uh, thing going on, and so I, I went there and got actors. And uh, the uh, lead uh, plays Kalki. He uh, was from Hollywood. He flew him up to Oregon to shoot. His name is Alexander Polinsky. Used to be on Charles in Charge, a oh, yeah. TV series sure. from the eighties, as a very good actor. And uh, so it was a it was a real experience. I, had, I reshot the film all the way. I shot it and then I threw everything out and reshot it. And I did that actually a couple times. So it was a it was a it was an amazing experience. Shasta, Mount Shasta yes. in Northern California yeah. is a very different kind of place. Very different. You keyed in on that. Tell me how you decided to pick that spot. Yeah, well, I was living, of course, an hour north of there in Ashland, Oregon, and going down to, to Shasta because it's so beautiful. And uh, uh, it's, it's an amazingly huge mountain, 14,000-foot mountain on a plane. So you drive, and it's monstrous, whereas... You know, like in Colorado, you have 14,000 foot mountain, but you're at 6,000 feet already. That's right. So they're not this big yeah. thing. So yeah. I started getting into the kind of the lore of Mount Shasta and uh, talking to people, locals, and finding out some strangest stories of UFO sightings and Bigfoot and odd creatures. And it's like, really? All this going on in this little place? And then I started looking into the history and the Indians, the Native Americans who lived there before the white people got there. They have the same stories. When the missionaries came, they said, like, you know, the white beings live up on Mount Shasta and all this right. stuff. And you're like, what's going on? And, uh, you know, stories of tunnels and, and treasures. And, and I myself have been in the tunnel systems, the latitudes that run all under the entire plateau there for hundreds and hundreds of feet. Uh, miles. Miles. Miles with ceilings as high as cathedrals, like in Europe, that big of a, uh, 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 of a tunnel system, and they're perfectly round, these lava tubes. These are natural? These are natural, yeah. And um, uh, Nassim Harriman, the, the physicist, mm-hmm. he has a, a theory that uh, lava tubes, because of the way that the uh, metallic, the minerals have uh, formed around them, that they could possibly be like uh, stargates or some kind of wormholes wormhole yeah and that would actually explain a lot of the high weirdness because every time you go to a place that has a lot of lava tubes you get these stories like hawaii or um in france southern france la the area around la they have they have lava tubes and again the same stories it could be cryptozoological though it could be animals that are caught or live nocturnally inside the tunnels and come out at night, and then people will see an odd animal and not know what it is right. and freak out and think that it's some being that... Sure, which is so possible. It is possible. So there's a lot of possibilities to explain what's going on up in Mount Shasta, but um, uh, I, I, I think that there's there's something to it. I really do. I, I, there's too much smoke for there not to be fire. I assume that the Shasta is a volcano, yes, right? Sir. So... God forbid, if they erupt, those tubes, lava flows through those tubes? Is yeah, that what happens? that's what happens, is that the lava goes through the tube, it erupts, and then the lava cools at a certain point, mm-hmm. and then it kind of widens out as it dilates when it, when it cools, because cool, it will do that, yeah. and then it's just waiting for the next eruption, which could be any time. 
the whole area, the whole um, ring of fire is, is, you know, is ready to go. I mean, any of those volcanoes yeah. on Mount Rainier. Oh, boy, and if it goes, it, it goes. would be uh, Mount Rainier when it would destroy Seattle and Tacoma. Yeah. So it, it would be very. Well, we saw bad. what happened during Mount uh, St. Helens. Uh, mm-hmm. What, 57 people died. That's right. During that episode. I mean, it was like the entire top of the mountain just lifted yeah. off and just spread out the dust all over. So. Yeah, uh, Shasta is a, is an amazing place. I highly recommend people to go there and visit. I think you'll be amazed, not by just by the beauty, but by the weirdness. Are there people who live at the base of Shasta? Yeah, it's got a little town called Mount Shasta, and it's probably the strangest bunch of eccentrics I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you know, everywhere from mystics to uh, mountain climbers, yeah. uh, uh, Nepali mountain climbers to... You know, it's just an amazing little place. Well, let's talk about the mysticism of Shasta yeah. for a moment and yeah. what people have cited. The fact that Native Americans saw this mm-hmm. hundreds of years ago yes. and they're still seeing things tells me that there's something real there. Yes. We just don't know what it is. That's right. And 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 these things, uh, they seem to come and go. There's an amazing article in 1938 L.A. Times a travel writer goes to Mount Shasta and reports seeing lights and kind of UFO figures and things. And then he goes into town uh, to interview the people. And they tell him that there's these beings called Lemurians who live inside the mountain in a, in a city. And they come out and they pay, they'll buy, buy like shoestrings for, with $50 worth of gold. Yeah. And uh, uh, these stories have been going on for a long time. And the uh, now we're looking back at the stories that the Native Americans told, and we're thinking that maybe there really are these tall beings that live in Mount Shasta that come out, and, and you know, that were actually remnants from a previous civilization called Lemuria wow. who live inside the mountain now to escape from the world, which is part of the movie, by the way. Now, are there reports at all about people disappearing out there? Oh, yeah. A lot of people disappear. A lot of people will... Um, go hiking and never come back. Uh, um, then there's stories of people who go and come back, uh, leave, li- literally are gone for months, and then reappear back. In and a days? In a day, saying that they were they went into the a, a cave and got lost inside the mountain. What do they need? What are they well, they, they're usually hiking, backpackers, and they'll bring food, they have food okay. with them, and they get caught in, in you know, you get you, a storm comes, yeah. and you walk into a cave, and the next thing you know, you're, traversing and spelunking the, the cave and then pretty soon you're lost and then you have to find your way back out and uh it'd be a hair-raising experience i've been inside these tubes are they eerie they are and the, the, you know your light your flashlight only goes about 15 feet yeah and these tubes are miles long and who knows what's in there i mean you could literally get a, a, a ship a gigantic ship into these things a, a naval ship i mean that's how big they are wow I mean, so so if a craft flew into it it could go all the way down. That's right? right. And we don't know how many layers there are, how many stories you might say. Yeah. So we're in the top layer near the surface of these tubes. But how many far down do they well, go? Well, they obviously go all the way down, right, to, well, to the yeah. pits of where the lava is. Yeah, and no one really has explored them. Uh, not, I mean, I have, to a limited degree, but only for the film. And we actually show one of them in the film, by the way. Uh, the star enters into one of these lava tubes. Yeah. I mean, it's amazingly huge when you when you look at it. And uh, I don't know what to say about it, except that there is something there. There really is. And uh, it needs to be looked at. What's the theme of Shasta, the movie? Well, it's about the return of, uh, there's a prophecy from the Vedic tradition that at the end of this age, a, a man will come. And his name is Kalki, 
and he will destroy the purveyors of lies and bring back the you know kind of a truthful age. And uh, I've been waiting for uh, Calty for like 30 years, and so finally I gave up and decided I just you made him. Yeah, so now he's you literally coming back only in a movie. So it's kind of funny. Is it like the second coming of Christ? It is a little bit. In fact, a lot of uh, a, a lot of people have postulated that the uh, Christian tradition is actually uh, kind of an aspect of the Vedic tradition, in that Jesus is so much like Krishna, uh, not not just his name, like Christ and Krishna, but Krishna came here to redeem us, and and Jesus came here to redeem us, mm-hmm. and Kalki is the reincarnation of Krishna. So it, you, you wonder where these stories come, because Jesus is going to come on a white horse, and Kalki comes on a white horse. And so these these myths are all kind of, I think, intertwined with each other. And now here we are, you know, 2,000 years later, and we're, we, we don't really understand where this myth comes from. But it doesn't really matter, because it's the myth that is across all these countries that there's going to be this redeemer that's going to come at the end of time and get rid of the bad guy. Sounds biblical, doesn't it? It does sound biblical. That's exciting. It is. If people want to watch Jessica. Where yep. do they go? What do they do? How do they see it? It'll be shown in theaters. We're, we're releasing it right now. We're uh, releasing it across the United States. Uh, we'll start uh, probably on the West Coast and move east, just because right. the West Coast okay. is where Shasta is. And, uh, and uh, it's going to be opening up in theaters all over the country. It's going to get a legitimate uh, opening. It's going to be on DVD. We're going to have it on iTunes. It's a, just watch for it. It'll be here. It's coming to your town. Soon. Jay, you have also done a lot of work into what is called the Archons. That's right. Rulers. The Rulers. Who are they? Well, they're the bad guys in my movie, for one thing. But the Archons, or first time that we really hear about the Archons in history is uh, in the Nag Hammadi text, which were discovered in 1945 in Egypt, yeah, in clay jars. Little boy looking for his sheep, Mm -hmm. walks into a cave, here's a cave again, and uh, finds these clay jars. They laid around for a few years, and finally some scholars found them and started uh, doing interpretations of them. And... uh, so what's good about the Nag Hammadi is that nobody's messed with them. Mm-hmm. They know no popes, no kings, no yeah, politicians. They haven't been changed. They haven't been changed. Time. So we can actually read what the ancients 2,000 years ago uh, thought of the world. And one of the things that they talk about is a chapter called the Hypostasis of the Archons. And they say that there's a group of off-planet entities that have actually come to Earth and can get into people and change them. And these entities are um, attracted by violence and, uh, and depraved sex, and, and they kind of are almost like locusts in a fire, or yeah. coming in, you know, to they swoop in on on violent situations, war, conflict, and and, and encourage it. They feed off of it like uh, food, and uh, so they so the uh, Gnostics who wrote the uh, Nag Hammadi, they say that. The archons are fomenting all of this strife and war to create kind of a psychic food for them. And so we need to be aware of this because um, they are kind of the manipulators behind a lot of the things that are going on these days. And 
uh, once we become aware of the archons, then we can make sure that we understand that, that when things are happening, you know, a, a, a road rage, for instance, mm-hmm. somebody gives you the finger and you, you, you don't react because that you're falling into the archon trap. Sure. So the person is angry. They're trying to get to work. They give you the finger because they think you're slowing them down. And then you give the finger and a big fight ensues. And you could get killed. If you get killed. It happens all the time. Yeah. And uh, so we have to uh, understand this and then not fall into the archon trap. And, and say no. And I think, again, Jesus, you know, was trying to teach us how not to fall into the archon trap. You know, forgive your enemies and, and you know, love each other. And these, these are things that archons don't like. They don't like love. They don't really like children. Are they humans? Well, human-like. You interviewed Mac Tonys on sure your did. show. He died uh, right after he wrote the book, Crypto Terrestrials. Right. Which was about the uh, kind of uh, the archons. Here's a, the cover of his book, this haunting uh, painting. Now I think this is a, a tall white, um, Charles Hall's tall whites. Mm-hmm. I think this might be a tall white, but I think it's also an archon. In other words, they're they're off planet humanoid beings who come here and, and and can infiltrate, use their psychic abilities to infiltrate into human the councils of humanity. They they they've taken over the top levels of humanity. Are they what we call the Illuminati? They are, and that's and an archon means ruler in Greek. And so, if you take the word like anarchist or anarchy, yeah. that it translates perfectly as against the archons. So the archons, according to the lore, they invaded. They kind of took over. The leadership positions around the world 2,500, 3,000 years ago, and they've been in charge ever since. And apparently they have the ability to like switch bodies so they can die and switch bodies, uh, or they just possess people. We don't know enough about this. It's why it's so important to get it out. If you saw them walking down the street, though, Jay, you, you would say clearly they look different. They now, do. this. Looks like you, but I've seen people who look like this. Yes, I have too. In fact, when I'm waiting at the airport, uh, when I'm waiting to take a flight, I'll frequently go to where people are walking by on the moving sidewalks. Is that a real picture? That is a real picture. She's a supermodel. And again, our, our idea of beauty is uh, uh, based on these people. If you look at models, they frequently have this, the, the thin chin. And I think she's probably used collagen on her lips because if she, look, if, if, if she didn't have hair, she, she would look, look identical to that picture. Yeah, if she shaved her head, she would look just like that. Here's a, a one. Uh, they'll frequently use their hair to hide the back of their head. Um, What's back there? Well, they, I think they have an extended, elongated skull a little ah. bit. And they, and they use their hair to co- try to cover it up. Now, that looks like anybody's grandmother. It does, except imagine with her head shaved. Again, she would look like that picture, right, if you shaved your head. And uh, this is a very famous person, by the way. This is Lady Barbara Judge. She runs a a high-technology company in Los Alamos, New Mexico, and in Denver, and New York, and London. She dresses this way? She dresses this way, and the company transfers technology. And a lot of people think that they're transferring technology from off-planet sources and bringing it into corporations, which is what this company does, that she does. So she's possibly a hybrid. And so she's involved in an industry where she could uh, alter and change a lot of things. She, and she has. In fact, she's a lady Barbara Judge is in Japan right now trying to encourage them to build more nuclear reactors. 
which I find odd. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it, huh. it, again, you can see that they have a look. This is the look of the bloodline, by the way, the so-called David Icke's bloodline. Yeah. That's the bloodline, I believe, is how close they are to these archons. Right. They have, they have archon blood, and the more archon blood they have, the higher up the echelon they are, and they try to hide this, but they have this look, and you can see this look. And uh, Charles Hall he says that they like to come into town and down to Vegas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they have to dress up and, and come like to Vegas. Uh, yeah, and uh, so when I'm ever I'm in Vegas, I like to go around and walk around the tables and and see if I see anybody. Did you ever see one like that? I have actually. I saw I saw this one at Denver Airport one time. I had a five hour layover yeah. and I just sat watching people walking by on the moving sidewalks. Yeah. And uh, uh, I looked and I saw this woman coming down the sidewalk and she had the look. For one thing, her skin is very white, almost like paper white. And I, I looked, see. yeah, and I looked at her and I, and I, I actually visibly was shocked by her appearance. Yeah. And I, I, I think I stood up or something. I was going for my cell camera, my cell phone camera. We got a shot of her. And as she was coming down the sidewalk, she started turning away from me like this. Like she knew you knew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I never got a picture of her. And, uh, uh, and I didn't want to make a scene because in the airport you get in trouble. Right. So, um, I, I do watch for people. And I look for it all the time and I see people frequently. I'll take them aside and say, can I take a picture of you? I got a, a waitress serving me a few weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, she looked just like that. And, and I was like, wow, I got to take a picture. Of Are they out to manipulate the world? Yes. So they want wars? Yes, they want wars. They encourage wars, corruption. Uh, they, uh, this is what the hypostasis of the Archon said 2,100 years ago, so I'm not making this up. They, they don't understand us, so they create a fake culture, too. This is like very important. Since they rule Hollywood and the media, too, they, they, if you watch the stuff that they make, it's almost like they don't quite understand us. And so they give us, like, fake things that they think we'll like. So that's why movies are frequently so vapid and yeah. superficial because the, 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 nothing really feels real in a bad movie and that's why you don't yeah. like it. And, and, and so it takes like a movie like Avatar to come along where you actually feel something because the guy that made it, James Cameron, we're pretty sure is a human, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so you can see it and, and everything they offer is superficial and it's just, there's nothing deep to it. There's just this like superficial right. culture that we live in, if it even is a culture at this point, the architecture, that they encourage is usually very ugly. Uh, modern art is encouraged, I believe, by the archons. They seem to like ugliness. They seem to not understand us or they're jealous of us uh, because, according to the, uh, the hypostasis of the archons, we have a soul and they don't. And so they're kind of jealous of us and they're trying to like keep us down on the farm because if we ever realize who we really are, we will be stronger than they are and we will defeat them and go after them exactly and so they know this and so they do everything they can they put fluoride in the water and they give the kids you know prescription drugs and they they're doing everything they can to flatten us out as a species so that we never have enough knowledge and spiritual power to rise up and tell them you know we've had enough, enough, enough of your stuff how did they get here and how long have they been here it's a really good question uh, I don't know how they got here. Uh, maybe they're the fallen angels and they talk about in the Bible. Uh, uh, I don't know how they got here, but I know they've been here for probably at least 6,000 years. Uh, they've been rolling things. I believe that they're the ones who literally created 
the original cultures of Mesopotamia mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Samaria. Mm-hmm, Samaria, and they put humans on like the grain-based diet, and, and we stopped eating uh, uh, the foods that hunter-gatherers right. eat, and we started eating foods that actually weren't very good for us. And why, what what do these foods do? These high-grain diets they keep us kind of you know sleepy and yeah. you know, passive. Uh, one time I went to um, Alcatraz to do a tour of Alcatraz, a prison, a little island on the San Francisco Weird Bay. place. It was a weird place. And the person that was leading the tour said, well, every night, the final thing that we would do before they sent the prisoners into the cells is we'd feed them a big, huge pile of mashed potatoes or spaghetti. Or pasta. Or yeah, pasta. exactly. And I, and I raised my hand. And I said, well, why do you do that? And he said, well, we found that it pacifies them. Yeah. And, and I went, bingo, there we go. This is why the, the uh, grain diet is here is because it's pacifying. Heavy starches and Heavy sugars. starches and sugars, which are really were not meant to eat at all. And if you if you ever looked, and I'm sure you have, looked into what that those foods do to the physique of the human body, yeah. cavities and uh, uh, the, the um, uh, plaque in the uh, arterial walls. And, I mean, it's just really bad for you. Well, you know, I've never seen anybody energetic after eating a big plate of pasta. No, you just want to go to bed. You want to go to bed. You're yeah. sleepy, right? Exactly. And I think that the archons did that on purpose, just like Alcatraz. I really do. And I think a lot of the things that we have are done on purpose by the archons. Are they here to control, to take over? What's their mission? Their mission is to keep us on life support, just on life support. Never, uh, never cure us. Never help us get better. Keep us down on the farm, weak, so that they can feed off our spiritual energy. And they do. And they do. And you, you look at what's going on right now in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, you talk about a, a nasty situation. It could have, if someone had just a, a politician had just risen up to the chance to solve that situation when it started then we wouldn't be in the mess we're in now. But instead, all of our politicians, both sides, are all guilty. We're all feeding this. They are feeding it. And they're, they're, we're putting secret agents in there, and Putin's putting secret agents, and they're all fighting each other, and they're killing each other, and none of it has to happen. And when we don't know what to do. We're so lost as a species that we're watching this go down, and nobody says, can't we go over there and help those people? Same with Fukushima. Yeah. How come we aren't sending the greatest scientists over to Japan and solving that problem? But we're not. We're, we're not. passive. We've left it alone. We have. And, and, and this, is, this is, I believe, is all the results of the archons. We're no longer acting like a responsible species. We're acting like, uh, like little children and, and waiting for mommy and daddy to come clean up everything for us. How does the other shoe that drops, Jay? What happens with these archons? Assuming we don't stop them. Well, then they will continue on with their plan, which is to keep us, uh, to reduce the population to a manageable level so that they can then just use whatever they want to completely, um, in a way, take our children from us, which is what I think they're doing right now with pop culture. I think that they're literally creating artifices in pop culture that are removing our children away from us, alienating our children from us. That's social networking, everything. Mm -hmm. And I think they're really trying to get the younger generation in their camp right now uh, so that they are... That's interesting. It is. And and, And if you look at the music and the culture that they're fomenting onto the young people right now, it is downright evil. Um, that's all I can say. I've really investigated it and looked into it. And I would not want my children, fortunately, mine are older now. I don't yeah. have to worry. But I would not want my young children to be watching almost anything. You know, I've got grandchildren. 
Yeah. You know, my children like yours are older, but the, the grandchildren, yeah. they're kids. And their minds are just ready and, uh, you know, just soak up the stuff. And we should be giving, we should be giving our children nothing but positive images, but instead they're getting nothing but negative images. I, I don't know how many murders a child watches before they're 12 years old on television, but it's in the thousands. Yeah. And they shouldn't even see one murder yeah. uh, before they're 12 years old. Well, and we have, we have to get a hold on this because we're not in control of what's going on here. And art is supposed to rise the human race up into higher levels of being, not drag us not down drag into us the down. dirt. And and right now, all of the art that's going on from entertainment to paintings to music seems like it's trying to just drag us down into the dirt like we're a, a filthy, rotten species that deserves everything we get. When in fact, we're not that at all. We're an incredible species. And we need to ra- ra- wake up to who we are and then rise up. And, and stop what's going on. It seems to be happening, though, at an incredibly fast clip. That's right, because the archons know we're waking up. Shows like yours, um, Internet, it's waking everybody up, the Nagamati. I mean, is it, a, is it an accident that we found this right after World War II ended? And, you know, yeah. if you believe in a divine will like me, I believe that those the Nagamati was left for us to find. Right. So we would now have the warning and be able to act on it. Uh, um, you know, uh, divine will, if you will, if you must. And I believe that that is our largest responsibility now is to, um, become adults. The archons treat us like children, uh, and we need to, uh, say we're done being children. Yeah, we're going to be, become adults. Adults don't, uh, uh, drop depleted uranium on people. Adults don't build nuclear power plants for tsunamis are going to hit. Uh, adults, um, don't kidnap hordes of little girls that's right sell them. Uh, that's exactly like what's going on in nigeria right now and uh which is a classic archon thing right and and i think once we take responsibility for our actions they will just wither away and uh, but first we have to understand the problem and i think that's the biggest thing that we can do right now and it's not just me that's announcing this a lot of people are talking about the archons david ike is talking about it john lash a lot of people talk about the archons now and and really it's in the bible it is in the Bible. You just got to look for it. It is. And in fact, all you have to do is just change the references to demons and Satan and just change that to archons. And now you have the Bible warning you. And it could even be said that the um, what, what the story of Jesus at the end there where he's killed is actually a rebellion. Jesus and his followers rebelling against the archons. They go into the holy temple where they're exchanging money, and he, which is Classic archon, right? To turn a temple into a bank. And then, and then Jesus throws all the money and the bankers out. He says, this is a holy place. And they, they went, oh yeah. And then they, and I believe that at that point when he threw them out of the temple, that he's, his days were numbered from then on. Jay, thanks for being on this edition of Beyond Belief. Thank you, George. That's Jay Widener. So the next time you go walking along the street and you see someone with huge eyes, a larger head, They just might be an archon, and you may want to walk the other way. I'm George Norrie, and thanks for watching Beyond Belief. God, okay, this is the final one. And this is Emery Smith. 
and it's uh, the tactical advisor. Um, okay. E.T. influence on language. Did E.T.'s influence the education of languages on Earth? Describing different versions of the universe that overlap one another. Vibratory communication and paradoxes of perception. Tim discusses the systematic modification of languages throughout human history. From his first-hand experiences communicating with greys, Tom offers his unique insight regarding how language, behavior, and thought are linked across the stars. So, Tom is looking. Yeah. All right, so this is 28 minutes. So here we go. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Mama? Yeah. <laughs> Today on Cosmic Disclosure, we're with Tim, a tactical advisor in the covert governance in Germany, who analyzes and suggests various strategies in relation to extraterrestrial groups in contact with Earth. Tim, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. Today we want to talk about how language is correlated into source and time. What do you, what's your thoughts on that? Languages are a super important way to maneuver yourself through the experience of reality. That is basically something um, or the, the main reason why there are languages. We know that many archaic texts from all over the world, they all say in the beginning there was sound or there was the word or something. And there is a lot of truth to that. You know, there are versions of a universe that only consists of sound as just the way this version of the universe consists of light. Um, and those versions, they overlap each other already. So words and frequencies of words and tones can be used and have been used in order to maneuver yourself through reality because 3D movement is not the only way we can, you know, relocate ourselves. There's much more to that. And words can be used in order to bring a, a cohesive so thought into manifestation. Unfortunately, and that is something that is really heavy on this planet, there are two things that make it a little challenging. The first thing is the languages of the earth have systematically been modified 
in order to bring chaos to that system. Normally, it used to be that languages are used in order to communicate from a consciousness unit to the, we would call it all in German, which means to the everything. Unfortunately, whoever put educational systems and language rules um, um, upon the population mm -hmm. of Earth, they didn't, you know, they kind of cheated a little bit with the people of, of Earth and made it harder in order to manifest. That is a huge problem. So a lot of the, the sentences, the words, and the way grammar uh, works is modified in a way to make it more challenging. It's just as if you were, you know, moving towards this kind of putting or something that makes it really sticky and you, you, you need to put a lot of effort in it in order to, to, you know, elevate yourself. Normally that process would be super easy. And there are versions, I mean, there are realms of reality where mm, words are so precise, so precisely connected to the reality that those words automatically and instantly will change your perception and the way, you know, you perceive reality. That is number one. Number two is that Compared to other languages, we could, for example, compare that to the language the Greys are using. Those languages are super complex. And earthly languages tend to be very, you know, close-minded and have... Mm, they're not precise? They're not precise, exactly. Right. So they, they, um, there's a lot of perceptible experiences are very hard to describe in an earthly language. The grace, for example, includes the position of time inside the language. The, those languages are super precise. They also include different properties into their own words and their languages. And that makes it super, super pre precise just because they are a super mental and, um, you know, cognitive race. It probably speeds up their communication, too, I would think, compared to the language here and all the languages here on Earth are very discombobulating. That's true. So the German language, for example, is modified in a way that pretty much everything that could be healthy and good is negated. So if we we're talking about entertainment, for example, right. the German word for that is Unterhaltung, which actually means to hold someone down. Unterhaltung, hold down. So that describes that entertainment is being used in order to hold people down from something. We have different other examples for that. So if someone, you know, sneezes, You say bless you. In Germany, they say Gesundheit. Gesundheit. Right. And the first syllable, G, means, means go. That means like go away. So, um, you're actually giving, so you, you mean to say be healthy or something. 
like Heilung would be a very positive word for that. But Gesundheit, Sanity means Gesundheit, Sanity, but Go and Ge means Go Away. So that is something that people have been taught upon in order to say that to each other. And it's it's so automatically, just no one thinks about this. Right. You say, hey, bless you, bless you. And you wish something into the universe that is not directly your, your, your wish, because what you want to do is actually to wish somebody health. So how was that negated? How did that, you know, who was responsible for that? Who that's, that's a, that's a <laughs> interesting question. Who that, who did that? Somebody. So the grays are accusing someone. I know that people who looked into that are excusing somebody, some foreign force. I cannot say that. I don't know if it's true. I know somebody put that. Uh, into place. So whoever, you know, put up the educational system and even went into different other parts of the world, invaded them and then put, you know, missionary um, educational systems and languages to those, you know, barbaric, uh, uneducated people, they might be cheated in the first place in order to bring languages and distortion of languages to other tribes in the world, which is, you know, super effective, but also super malevolent. So who do you believe was the master who came up with these languages? In the first place, languages were pretty close to source itself, but we see that there had been some kind of, you know, modification, manipulation on the system of language. Whoever did that was doing it intentionally in order to prevent humans from evolving too quickly. And whoever did that, and I'm not saying who that was, or because I don't know that, but someone did it. And whoever that, that um, whoever did that was like a very elevated and high um, intelligence and must have known the languages of Earth a lot. And we see that in, in English as well. So a lot of Latin words have been integrated into the English language and people have been taught to use those Latin words, but those Latin words sometimes uh, have the similar effect. So we were talking for example, about future, the word future, which means basically is coming from the Latin word futura, which um, consists of two different words. The first uh, part of it is fu, which means fu, like bad. Mm -hmm. And tura is something that derives from a Latin word that means to manifest by using incense. So the, the, in different species or different tribes uh, have used different techniques in order to connect to the universe and in order to connect with source and to manifest things. For example, Germans, the original word for power in the uh, Indo-Germanic original language is the same word for forest today. 
So German people or Germanic people have seen the power of trees and nature and have used that by their connection to nature in order to manifest and to connect to source. Roman people were different. They were using a lot of incense in order to have smoke and use the smoke to bring focus into that and to manifest things. So the second part of the word future is is basically meaning manifesting something through using incense. But in combination, future actually means bad luck. So everyone who is, you know, bringing something uh, from the future or something, I have that and this wish and that that is his or her future basically is miscommunicating with the universe in itself. The universe then as a, as a life form doesn't exactly know what you're talking about. What, because for the universe, there's no bad, no good, that it's only reality and experienceable reality. And the universe might give you the, the, you know, a bad feedback when you do not communicate correctly. When did you think this all changed? Why don't we just keep Sanskrit, you know, this ancient language? Because from there to all these other languages, what's this big gap, you know, in time? And when do you think that time was? So we we think that the originator languages or the original languages that were, um, and you have those stories that those are, you know, uh, coming from source or some something, that those languages are lost. No one knows um, where they got lost, but at some point, someone or something made people on Earth um, use a modified version of their own language. Sanskrit is the only language that has connections to source itself and that you know still remains it's it's the only only one left everyone everything else um mysterically you know disappeared right, right. but we see um in the history of humanity a systematic modification of languages and also whoever did that and brought that upon this planet they were using a specifica of ape races which is coming from their tendency to be connected in tribes or in hearts and in, in in hearts you need to stick to a common set of rules that is giving from one to another generation and stick to that very closely they rely on that they need that in order to be successful so that behaviorism is still inside of humanity. If you expose someone to a rule or a mindset, then so in intelligent is called contaminated. That is a contaminated generation that will ex will uh, go on with that contaminated thought until someone else brings in an imposing thought which is mainly rehabituating or re-educating that previous generation. So if you tell, and this is pretty much what everyone on this planet has experienced, if you have, you, you cannot argue with 
other members of this ape species, even if they are super wrong, even if you give them uh, evidence or proof even, they will still stick to what has been educated upon them because their ape genetics is what tells them that it is very important for the success of the heart of the tribe to stick to the rule of the last generation. Speaking of tribe, you mentioned earlier about the greys and their language, how, you know, time and coordinates is already incorporated into their language. And here there have been, you know, ancient civilizations and Aboriginal tribes here that don't use a past or present uh, tense. So, yeah, there are also tribes that do not have a word for I and you, which is very interesting because they have still this um, connected, unified, you know, uh, mindset inside of their language. But do you think that makes it easier or or more difficult in language? It depends on what you want to create and what you focus on. So um, there's this theory that I cannot be defined and I cannot be defined unless it brings itself in opposition to a you. So that means everything that is different to you is I. But, but I am you. True, but you're still you. Correct. So that is a paradox and it's a paradox in this universe. If you have, if you do not have a concept of an eye and there are species that have no eye, they tend to have a collective memory system. They have a different perception of reality. Why should they develop a language that distinguish or differentiates? And it's also, you know, sometimes pretty hard to explain because human people sometimes ask me, Tim, what's the name? Of, what's their name? This is also something that's inside of human language in order to differentiate yourself from something else. So this is Emery and that's Banana, you know. And in reality, it's all that connected field. And there is lots and lots more properties to emery and, and lots more properties to banana than just calling it banana and emery. So the language of the grace is using all those probabilities, all those um, different data sets in their language in order to make it more precise. Why have languages lost their power here on earth because languages in itself they are used in order to communicate between the consciousness unit and the collective or the all the the everything and again languages have been modified here but one thing that has also happened is that because people have been taught a modified, manipulated and chaotic system of languages, they have experienced a loss of feedback, which is pretty important for the universe because everything is, rely is relying on feedback mechanism, which means I do something and something brings back a consequence and it can then adjust that. 
But as people have used those modified languages a lot, and I mean, we could talk how to end modify that, unmodify that and build up on a new structure of languages, language that would be more benevolent for your manifestation. But as people have used that modified languages over the generations, they have suffered a lot less feedback. They have just felt that it's not working anymore like it used to work. And, you know, with less feedback from the universe, language becomes more and more unimportant. And that is what people have experienced a lot, which is a good thing in a way, because the installation and the modification of languages has never, ever been so weak like it's now, because people do not mean what they speak. They just put out words and on the most basic level of communication, this recipient and communicator thing does the job, but that's mostly it. One thing that has been very important is a cohesive current thought that transports the message you're giving out into the universe. So the universe is on different levels uh, level of, of perception, it's, it's active on all those levels. It's, um, you do not, the more levels of, of, of the universe you put into your language and into, into your coordination and communication, the more powerful the language becomes. So if you only speak and you have all those thoughts in your head that go into different directions and they're no, not focused, you basically just put out you know, sounds and people, you know, they, they base their whole communication upon sounds, but that's not all communication is much more. And the more information you can put into that, the more feedback you become. So one thing that a lot of species, especially um, when we look at humanoid species on different planets, what they do, they, connect their, their thoughts very closely to the words. They also have a highly, a, a more evolved language system, which helps them, but bringing a cohesive, coherent thought con to, uh, connected to the sound you make is something that communication, you know, everything benefits from that. You can feel that if someone radiates truth, you can feel that truth. You, you might even, if you phone someone and that person is smiling, you can feel that by the phone. So that is something that can only be explained if more information are connect, is connected than, I mean, that can only be explained if more information comes with it than only sound. It gives more energy. Informa yeah, energy and information and focus, right? Mm, understood. We hear a lot about extraterrestrials using telepathy as a way of communicating. Is that something that you're aware of, or are they all just using sound? Well, telepathy is another wave pattern that you can put into the universe. So if you imagine sound 
and not only as something you can perceive, but also something that is a wave pattern, then that is something that, you know, um, passed the way, so to speak, in order to bring information from me to you. But psionics, those are also wave patterns. That is why technology can, you know, utilize that mechanism, imitate those wave patterns, patterns and bring psionics through technology. So a lot of species have understood those mechanisms. They are more trained and more used to use those wave patterns. Some species are not, but those, spe- those um, species that you mentioned, they use telep- um, telepathy mm-hmm. and they mostly do it because it's a way for them to overcome the barriers of sound which means it's easier for them to put a thought into your head because then information is is interpreted by your own perception instead of, you know, listening to acoustic signals and putting them into some kind of, you know, uh, understanding system or something um, like that. It's very specific telepathy through my experience because if I said, you know, Tim, let's go to the park, that message that you see is already the time you see the park, you know where it's at. It, there's so much more covered in that one patch of energy that comes at you. And I've seen this with extraterrestrials too. Yeah, it's, it's a a kind of a universal language because it's the way a mental-based universe communicates with itself that overcomes some struggle. But so mostly, for example, if we are talking about those humanoid races, those other humans that are existing in the universe, and I'm at least aware of three types that do that, they not only have a very sophisticated language system, but they also are very advanced and very, you know, concentrated in the way they put their cohesive thought into the language. So it's, it's not only, you know, speaking and bring out sounds. Right, right. It's a very sophisticated and concentrated, um, transfer fur of mm-hmm. different data sets and emotion and emotion yes That's emotions nice. are hugely important to the to the universe that is also something that has been you know modified and altered by that installation because if we look at it, lots and lot of things um you know that you can perceive in the media or something on this planet those things um they tend to modify the emotions of people they have you know fear they um, and i mean mostly every movie uh, that you can watch has some kind of death in it and it's always portrayed as super traumatic and super super um intense and bad and that is also something you know that got stuck and it's it's a 
self-sustainable system. So once someone has put that into an ape species and that ape species got habituated to that, right. it, it starts to recreate this pattern. It's habitual. Other species do not do that. Another species would, would say, like, why should I, you know, produce horror movies which make people bad? What should they do? They, they go back to the decision, you know, reflect upon it and then change their behavior. But again, ape species rely upon that, um, you know, this pattern. They need that in a very early stage of evolution in order to bring stability to their system, to their genetics. We've already overcome that. There's no reason anymore for all those behaviors, all those, you know, ape-like denaturalized systematic thinking. Tim, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emmer. I'm Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Until next time. Next on Cosmic Disclosure. Jesus' extraordinary birth involves UFO phenomenon, of course. Well, yeah. Well, we've heard a lot of stories about all kinds of Jesus today, everyone. <laughs> and uh, here we go. This is um, a little clip from uh, James Taylor has been playing with Steve Colbert's band all week this week. And this is the final. Um, he's, he's now he's visiting with him. So we're going to play that. So here we go. My first guest tonight is the six-time Grammy Award-winning singer and songwriter and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer who has been sitting in with the band all week. Please welcome our friend and yours, Mr. James Taylor. James, uh, you've been sitting in the band all week. I hope it's been a lovely experience for you. Fantastic. <laughs> what night was your favorite? What night was your favorite? Oh, man. No, I, I, can't, I can't choose. <laughs> now, last time you were here, you were about to release this American Standard. You won the Grammy for it this year. Congratulations. And just... I just finished a 12-month a, a tour. Okay. 12-month okay. yep. tour. When you, when, you, when you do an album and you go, okay, that's how that song should sound, down, and then you go take it out on the road for the first time and hear it in front of audiences over and over again, does that change your your view of that song or how it should be played? Yeah. You know, I've thought about this for a long time. With, with songs that are standards like this, you you know the song, you in, in, in my case, you played it for many years. You have the arrangement of it, and uh, you go in with a very good idea of what it is and what it should sound like and how you want to change it and make it your own. But 
uh, typically, uh, I write my own stuff. So when I go into the studio and, and perform something and lay it down, um, that's the first time it's, it, it's sort of, uh, it, it's, it's never played for people. I mean, some, sometimes people will, will book a, a gig and play the material that's going to be on a new album in a bar or a small club or, yeah. you know, and try to work it up because after you played it for about, you know, and Cato knows this, you know, if you, after you played something, everybody, any musician does, after you play something for about 20 times, it sort of finds its way, you know, it's, it, 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 it gets sort of seated. Uh, um, and, uh, I've often thought that would be a good idea, but I've never really gotten around to doing it, you know, I've never, uh, so, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, but it's a really good question and it's a real, it's a thing, you know. You know, you, you've got so many of your own standards, like the, the James Taylor classics. Do you, does your, are you ever tempted to really switch up, like, how fire and rain sounds? You know, I understand the, the, uh, yeah, what the inspiration for that is, what the motivation is to, to change it and to make it new. Um, but also, you know, I, I, I'm very aware uh, that an audience wants to, you know, if they want to hear the song, they want to hear it as they recognize it. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want to hear some good about it. son Henry joined you on tour this time around. What was it like to have your son up there with you? It's been great. You know, yeah. it's it's been so. Uh, um, it felt so easy and and so, you know, well familiar, obviously, but uh, you know, uh, it, it it was just. Uh, I don't know. I think he's got a, a feel for it. You know, he's got, he, he, uh, you know, I, I, I've toured actually with three of my children at, at various points and, uh, it is a wonderful thing, you know, and, and Henry just in particular, uh, you know, he says for him, he says he, he feels anxiety, he feels, uh, you know, uh, nerves beforehand, but you, you wouldn't know that, you know, it's, uh, it, I think he's, I've often said that 90% of show business is, is how you look when you're nervous, you know. And uh, what, do you, what do you mean? Like, if you can, like, because you're not going to not be nervous, but right. then what's that look like to an audience? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, what, you know, how how you look when you're nervous is if you look good, you're in good shape. Are you nervous? Are you still nervous when you go on stage, Evan? Yeah, I'm always nervous when I go on. Uh, more at the beginning of a tour, you know, once you get into a groove. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, man, you, your groove has to last for years. So I'm yeah. nervous every night for right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, because I know how it should play up here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the laughter I'm getting up here is way better than whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you want to be, you want to be either in the moment or slightly ahead of it. You know, you want to be thinking. Thinking about what you're about to do and not thinking about just what you, what you just did. 100, 100,000. 100,000%. 100,000%. So there's a new venue opening up at Fenway in, in Boston. It's the MGM uh, Music Hall. Is that what it is? I think so. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're the first performer there. What is, are you, uh, is, are you a Red Sox fan? Is, are you I excited am. about playing next to the park? I am. I, I am a Red Sox fan, and I've I've played Fenway a couple of times, so uh, it's that's a delight. Yeah. And uh, did you ever uh, play ball? Uh, well, I played ball when I was a kid. You know. Did you have any trains? Oh no, I I was you know I just I played anything mostly first base, but uh, you know, it's a good position. But you know I was I was very mediocre. 
Mainly, I played left dugout. (laughs) We have to take a break, but when we come back, I will ask James about his old friend, Joni Mitchell. Stick around. Okay, hang on here. We're just going to jump over this commercial. everybody by performing at uh, the Newport Festival just just the, uh, last week and how did it make you feel to see I mean you guys go way back when you were on the, the show uh, a couple of times ago you were telling me about how uh, you wrote you can close your eyes for her while she was asleep in the backseat of the car while you drive up the Pacific Coast Highway and what's it like to see her back on stage again I mean for those of us who know her it was incredibly moving it, it was great, you know. It really was, particularly for Joni. You know, she she had a a, a real uh, sort of disastrous event that happened to her. What five years ago now? Seven years ago? You know, she had a serious stroke, and and she's come back from it so amazingly. You know, that was. I mean, that she's still here at all is is remarkable, but but that. Uh, you know, you just can't, uh, you, you, you can't stop her. You, know? you can't, yeah. she's just, uh, and, and that was, you know, Brandy Carlisle really is, is, uh, instrumental in her getting, you know, in front of, uh, an audience again. Really has, uh, you know, hats off to Brandy for, have you seen Brandy's, uh, uh, performance of Blue? Uh, no, I haven't seen that. She did the entire album, Blue. Oh. Yeah, did it Carnegie. You did blue too? No, I played on the original. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> what do you wait? What do you think? What are you playing on in blue? Because Stephen Stills plays on it too. I yes, think, right? Yeah. So what do you play on blue? I play uh, um, all I really want or love to do. But that's your guitar? Yeah. Jang, 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 that's you? Yeah, that's mine. And, Holy cow. Uh, no, she's playing uh, dulcimer, so oh, some of Jang, Jang is, but the picking stuff is me, as always. Wow. Yeah. But, wow. uh, uh, that and, uh, um, that's so I'm on a lonely road, or, uh, all I really want, I think yes. that's the title of the tune, and, uh, California I played on. What? Uh, uh, Carry Get Out to Kane. Damn. Yeah, and uh, there's a fourth one. What am I thinking of? Uh, oh, I could drink the case of you. Yeah. Really? Yep. Oh wow! Because she's playing the piano on that, and you're playing guitar. So I, I think she's playing dulcimer on that too. Oh wow! Yeah. I did not. How did I not know that you played on that album? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I think I think I was I think I, I was credited. You, you, you were credited? I, got, I don't read the liner notes as much as I should. I just listen to the music. we we got to go here in a moment, but I want to ask you about, you are going to be celebrating with, Jojo, with Yo-Yo Ma. You're going to be celebrating John Williams' 90th birthday um, uh, up, at, up at Tanglewood. I understand meeting, well, first of all, how did you meet John Williams? I understand it's a very special day for you. It was. Uh, well, it it was the first time I played with a symphony orchestra ever, and um, you know that's that's a real uh, 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 that's a real change from uh, from 
from the world that I came from, which is basically sort of folk music and a little bit from jazz and blues. But, uh, but the, you know, so it's daunting to, uh, to, to play with, with an orchestra like that. But I, but, but the thing is, I, it's sort of like I was introduced to it at the very top possible level with the Boston Symphony or the Boston Pops Orchestra, which is a lot of the same players and uh, John Williams conducting them. So uh, it was really uh, stepping off the, the ladder at, at the very top, you know, and that, that made it, John made everything seem easy and uh, natural and, and very uh, accessible. But um, uh, so, so that, you know, that aspect of it was amazing. I, I had a, a, a manager, a, a sort of business manager for years, who was an overseer of that orchestra and used to come up to Tanglewood every summer and was very involved in it. It was his thing to go to the symphony. And um, uh, he was trying to get me to do the pops for a long time. And finally, after about three separate tries of sort of pushing on me, I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Just just leave me alone. I'll, I'll play the... So uh, a guy named Stanley Silverman wrote some beautiful charts for me for some of my songs and, and some standards. And... Uh, um, I took them to the symphony and we, we had a, a, not unlike the kind of day we've had today and particularly on Monday when we, when we started, uh, when, when we, uh, when, when, you know, when, when you, you do a sound check, basically you do a rehearsal with the orchestra, uh, John checks out the charts and sees how they work. And, you know, John is, a, he's, he's such a master. He can take a, an orchestral chart. You know, the, the conductor's chart, which has all of the parts written out on two pages. And he can just sort of listen to it as he turns the pages. It's like, uh, you sure you need a, a, a B flat there? You know, and it's, it's really, uh, he's, he's playing about he hears it. it. He hears it as he looks at it. He can, you know, yeah. and, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, also that same day, um, uh, my, my, uh, soon to be wife, it would be, it would take a, another couple of years before we actually got together. But my wife Kim, uh, was, uh, working with the symphony, uh, then and had been for about 20 years. And when, uh, uh she came to my dressing room and, and wanted to ask me a couple of questions about how she, she was going to introduce me because that, it fell to her to do my introduction. So, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I connected. I saw her. I I thought, hmm, that's very interesting. And then, uh, <laughs> but it was, you know, it was it was pre-show. I was nervous. I, I wasn't in a romantic mood. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't the right timing. But the next day, the next day, uh, uh, I was thrilled and delighted. No, the next day when I woke up, uh, uh, I noticed that my watch was missing. And I, I collected watches, you know, these, these not very expensive, but, uh, interesting watches. They were pocket watches that were like made. Chain, in, that kind yeah, of that kind of thing on a fob. And this was a railroad watch that in all my years playing the black hole of Calcutta, playing the funkiest, uh, juke joints anywhere, uh, uh, I had never had anything stolen from a dressing room until I played the Boston stuff. Wow. Yeah. And did Kim steal it? How does this get back to your wife? How does this get back to her? She denies everything. <laughs> so I called her the next day, uh, and 
that was that was the good fortune. Maybe I lost the watch, but I I uh, I got my best friend. Okay, that's what I'm going to finish up with. That was uh, that is a classic, everyone. What a wonderful being on our planet. So we're going to share our sister Caroline's uh, collective message to light bearers. And she did this on my birthday, August 5th, 2022. This week's guidance from the Ascended Masters, the Galactics, the Earth Elements, the Fey Elders, Angelic Legions, Archangels, and other divine beings known as the collective. Greetings, friends, who are family. We are very pleased to speak with you again today. We see that many of you are in what some might call the in-between space um, of relating increasingly to the flow of higher dimensional energies coming into the earth now yet still feeling connected to the old order. This means that you will at times feel to still be sensitive and vulnerable to the machinations and manipulations of the old earth structure some days. Despite your increasing light quotient, in modern life, the media and various energy transmissions have tended to inform one's energies. Under these influences, even those of you who stand in the light have often become entrained to one message or influence or another and lost your footing for a moment, forgetting your own remarkable light-based energy and giving way to moments of panic, worry, stress, or other forms of vulnerability. We have not seen another time on the earth when these vulnerabilities were so high, uniformly across the planet. Rama. Rama, honey. Yeah, come and check this out. I think we're all set, but let's stand by for being ready. Okay. Um, We have not seen another time on the earth when these vulnerabilities were so high, uniformly across the planet. Okay, Um, we and you have witnessed scenes of destruction and pervasive dark influence having its way in particular cultures at certain times in Earth's history. Yet the current shadow has attempted to cover most of the Earth, particularly affecting those places that are densely populated. Also affected are areas of land where Earth's natural energy grids have been used by the old power structure to magnify their intent in one way or another. Yet we look look out upon the light work you are doing, dear ones, and the increasing presence of the star nations, and we see miracles occurring. 
turn the page. Um, Though many of you feel a bit downtrodden, exhausted and fed up with life as it presents at the moment, nevertheless, even now, we see your astounding reinstalling of life codes such as Earth once held and has not known for a very long time. And we give thanks for each of you at this crucial time. The particular forms of light you are planting deep into Earth's planetary body and into human consciousness are highly sentient. They flow into the planet to encourage, heal, and renew her. And they flow into each person's spirit, cellular construct, mind and emotions, and play with you in a joyful dance, calling up from deep within your DNA. This meant this memory of being a fully realized divine being. As those memories float to the surface, you begin to view life far differently than thousands of years of manipulative energy entertainment has directed you to see it. You are awakening more and more to the voices, to the hearts and the presences of each part of nature as the natural world likewise begins to view and interact with you in new and higher ways. You also begin to see the short-sighted circular madness of judging yourself and others preferring instead to move into neutrality that allows all their path, their voice, their preferences, wherever that journey may take them. In so doing, you free yourselves of the effects of the old good-bad duality. You come out of the self-criticism and self-judgment that, that tends to haunt more sensitive, empathic people the entity and energy interferences that have long fed off your buried insecurities and compulsive thoughts and behaviors as they do all humans, find no more dense energy to feed on. Dissatisfied with this new turn of events, they disengage from your being. Your higher selves, your higher self is then far more easily able to free you of those attachments and strengthen your new sense of self to where it is far less likely that new interferences would invade your energies. And for the earth herself, she is experiencing far more freedom now thanks to the ongoing work of light bearers around the world. And here we go. Um... All of you are working etherically with your star nation families to engage higher technologies, both physical and etheric, in disengaging uh, Lady Gaia from the old construct of her body and life energies being wreaked by the dark matrix. This is work that all generations now upon the earth have specifically come in for in addition to your own ascension paths. We never needed to dig in the earth for energy, ever. That was all a plot for profit, and it polluted everything under the sun, and the end of that story. Earth is therefore increasingly disengaging her energies from what remains 
of the old matrix. She lives now in a higher level of ongoing dialogue with her fast transforming son, which is ever calling her to increase her vibration to new heights. At the new higher frequencies, Earth's life energies are not so easily captured and controlled by the old order. That order is in fact finding it increasingly difficult and sometimes impossible to attempt their old level of entrainment of humanity and exploitation of the earth. Though it would appear that the extraction of Rama, you're going to have to look at the whole, you got to check, the, I can't read that, there's a line missing there. I don't know, but I'll get there and I'll have to go without it, I guess. Though it would appear that the extraction of oil, coal, and gas continues, amongst other thefts of natural elements, this is only due to the fact that the full changeover to free energy is still in a state of construction. The underpinnings of the old exploitive and dangerous practices are being consistently dismantled as Earth stands freer alongside an increasingly freer human consciousness. Uh, uh, though um, I'm not sure I can read this line because it's like I know where they cut off the top. Um, though all of this sounds wondrous um, you will be aware that some days you are seeing less seeing you are you are feeling less secure about your quality of life and how the world is functioning rather than more. This is the subconscious and its buried fears and old programming responding to what the higher light is calling up to, up calling you up to it is unsure having expressed so long through the human ego that it is safe to trust what is happening now including your own ascension parts of your subconscious are unsure that it is best that you become a light being while in human form who am i if i don't have a physical body as i have known it's in hundreds of incarnations. Your subconscious mind might be asking, quote, a loss of the old dense physicality that usually means I've died. Mm. And so parts of your deep inner self will wrangle and wrestle with this whole ascension idea. Preferring to keep things as you have always known, have always known them while in a body. Over the millennia since the since the fall to the third dimension, this form of insecurity will, will, will seek to hold you in the ego mind and to construct your energies into a smaller space than your conscious, more expansive self would prefer. You may wonder how you can deal with these fears, fear of loss of sameness, fear of loss of the physical, loss of your human aspect as you have known it for so long. For one, a fear of physical death has been 
bred into humanity over thousands of years. There was a time, long past, when the great civilizations, also called the super-civilizations, were still intact, that when a person was ready to simply step out of the physical and return to the etheric, they did just that. And we turned the page. What's that, darling? Um, there were no. helps and rituals involved if the person so desired, but a fearful, desperate clinging. No answering for rain bird. Oh. Mm-hmm. I thought rain was there. Rainbird was there. Mm-hmm. Oh. No. Okay, well, maybe we lost Rainbird to another dimension tonight, everybody. Well, That's okay. There were helps and rituals involved if a person so desired. Yet a fearful, desperate clinging to the physical was not part of the returning to pure spirit journey. We are flowing energies to you in this and other written messages and in our videos so that you are able to recall the lives you had in the free and empowered great civilizations of the past and on other planets and on the ships. As you do so, you recall the transition back to the etheric, not only with calm peacefulness, rather with joy. In those days, you prepared to once again rejoin the expansive beauty and loving support of the higher realms. You looked forward to it as a small minority who realize their physicality is ending now, their view, their moment, uh, view their moment of transition as a day to com- of complete renewal and return to the true self. Though it is indeed a beautiful moment that joyfully enlightens and awakens most who experience it for a short while via a, a near-death experience, it is no longer necessary to leave the body in order to experience your true self your higher vibrational self on this earth, to let your subconscious know that all is well and that you are safe. Meditation can be a great help, as well as tapping emotional freedom technique, just as they can assist the body and the subconscious in moving to a higher level from any condition you do not prefer to live in, whether illness, injury, and overweight condition or any ongoing fear and stress. Just this, this little pug-nosed dog looking up at you. <laughs> In this case, your tapping script might be something such as the following. Tapping lightly on these meridian points with the fingertips of either hand. Side of the palm, karate chop point. Even though my body is afraid of the ascension process, I still completely love and accept myself. Side of the palm, karate chop point. Even though my subconscious fears that all of this light is just too much change at once, I still completely honor and respect my path. Side of the palm, karate chop point. Even though it feels like some parts of my, of me don't want this, this change to happen, I still completely honor and love myself. Inner eye. All this change outer eye. My subconscious feels afraid under the eye. 
all these shifts at once under the nose. The old earth systems are fading under the mouth. The old power structure is fading. Collarbone, everything we've been used to for so long is going away. Six inches under the armpit. An exciting time to be on the planet. <laughs> Top of the head. Oh, uh, but parts of my consciousness feel very unsure about it. And then we go on here. Uh, so much uh, inner eye, so much change at once. Outer eye, so much uncertainty now that the old is passing away. Under the eye, so much growth to move into. Under the nose, it feels like too much some days. Under the mouth, sometimes change has been bad at different times in different lives. I've lived. Collarbone, I want to trust that all is well. Yet things feel so uncertain. Under the arm, where is my higher self in all this? Top of the head. How do I feel confident and calm when this would be in uphill, in uphill, when this world is in upheaval? Inner eye. Sometimes I think who I, who am I if I'm not a vulnerable human being in the 3D body? Outer eye. But when I surrender, when I, excuse me, when I remember that most of me is not in this body under the eye, most of me is in the higher realms, my soul and higher self, under the nose. Nearly all of me is already etheric. My mind, heart, heart, mind, my spirit, my whole being, under the mouth. I am already made of higher consciousness. And now I will be of finer matter physically also. Collarbone. I have accepted healing and renewal in the past many, many times, under the arm. I can do it now. Two. I've always been a fifth dimensional being in one life or another. Top of the head. So this is like finally going back to the home I love. And I am fine with that. As you continue with your earth journey, dear ones, you will accept this ongoing ascension as a gradual upheaval of your earth self to return to your true self. In time, you will celebrate every step forward rather than feeling uncertain. And you will come to recognize that the result you have seen, you see reflected in your media, is a last frantic effort to get you to ignore the billions of star families, ships, now directly above you in your skies. Do not be fooled. Your families are here. And in all of this, you are never alone. Namaste, dear ones. We are with you always. And so it is. Caroline Oceana Ryan, and we will go straight to Mr. Rama because we got to join Caroline soon. So, what do you have for us, Rama? Um, this is nice and loud. Alan Watts, um, understanding your own shadows. Okay, here we go. Understanding our own shadows, everybody. So, you can see shadows. The artist Rembrandt taught you to see shadows. Leonardo taught you to see shadows. But modern painters have discovered that shadows aren't darkness. 
Shadows are light. Shadows are color. Shadows are full of vitality. So you begin to get vivid purple shadows. People say, well, but you don't go around with a purple shadow on you, do you? What do you mean? Do you? You think that a shadow is brown because you haven't ever looked at a shadow. You don't realize that shadows are absolutely vibrant with light. We'll go more into that later when we come to this number seven. But there it is, you see, the, 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 the world that we see or think we see is actually not the world at all, but is a selection of things that are in the world, a selection governed by certain symbolic processes. What a man ought to look like, what a woman ought to look like. And we try ourselves to dress and to behave in such a way as we live up to the symbolic requirements that are expected of us. So then, uh, we think there's a certain kind of work that is uh, worthy of being done. And you ought to be tinker sailor, soldier sailor, doctor, lawyer, merchant chief, or whatever it is. And you ought to fit into one of these roles. Of course, there are innumerable things one might do. Infinite. But we, we like to get classified. We want to know whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat. Whether you belong to the left wing or to the right wing. Whether you uh, are a Christian, a Jew, Baptist, uh, Methodist. Whether you're a Mohammedan or, or what you are. Just so long as we can get you put into a compartment. That is to say, into a symbolic classification. Now, what is the reason for that? Well, this kind of consciousness here is based on a very peculiar specialization of the human brain, which we call, in everyday life, conscious attention. That is the capacity to focus or concentrate awareness upon a what we call any one thing at a time. It's as if, in other words, conscious attention were a spotlight and that the rest of awareness were a floodlight. In other words, every nerve end in your body is receiving input all the time, is in that sense energized, is aware of everything that comes to its, uh, into its periphery. So you are taking in the totality of your surroundings. But conscious attention is flipping from point to point to point to point to point like this and is making sense out of what it sees by adding it up with memory. It's an immense advantage from some points of view to be able to have this faculty because it does the same sort of thing for the human organism that radar does for a ship. That is to say, the function of radar is to scan 
the surroundings of the ship and watch out for unexpected changes in the environment. And uh, radar is a scanning process. In other words, it is a, a beam that goes out and bounces against things and feeds back the bounce to the screen. So in exactly the same way, consciousness or conscious attention is always scanning the environment and watching out for new eventualities that might be threatening or that might present favorable opportunities for some sort of advancement. Now, conscious attention has to be programmed as to what to attend to, what is important to look out for, so that we say to baby, now uh, when we're teaching it language, watch out for the uh, cars on the street, watch out for that dog, watch out for this, watch out for that. This is programming the baby's radar. But we, as a human community, have put so much importance and so much psychic investment into our radar that we believe ourselves to be that. We identify the self with the radar and not with the rest. So that we get this sort of a situation. When I say I... I say, I do this, I walk, I talk, I think, I run, I hit. But other things, such as the beating of the heart, the breathing of the lungs, the functioning of the glands, the constellation of the shapes of the bones, are all defined not as anything I do, but as something that happens to me. Just in the same way, when it rains, it happens to me. I don't rain. But I do walk. And so, uh, in other words, what has happened here is that we have identified ourselves with the, uh, our, the, the point of origination of conscious attention and with the point of voluntary control. That's me. Anything else happens to me. Okay, everybody, and I know Rama's got something for the final music. In, uh, yes. Rama's played this in a long time. <laughs> well, here we go. Magic is afoot, goddess is alive, everyone.
Until we meet on that side of the world, namaste, sat nam. Sat nam ti. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart, no evil, live long and prosper, and yes we can. Namaste everyone. Namaste. Aloha.